1: Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound. My name is Rockin' Randall Colburn, and today is part two, well actually part three if we count the mist, but uh, part two of our rankings of Skeleton Crew, Stephen King's 1985 short story collection. Last week we broke down our ten least favorite stories. Today we're going to talk about our ten favorite stories. How exciting is that? Who is across from me? This is Michael
2: Myers-Rothman. Ooh, keep that in of, like, wrong
1: podcast, actually. We're
2: going to promote the podcast for just a <laughs> second. Uh, Halloweenies, a limited edition series. We're carving one pumpkin every month leading up to David Gordon Green's Halloween, because they're titling it the same title as the original one, which won't be confusing in the future. Anyway, I'm here. I'm president, editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound and a constant contributor to the Losers Club, and I am psyched to get into the top 10 because we're
1: talking the good we're stuff. talking about the good stuff we
2: waited through the bad stuff last
1: week there's still I, a little bit of bad stuff
2: and here. i still got a little bad stuff on my uh <laughs> knees from waiting through all that garbage so um <laughs> Gross. uh and uh this is a little
1: bittersweet uh saying hello to our our next panelist here um panelist i think this is panelist. the first time on like 71 Paul episodes Lindy. i've used the phrase <laughs> panelist you're like merv griffin um Uh, It's it's Mel. I'm not even I'm going to introduce you myself uh, because this is Mel's last time recording in studio for the for, for the foreseeable future because she is going to a writer's retreat. Is it a retreat?
3: It's a it's a six week workshop in San Diego. That's
1: very exciting. And then you're going to grad school. Yes. So it's not like Mel would be off the pod, but she's going to be very busy. And so we're going to give her give her a little bit of a reprieve. And you're you're stuck with us losers, but I think this is also a good time to promote your own writing, which I feel like we haven't done on this on the pod for a while. So Mel, why don't you say hello, give people just a little bit of detail about where you're going, what you're doing, and then uh, tell them where they can read your stuff.
3: All right, sure. Hello. This is Mel, uh mirror that makes people disappear castle. <laughs> And I write short, spooky stories. I will probably write a novel eventually because that's just what you're supposed to do. And I think something will be brewing back in my lizard brain for a while, but I'm just not ready to do that yet. So I'm going to a six-week workshop called Clarion in San Diego. It's for uh, sci-fi, fantasy, and horror writers where you write a short story every week for six weeks. So it's very rigorous. Um, And then straight from there, I move to Iowa City where I will be getting my MFA in fiction at the Iowa Writers Workshop. I think my thesis will be a collection of short stories um if you do want to read any of my shit you can go to melcastle.com that's m-e-l-k-a-s-s-e-l.com so uh, a lot of it is free to read some of it you might have to like purchase a magazine so i mean i'm not going to ask anyone to do what's a good gateway good gateway into Um, your style oh man the
1: signature mel style you just have to
2: dive
4: in
3: well, Caffrey's always said that he's a big fan of my first published story, which is called Gull, like Seagull. Nice. And that one's free to read, so you can click on that one. Um, I do have a one that's out on another podcast called Pseudopod, so you could actually listen to one of my ooh, stories. Ooh, cool. Are you reading it? Uh, no, it is narrated by this other great horror writer named John Padgett. Cool. Um, and it's about a spooky, it's like a Hawaiian kind of like ghost story. Like Brady Bunch 2? Yeah, it's like Brady Bunch <laughs> 2. Uh <laughs> more like... A- and I will, I mean, I, I still I'm I not leaving the podcast. I have a really nice mic that I'm bringing with me to Iowa City. So Sweet. this will not be the last time I'm on the podcast, but it will be the last time I'm in the studio, like Randall said, for the foreseeable future, just because I won't be in Chicago.
1: But we're sure she'll visit and we'll get oh, her yeah. in here. My
3: family's here. Yeah.
1: And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit weepy about it. I'm sad. Um,
3: Should we take a... Swear S- Swear If it isn't dead, if it ever comes back, we'll come back too.
1: A moment and of we're silence. Back. Everyone
3: cried for about an hour.
1: Yeah, um, it's two o'clock. Let's move on before the emotions overwhelm us all. Uh, who's sitting next to me? And w- y- you're not nearly as important. But- Apparently, no, 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 <laughs> no. Where can we
4: read I, your well, stuff? Uh, you can read my stuff at um, www.melcastle.com. <laughs> uh, my pseudonym. <laughs> That's how we met. Yeah, we really did screw Justin over here by putting him at the well, end. Well, my <laughs> name's uh, I'll I will. Still my name's Chop Liver. <laughs> I'll, my name's Who Gives a Shit. <laughs> You can read my stuff at www.whogivesachit.com. No, um, my name is Justin Gerber, open parentheses, milkman number three, close parentheses. <laughs> I'm a senior writer at Consequence of Sound, also a co host of the Halloweenies and Michael Myers podcast. And actually, we weren't on last week, Randall, so no? we should also probably talk about the first time we encountered this crew of skeletons.
1: I agree. When did you first encounter it? Thanks for asking, Randall.
4: Um <laughs> Thanks. You can call me MM. <laughs> MM3. This is another this is actually a short story collection I would read, I wanna say through Nona. And I oh, never interesting. finished it. and this was about fifteen years ago. You're so I read the first You're like yeah, seventy year old. I, I said <laughs> as soon as that rat gave birth and like ate a spider, I went, Okay, we're you're good. Like, this is hitting too close uh, to home. Yeah, too many memories. So it's been a good fifteen years. I'm happy I was able to finally finish it because I do think a lot of the better stories are near the end of this mm-hmm. collection for some yeah. This is not front-loaded. <laughs> well, the, aside from the mist, the mist, yeah, that's it. Well, after that though, like, oh, yeah. God, we'll, no. we'll, You all talked about it last week. and yeah. we're not here news. to rehash. But uh, yeah, so here we are today
1: um yeah i this was an i remember reading this early because i was very drawn to the cover i i i got it from the library and it i i was the original edition which i also found recently and own currently but it was the 1985 putnam edition and it's got the monkey with the symbols in the front with the creepy green eyes and god damn i was so excited for that monkey to pop up mm. and even as a teenager i was like that story wasn't great um but yeah, I actually remember pretty vividly reading this book because I was on a trip with my parents doing something for my brother. I think we were like visiting my brother in college and I was probably in maybe eighth or ninth grade and I remember reading um, it in the back of the car during like a very long drive and I can't read in cars anymore. I get very car sick, but um, like immediately even if I just look at my phone, but back I then read during the I was very good broken. at it and I would always read in the car and uh, I read I remember reading like Uh, The Raft and um, uh, Beach World and The Reach, like all of them, like in the back of my parents' car. And I remember, and we'll talk about it later, but it's like, I just have such a vivid memory. It was like, I was listening to my disc man, and I had Mighty Mighty Boss Tones.
4: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is that record Mm -hmm.
2: called? (laughs) Yeah, that record. Hey, if you're feeling nostalgic Mm. for Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, you might want to tune in to Kyle Meredith. And you can hear that interview where they talk about their new album, their first new album of seven years, uh, and uh, Burt Bacharach from uh, Austin Power Two. Uh, <laughs> I think Austin is One. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is it one or two? He, no, it's, I think they. He not, performs. He no. He. I think he literally performs on the streets with Elvis Costello. Oh. And Heather second? Graham starts dancing with them. Oh, he's also in the first one. On the. Well, you'll hear all bus. about it on, pa- on uh, Powers Austin Cast. Yeah. <laughs> Powers
4: Cast. Austin Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Either um, way.
2: You want to hear more about Mighty Mighty Boss and gives a little more context to uh, Randall's listening experience from uh, several years ago. I remember listening to Mighty Mighty
1: Boss while reading The Raft and um, feeling utterly fucking destroyed in the back of my parents' minivan. Um, so I'm excited to get to that story. because You just really love Deke. I feel well, like Deke would have been a Mighty Mighty Boston's fan had he lived through the 90s. Probably would have. I think that's very true. Um, so yeah, I don't know, but I didn't love it. I remember I actually skipped a few stories when I would get a few pages in and it wouldn't hook me. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're young, you're just like, give me the good stuff, yeah. you know? And so I think Who I remember you get to the
4: wedding gig immediately. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, yeah like I think I, I bailed on wedding gig and I bailed on um, uh, flexible Bullet, like I just did not like that when I was young, um, and then a few of the others too. Even the, then, the, it was funny though. I remember the Reach, which is the last one. So I was like, "Well, it's the last one," but I was like, "I don't like stories about old people." You know what I mean? But and you really, so, you really loved uh, Kane rose up though. Uh, let's like, just say this, is,
2: this, this is my <laughs> shit. Let's just
1: let's just say it was a different time. No, no, yeah. <laughs>
2: But, but no, we're cutting weird. that
1: out. Um. Um, <laughs> this was a trench coat,
4: Randall Colburn period. <laughs> but oh,
1: I remember, <laughs> but I remember being like so surprised by how much I loved how much I loved the Reach when even when I was a teenager, uh, because I was like, well, I should read it because it's the final story, even though I I didn't I wasn't interested in the first several pages. But then uh, you know it really got me just like it did this time. Mm-hmm. Love that story.
2: We'll get to that later though. So um, I liked its adaptation, uh, Cocoon. Um,
4: yes. <laughs> just because there are <laughs> just old, people, they're, old people. And there's death involved. I was stuff, screaming. Know. I was like, well, look, is there a connection? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's cocoons in the Reach. <laughs> so, uh,
1: Justo, were there any stories that you thought were really good that you weren't able to talk about because they were on last week's episode?
4: Let's go. Can we go through and, uh, off the top of your head? So we had yeah. you guys talk yeah. about the wedding gig. That's a hard pass. Yeah,
2: okay. we went through Cane Rose Up. Yeah. Which is 19. Not, not a fan. Uh, Big Wheels, The Tale of the Laundry Game. Milkman 2. P- pointless. Pointless. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was eighteen. Then uh, seventeen was Ballad of the Flexible Bullet.
4: It was Rob. My issue with you know, I, I will agree. say this. I agree. In, in hindsight, my yeah. favorite parts about that were actually these the science fiction elements of these weird things being a typewriter. I know oh, you two, I don't think you two like the element of no. I like the psychosis, but I actually like this weird. I kept thinking about what, if, like Joe Dante got his hold on it.
2: Yeah, that type of a yeah. film. If you make it like a little more dark with the humor and whatnot. Hey, we were talking about adapting um, it, and Joe Dante is still out there. So yeah,
4: well, he's know. doing the whole and stuff these days. But um, <laughs> what else was after that? But yeah, uh, well, I did not like it. Way too long. And by the way, it's technically a novella. I learned. Yeah,
0: Seriously? that makes sense. Yeah, It
4: makes sense. It makes sense to I me. Mean, it's long. It's, it's long. It's too long. We should have done it our own is- episode on it. <laughs> It I'm sure that would too long. Get, that would get major <laughs> listens. Yeah, <right>? 300 <laughs> listens. Oh, my
2: God. Uh, so at 16, we
4: had the monkey. Um, monkey. God, they skipped over any horrific element that could affect. Like they skipped over all the scary mm-hmm. stuff in the story. Yeah. Didn't it didn't work.
2: It seemed like it was written for the Disney Channel. And the humor ending did not land at all. No. Uh, yeah, very bizarre. Lamb.
4: Dad Fish.
2: <laughs> oh, there's a newspaper article here. Yeah, so stupid. Uh, 15, the man who would not shake hands. I love the club. Who was it? Caffrey hates the club? Caffrey doesn't like the club. Caffrey that's hates bizarre. The club. I, no. I think did, that like for me, that's
4: the, that's easily the best element of this story, yeah. as well as the um. Well, yeah, Justo just, just no, no. and I
1: were on the um the Winters. Wait, what is that book? The Breathing Method. Breathing Method. method. Winters. Uh, <laughs> What's Winters Tale? I know, but yeah, we were on that episode, and so we really dug deep into the club then. So yeah, I enjoyed reading the man who would not shake hands, but as with the Breathing Method. I was more intrigued by the club than I was yeah, by the story. Yeah, like, who
3: the fuck are these fogies? <laughs> yeah, I, hate them.
2: yeah I, I actually really did like the club element, and as someone pointed out, I think Mac did last yeah. week. Like, why hasn't King gone back to that? Yeah, that's Not, what we talked yeah, about in our like, in our breathing
1: method episode. Which, if you haven't listened to, it's on the
2: internet. It is. <laughs> you can and listen I to. And it. I would have been on that episode if I wasn't down south chasing a dead end. Uh, anyway, um, we're going to move on. <laughs> Jesus and uh, the next one is uh, number 15 or 14, I believe mm. The Wedding Gig. Ah, I love
4: The you Wedding know, Singer. I will say this there's a lot of uh, racist elements and um, condemning uh, overweight people throughout the whole story. Yeah. But I feel like the whole story was built up to be this lame morality tale where at the very end, like the whole message is you shouldn't make fun of fat people and and, and black people.
3: Right, that's why I said but like it's like like halfway there, but it, it no. doesn't really. <laughs> it's
4: also just I don't know what, it was very. Str- I didn't like it. Well, let's just say um, we're
2: all RSVPing, not attending to that one. No. Uh, that's <laughs> Reception right. only. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that one. All right. So then we had at thirteen the word processor of the gods. Um,
4: I remember really liking
2: it when <sighs> yeah, I read it when I was it young. Just, it just didn't hold up for me. And I don't know. You,
4: you you touched upon the last episode too. There have been tales like that told before. I remember yeah. there was a Twilight Zone episode that is very specific to that. There was a. I can't remember. I think it's a writer-musician who uses a tape recorder and is
2: able to speak into yeah. it and make things
4: happen, which is done much,
2: much better. Also, uh, John Candy's Delirious, which is uh, hilarious, Ooh. if you uh, go back to that. Was that but one of his 18 final films? One of them. Okay. Uh, anyway. a great little classic film uh, starring... What's her name from uh, Manhattan? John Candy. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> Mariel Hemingway. Mariel Hemingway, <laughs> whose father was a great author. <laughs> or um, grandfather. Grandfather, I meant. Anyway... His father was Ernest from Hemingway. For more on the Hemingways, <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: please... <laughs> Visit your local Wikipedia. Yeah. Hemingway cast. Yeah. Okay, so, so, but again... Uh, cast we, we Honestly, I remember loving... That's an example. I think I remember liking that a lot as a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't hold up. as Yeah. An
2: adult. I, I actually really like it, and I think in the context of where it was published, which was Playboy, which was one of the big discussions last week was writing for your audience, and, and Mel would point out I that he says that he doesn't. That.
4: Yeah, I don't know if... He, I don't feel like he's writing these short stories specifically for... A publication. I feel like he's writing short stories and, and then, then getting them out there and then getting them out there. You know? I
2: will just say that this was a perfect marriage, though, because that idea, <laughs> that fantastical element of being like, I can't handle my life right now and I just want something else, you know, something more. Uh, more than this is Roxy music uh, once sang. Mm-hmm. That short story is just a perfect marriage. But for kid, for yeah, that's, that's that's, that you that
4: goes against the idea of you know. Well, I I, I subscribe to Playboy for the articles or so the. Why would you subscribe to Playboy for this type of writing?
2: Well, because it's just, it's just
3: another brand of escapism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's lame, though. But it makes sense that you liked it when you were a kid because it is just this like perfectly simple like your yep. family sucks. It's, oh, you got a new one. it's
4: yeah, almost still, you know, it's simplistic and not and not simple. That's the difference I think. Like, it like reminds, reminds me of writing. Back to
1: the Future in a way. Yeah. Like the end of Back to the Future, mm-hmm. like where everything's suddenly good. Yeah, um, in the nice, original I ending. Seen it. I know. Are you serious?
2: I know. Well, spoiler alert. Well, for we a need a forty-year-old movie. Let's uh. <laughs> so the, the last two that we had yeah. here, there be tigers. Great story. I did
4: not dislike that one that much. Did. I think I had it like middle of the pack. You guys well, are. You're both wrong. So. It's yeah, just, you had it. At, uh, you had it at thirteen. I had it at nineteen. It's, so it's, I really loved it. I didn't like it per se. I didn't hate it by any means. I think it's. It's kind of surprising. like mm-hmm. I, It's the last thing you expect. and It's yeah. a short story. And it's whimsical. Out. Yes, that's a good experience. And there's
1: not... Yeah. It's whimsical horror, which is yeah. what I
4: liked about it. Well, it be felt be whimsical
3: like, and dumb.
4: It, yeah, it felt yeah. like... Yeah, sure. I mean, I think I could actually agree that I did think it was kind of dumb, and, but whimsical. But it was fine. It wasn't like I read it, like Kane Rose up. I thought, what the fuck is this? I
1: thought it was like Roald Dahl.
2: I like roll doll. I thought it was good enough that I would want to do dishes instead. Um, oh boy. All right. So the last story that we had. <laughs> Wait, what, what did come, I? Where did I put tigers? Oh, you had the highest one, and we talked about it. At, I know. Uh, I, at, you were trash legs. You had it at nine. <laughs>
3: I think I called you an idiot. Oh yeah.
2: boy, yeah. don't appreciate it. You had you had here. There be tigers over beach world, and we're going to get into that in a little I'm bit. A beach. Um, no, I'm Not a beachhead. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> last beachhead. one. Last one at eleven. Uncle Otto's truck.
4: Beep beep. Um, well, I think I had that kind of middle. Of the road you got too. ten. That was pretty good. I, you just, got 10. I think. I think for me, that's when the stories get good. I do think it's just like a, a half of this collection is good, and the other half is kind of either I'll pass or
2: outright awful.
1: Fine story, but come on, King! Enough with the cars already. That's what, that's what
2: Caffrey was
4: saying, and I was agreeing. To be fair. I, back then, wasn't this just the second car story? Technically,
2: trucks. Or actually, wasn't that the first? Wasn't that actually written before Christine? It was, well, it was published originally in uh, 1983, October. So that, like the same year, I think, right? It was around the same time, oh, okay. yeah. Well. well, he
1: was also gearing up for Maximum Overdrive around this time. So Ooh. he was loving cars.
3: But who knew when he actually wrote it, though? Like, that could have been round around. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah.
1: I think he wrote it the day before the book was due, and he was scribbling it on some <laughs> yeah. posts. I
4: like Uncle Otto's truck. <laughs> yeah. it's, I, I think it's disgusting. It's getting I like closer. It.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's definitely not that bad. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Where did I have it? Well, let's see nineteen. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: <laughs> Oops. No, you had it at Great. uh Randall had it at eight. Hmm. So you so yeah. you liked it more than Here There Be Tigers, which well, you yeah. just were praising well Beach World on the other hand can, uh, <laughs> World, not, not, not very high can go stick its well, head in the sand no. <laughs> well we'll get to that soon enough so I guess we're going to go into the
1: <laughs> well Talk let's let's in. just I think it's fun though to just frame it for context just how famous. you guys talked about this last week but I think just to reiterate just how famous Stephen King was when yeah, this, this is, book came this out. This is like Pete King like he, he like the year this came out he was on the cover of um, Time Magazine like uh, in the fall of that year and he also had you know Silver Bullet had just come out there was a bunch of other movies happening he was gearing up for Maximum Overdrive he's going to direct his own movie. It was a very big deal. And um, obviously all these, you know, all the other books had come out and Richard Bachman was in the news. He had been out at his Richard Bachman as well. And he was just snorting just cocaine, like to no end. You could afford it. And uh, yeah. And so I think it's just interesting to frame these stories within, even if some of them were written earlier, just within the realm of success. And I kind of loved what you guys were saying last week about I think, Mike, you compared it to like a a music label being like you got to put out a Christmas album or something. It does feel like maybe he Was urged to publish a short story collection, and that some of these were just kind of like, uh, you know, scrap writings that he just kind of, you know, pulled out of the drawer and threw in to pad the page count.
2: It's kind of crazy because out of all his short story collections, and maybe this just speaks to the idea that he was popular. And that's how most of these awards go. But he, this book actually won the Locus Award yeah. in 1986, which is like an annual literary award that they basically honor like science fiction and fantasy um, by the Locus magazine. So well, uh, I think it's, it's, it's but a lot of his other books had been nominated for that and didn't win. Like different yeah. seasons didn't yeah. win. This
3: is his Leonardo DiCaprio Oscar. Okay,
4: <laughs> no, we're no, moving no, on no, from no, this. No. I disagree. I
2: disagree. <laughs> we're we're on from that. This is more like Denzel Washington winning for training. Day yeah, yeah, he yeah, for yeah, yeah. Win for the hurricane.
0: But know? I, I
3: also think we were talking about how there are a lot of monsters in this book, yeah. and mm. it feels like it's a Christmas album, but more like a Halloween album. They were like, "Give us the yeah. scary yeah.
0: stuff." Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: Although I, I, I guess yeah. like for me. Talking about the themes, though, like I, I, there's definitely when I think about the unifying the things that unify a lot of these stories. Definitely, there's the whole idea of like creatures and and it's 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 very dark. Like I love the how we were comparing sort of or you guys were comparing the apocalyptic aspects of Night Shift. The way that a lot of those stories had like a grander feel, and here it's um like it felt like the world was in peril. And here it feels much more isolated and individual. Yeah. Like the the horrors are being inflicted upon. Small towns, small towns, yeah. and small, and just like small or groups of people in your
3: paranoid mind.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's- and and I like that, and I think it's neat. I think death, like just the concept of death and of facing death, um, approaching death, and knowing it's coming, is is a theme that I was seeing in a lot of these stories, especially like the wrath, the reach, um, the beach mist. world, the mist, um, and I think that's a really interesting theme to pull out, and also just how death can be intensely cruel mm-hmm. and meaningless but also how it you know but then on the other hand you look at the reach or something there is all this um it can be beautiful and it can be lovely and it can be your own choice well i think i
4: found that there were some to, to take from the talisman some twinners and that's i think there are a lot of books that you could look at or a lot of stories that you could look at that kind of attach themselves to another short story in
2: the same yeah. mm-hmm. and, I, and there's a couple coming up i'll
4: discuss yeah
2: yeah well it seems like a lot of it I mean, when he created the David Drayton character with the mist and it, you know, obviously the mist kicks off this book, Mm. a lot of the sort of inner fears or anxieties that David has about his own success versus a small town atmosphere and having that sort of conviction and or the lack of seems to be something that infiltrates a lot of these stories. You know, it's like, who's going to believe me? Yeah. You know, and 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 I wonder based on the stuff that we were just discussing with him, just being this like coke rattled writer. I you know you have to wonder like you know where was his head at at this yeah. point you know uh, basement well, jacks but it reminds me <laughs> wow
3: <laughs> thanks Mike um <laughs> Jesus I Christ. just kept listening to Dream Police the whole time I was reading <laughs> like the Ballad of the Flexible Bullet um, yeah. so yeah I think I think Coke definitely has well to music do with too like uh, we wh- didn't we never touched on the there is one actual through line through a couple stories which is the do you love
4: yes yeah. i was quote. actually about to yes. bring that up think, and are all those can be covered in this, in this section i believe yeah. so yeah. there wasn't
1: one last week that it was covered so do you think as a narrative device or um, a motif it works does it does it resonate with you
4: i liked it a lot actually mm-hmm. especially because all three stories are so different from one another yeah what do you guys think well and, I, and it means something different too there, not there are just a story. They,
3: it isn't in enough of them for me to be like what a successful unifying theme sure. i guess it, speaks to Mike what Mike said about padding out the page count or what you said about padding out the page count. But uh, where it does appear, it seems like it's not... Unified in the sense of... It doesn't mean the same thing for every story that yeah. it's in. Yeah. Like it's totally subverted in comparison when you look at the different stories that it is in. Which yeah, is, really. I think is very interesting and yeah.
4: cool. Because I, I remember don't... about a month ago when we were starting to promote this these episodes, I, I went on Facebook and I just wrote, mm-hmm. Do You Love? Got a and a lot that's what I response. wrote. And we got a lot of different <laughs> responses. Actually, it's from this. And like, no, actually, it's from this. And like No, it's actually from these three. Yeah, so and
1: I think yeah. that it, it resonates. It definitely hit a note with me when I was young. Rereading it, I don't think it... It um, dovetails with the story. I, well, maybe not dovetails is the right word. That, I, I'm not sure it works narratively for me. Um, but thematically, I find it interesting for the reasons you said, Justin. But also, I guess, like, when I look at this book as about uh, finding meaning in death or how death can be so meaningless, I guess for me, the do you love is a question of meaning. And it's mm-hmm. like, do you love? Do you care? Do you have a reason? Um, does my death matter? Does the thing killing me is is it also like concerned with its own mortality? I mean, I, I mean, a question like, "Do you love for me?" is is a question of, "Do you feel and do are you um what's the word I'm looking for like are you uh, sentient like mm-hmm. you know what I mean?" And I guess like I I, I think a lot about the kid in the raft um, asking the oil slick that mm-hmm. like are you actually a thing that cares like that yeah. has like emotion that That's has feeling
3: interesting because I feel like I took it as this seductive question, okay. right? That the oil slick is asking or that Nona is oh, asking. Yeah. And yeah, to yeah. me it was more of this very malicious, insidious appeal to that part of ourselves yeah. that can be twisted by something evil.
4: That's really interesting. And I think in the reach it was almost it seemed like an accusation.
3: Yeah.
0: Like
4: mm-hmm. are you capable or do you or have you or
2: yeah. can you
1: or Yeah, and I think you know? I think that's why it really works and why your post got such response because obviously we're all taking different things from it and it's it's kind of just a very simple motif that i think is pulled from a song right I think it was I think it was pulled, I think I read somewhere I could be wrong but it was pulled from something that he was listening to a lot at the Probably time like George Thorogood or something. <laughs> but I think that it just speaks it's a very simple motif that he was able to just kind of use as a very malleable idea, a very malleable recurring theme that people can kind of pull what they want from it which I think gives the stories a little bit more weight than maybe some of them deserve. And I mean like that's the thing too is the raft could have just and we'll get to the raft later but I'll just say that uh, the raft could have just been such a simple pulp story, you know, but it, it really elevates and it becomes something more meaningful in ways that are very striking. So but on that note, um, you know, we're here today to talk about the cream of the crop. In, um, When we're talking cream about cream of the crew, uh, the cream of the crew, when uh, we're talking about skeleton maybe crew. We're oh. that out. So, oh. so cream think, of those seamen.
3: So, I think it's
2: especially in, if you're talking about motley crew.
1: Well, no, we're not talking about that kind of cream, we're talking about the kind of cream that a milkman brings. And oh. that brings us to our very first story in today's episode, number 10 in our ranking, and it is the milkman number one. Um, and this was not published previously. It was part, we actually, we didn't get a chance to touch on this last week, but the milkman part one and two, part number two was our second least favorite story. They were both pulled from a aborted novel called the milkman. Mm -hmm. So um, not much is known about it. I think literally all I've seen is that it was pulled from a
2: novel with no other details. When you look at like the different portraits that he's, you know, offered in these two short stories, it seems like you could see like little glimmers of, I was saying Christine, uh, just because around the same time, it was just, it. A lot of the bullies and like the the kind of losers in, mm-hmm. in part two that are just wandering around seem very similar to the bullies in Christine. A at buddy, least to Robert me, Tanne-Crew. yeah, Thank exactly. You. And then Mac had pointed out that like the actual Milkman itself seems very similar to like the Hodges trilogy.
0: Yeah, like, I could see in terms of like the, the,
4: the unassuming, yeah, um, antagonist. Things. Well,
2: uh, yeah, Brady is. Oh uh, no, uh, did you? I think you and no, no, that, that was Mac. But oh, was I was Mac- like all,
3: right. a while ago. I had said that. Milkman number one reminds me of the regulators. Like, yeah, um, oh, okay. the weird suburban, suburban crazy shit is yeah. happening, but it's sort of surreal and normal. And- yeah, like
1: suburban cruelty because there's something that's so like his, the milk spikes, you know. The fact that he has a name is almost unnerving to me because he's so not a human mm-hmm. and uh, he's basically just like a living monster. And so the idea of giving him even the slightest bit of humanity by giving him a distinctive name is almost very striking
4: to me. And it makes me wonder what the story that he was going to tell in the novel was i'm I maybe talking a lot about like structure and length and why i think these stories work as they are because i am perfectly fine with this being what seven eight pages long. yes i don't know if this would have worked as a 400 page novel even like as a 60 page novella as we saw with part two which for me does not work at all you know, I'm perfectly happy with this being all we know about the Milkman and Spike Milligan and 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 in parentheses and open parentheses. <laughs> I agree.
2: I, and I, I think the problem with having part two, even though, we, had, as we discussed last week, I think part two was written before part one. Um, it was actually published. It, it, was, it just seems interesting that, like, you know, you read this one and it's so impressionistic. And I've used that word a lot in the last episode, too, to describe some of his other works, especially like Kane Rose Up. But... What I like about this one is that, yeah, you don't get a lot. You just get little touches of, like, what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. You don't find out what those consequences are going to be. It's, like, almost like watching a teaser trailer. And that's all yeah. I need, mean, yeah. you know? But does that warrant being included in this book? I think as as just a short little story like this mm-hmm. to break things up, sure. you know, just, like, just give it a little bit of a change and a flow. Yeah. Like we were discussing last week with, like, the poems and all. I think it does. I yeah. think it, I think it's fine if it was just this and they called it the Milkman, I yeah. would have been fine. I don't need this long, drawn out like morning deliveries, Milkman number one, like he's you know, like Elliot Smith over here with his like fucking song titles. The, but the just, second
1: the second Milkman was it's so bad. It's awful. Well,
3: And it's just so different. Yeah. From this one, they don't go together at all. Like,
1: I think when so, I was young, I was excited that
2: I was going to get more of the milkman, you know, like, and then I'm like, yeah. who
3: the fuck are these
1: guys? But then they also <laughs> weld in,
2: like, we didn't really, I mean, went into it obviously last week, but then you have like these unnecessary story parts, like this, the gaping hole on the back with it. It to do with the water. No, it's cool, but it's it's like, what does this have to do with the fucking snoring? I
3: I don't know. Both Milkmans are my lowest rated ones. Mm. Uh, This is number 17 for me, I think. Mm. I actually liken it to Tiger. I think it's like a stupid gimmick that doesn't (laughs) entrance me. Like, his whole, uh, put a spider in the milk can, and this one's filled with deadly cyanide gas. And like, Yeah. yeah, I guess if you enjoy that gimmick, it can be an enjoyable story. But for me, I was like... Whatever, well, forgettable.
4: What you mentioned earlier, I think is what I actually liked about it, is you said it's kind of the suburban angle is interesting right, mm-hmm. right off the bat, right? I love stories, especially in a short story, where you have to kind of go back and reread what you just, what you just read because you can't believe it. you know. Like you're going along. I thought this was going to be like a folksy story, for example. Mm-hmm. I thought this was going to be a normal story about we're following a milkman in a small town. I had to go double back and see what exactly he was doing with that tarantula. And then by the time you figure out exactly what's going on, the story's over with. And that's why I think once again this works as like a short reprieve in between. What's well, right before this, Randall? By the way, um, Uncle Otto's truck, which is a little bit longer, you mm-hmm. know. And then of course it sets the table for the brilliance of of, of, <laughs> of Milk 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 man, too. <laughs> Big wheel. What's it called? Big wheels. <laughs> Big wheels. Laundry,
0: Big
5: wheels. Laundry day. Keep on
4: turning. So again, for me, I, I liked. I liked Milk it. It was man. offbeat. It was bizarre. You're, you're following this bizarre person. <laughs> who is a secret secretive person and it worked for me. I liked it.
1: I like I like the I like what you said, Mike, and I agree with a lot of what you're saying just out just like it, it is sort of a uh, breather, mm-hmm. but yeah. it, it's a Stephen King breather, which means that it's short, um, substanceless and but cruel. Like and, yeah. and, like, it, it yeah. gives you sort of the dopamine rush of evil and
2: cruelty without yes. having any story. And that's a big part of this book. It's yeah. just how merciless and but cruel everything is. Is
3: it yeah. cruel? Because it's presented as so normal. Like, well, that's why Like, the fact why that he cruel. says, that, you know, yeah. the day that he could deliver a spider was, like, a great day for a spike. And it seems like no one in this town is, like, either they are just getting this spider and thinking it's milk. Like, I don't want to dissect it too much because I do agree that, like, the impression is the most important thing. You don't yeah. want to dig too deep and be like, "Do they yeah. know there's a spider?" Yeah. Um, but I feel like to pull that off, I would need I would need more atmosphere than what I'm getting. Well, sure. There's sure.
4: also the, that strange description about the truck itself. Well, this is like there's like a meat yeah. in the truck. No, that, that, so, that that's that, my problem.
2: You brought up a good point, and this is something that I was really driving home last week: is that there are so many points of this book where I had to just stop, go back, yeah. reread, stop go back reread because he's just pretzeled his stories like i mean the monkey itself like i read passages from it last week that are just so insane where you can just tell maybe it is the cocaine that's speaking where he just he's so in his own little narrative that he doesn't realize that you're really cracking what could be a short premise by just over or just holding yeah. back details when you I, don't need to it reads like, like he might
3: be trying to avoid cliche kind of yeah. like oh it's cliche for someone to be in orphan or for them to lose their parents let's do this convoluted like aunt thing where like his mom died later and
2: even grandma does it to a point like they don't mention like and i like and i like grandma a lot but like there are little (laughs) details there that they just they they withhold until like the fourth page and we're just like what was the point of that like there's a difference
4: between something like this and the monkey i think the monkey right off the bat there's a monkey you know, and there's something Ronald's monkey. monkey. There is but a monkey this, in the monkey. This lulls you into a kind of a comfort zone for a while. I think yeah. it's deliberate that it lulls you into thinking he's just a normal milkman yeah. going up in the neighborhood and all of a sudden next thing you know, the tarantula there's a tarantula. Line. I think that's a specific... I don't think that's like I don't think that's no,
5: sloppy. No, I,
2: I think that's I fine. No, I'm not saying that's sloppy. I'm yeah. saying like with the descriptions that you're saying like here, like there are a lot of situations, even when the great story is where I'm just like, Wait, 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 what what are you what are you trying to say here? Like even in beach world and stuff like that, where he's trying to describe things. And I just don't know if he gets there occasionally mm-hmm. or like he does, but it requires yeah. like going back. And it that's breaks what I'm the saying flow. about the
3: atmosphere. Yeah. Like I think what I would have wanted from milkman is for like a child to come out, grab the tarantula bottle and be like, thanks Mr. Milkman. And then run back <laughs> in. Like I, it's not clear to me whether or not the town perceives these things as normal or not. Yeah. And I think that's really cool if they do but it seems it wasn't.
1: Well, it, it speaks to what I think is interesting is you can tell that he was this was a larger project. And I think that's ultimately maybe what hurts it because maybe he's withholding those sorts mm-hmm. of things because that was another chapter he'd written or he was bringing that out later. And this was just sort of the introduction of the character. I don't feel like he went back and really made this into a standalone short story. And it doesn't feel like it works with a beginning, middle, and end. It's an introduction to a character that we
2: only see in the closing moments of the next story. Are are we supposed to assume that this is the first time that he's really going gung-ho and delivering all these things? No, because it says... Yeah, he, any
3: day where he could deliver a spider was a good day for him.
2: being like a, a psychotic thing to think. Really? I don't
3: think he was
4: thinking that he had done this before. Yeah, exactly. If it's, if it's a small town, I just don't know how... Yeah, oh, I thought
3: point. it was like an everyday, like he gives. Like I thought
2: it was, was like too. particularly yeah. this day. He's like, I'm going. I'm doing it. See, this is the yeah. problem. Like, yeah. I want
3: to know which one it but
2: is. I, that's what I kind of like about the open-ended...
4: Nothing's, def- nothing's definite in this, but I don't think it's an annoying um, open-ending
2: by any means. I, I, I think it's effective. I enough. do. No, it's yeah. not like uh, being told that they're... In an attic, but you don't know where the attic is. But then they're also staying in a motel. But then you don't know where the motel is. Oh, they have another job. That's a different job. That's Are you by...
1: talking about the monkey? I am again. <laughs> this is
4: a book. Where they that... just skip over all the best parts. Like, and then this person died. But nah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk about my father again. Ooh, nasty uh-uh. bad. Coco the monkey. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> let's move on. Uh, well, any uh, what else do we think about the milkman? Um, I think we're about to get into the... The real good stuff, in my opinion, going yeah. forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little lactose intolerant at this
2: point.
1: Yeah, well, you know what? It is nice that we had a little bit of milk because, you know, my mouth's dry from being filled with so much sand. Oh, God. That I consumed while at Beach World. <laughs> um, What's your favorite? Is it West World, Future World, or
2: Beach World? Got to go with, um, what the fuck is Future World? Oh, that's the oh, one have the a robots. sequel to West World. I don't even watch West World and I knew that. Um, There's actually a movie called Future World. That was oh, is, is it really? Westworld? What
3: about yeah. Water World?
2: Ooh. Uh i I'm go with Waterworld. That's a spin-off. No, I like What West about world. Jurassic World? I think I'm the only one <laughs> I think I'm the only one here who likes uh likes Westworld. Maybe there's a yeah. world a cinematic world universe where they could have like all these movies like linked together.
1: if Water if they found a way to put Waterworld and
4: Westworld together I am 100% in. It's very simple. Waterworld takes place probably hundreds of years in the future. They could just say, hey, oh, yeah, a couple hundred years ago, we had Android theme park. <laughs> Legit, the all, <laughs> end. All I
3: bought it. I wanted from this season of Westworld, and they, I guess they did it with the other world that they were exposed to, but I wanted it to go even crazier. Like, I wanted the first season to end with a dinosaur, like, coming into yeah. the Westworld or, like, buy a dragon. The off-
5: the head. <laughs> well,
1: I think that if we, if we stick around for the end of season two of Westworld, we're going to meet Beachworld, mm. which is where this story takes place. Number nine. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't take place there, but it does take place in another planet. And I guess like if, if there's a, a connective tissue between my thoughts on Beach World and Milkman is that it feels like a smaller part of a bigger idea. I like the story to a degree. I prefer here here be tigers. I no, I loved on last week's episode <laughs> when Dan kept saying Here Be Tigers, which is <laughs> know, it was so good. But no, um I Long i John Silver talking. I I, I I like the I like the whimsical nature of I mean I agree with you on Here There Be Tigers. Um, uh, just to say that I know it's not great, but I just enjoy the hell out of it. Whereas like Beach World, I like to a degree, but I found it a little bit annoying in terms of like King sort of um, half-ass introduces these sci-fi concepts, these sci-fi languages, like people speaking oh another God. language using he a phrase. you should
3: never write Space Pigeon. I know. Like, it's so bad. And
1: like phrases like drone head and then grok like oh i grok that or something and he only uses it once and it's like what are you doing like don't don't introduce like sci-fi
2: lingo if you're not going to like really create that world see i i agree with you on the little bits and pieces there i disagree in the sense that i i actually thought this was really good as a capsule sort of story it reminded me a lot of like the twilight zone which a lot of these stories do i mean obviously this was published in weird tales which was you know it's like a fantasy horror fiction pulp magazine. Well, 1984. So, per- so in like like 1984. This came out, Yeah. yeah. So, and, yeah like, let's, it's let's perfect. Break... It's perfect in the sense that like for that, because it, it really is just like a setup. Like it reminded me a lot of like, uh, God, we referenced the episode, I think last week, actually it was the twilight zone where they land on the, the planet. Oh, or they yep, think it's the planet it's shot in narrow the, into the air. They, yeah. And it reminded sky. me of that a little bit, except that they actually did land on the yeah. planet. Well, let's, a mon- yeah. Yeah. we'll talk about that. Let's
1: break down the plot. So Shapiro and Rand are two spacemen. Mm-hmm. Um, they're uh <laughs> Sp- well they're 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 feds so like that's what they're called because when they meet up with the trader later mm-hmm. and basically they crash land onto this planet and it is a beach planet and there's Which no water in just sight sand. yeah it's just sand and it's these big rolling dunes and like the oil slick in the raft and i feel like other thing other things that's like i feel like that's another uh, theme in this is being like mesmerized by some kind of darkness that's one of the, that's one of, that's one of the twinners i have here actually. yeah it's yeah, story yeah and
4: a couple other stories actually. yeah
1: and so basically rand becomes um very taken with staring off at the sand while shapiro d- dives back into the uh spaceship and is trying to put together the beacon so they can be found and then in a very surprising twist a traitor spaceship comes down with all these droids again another example of like i feel like king watched star wars and he's like i'm gonna make i'm gonna make a dcr 2 my own it did, it did C3PO. Make me think of solo
2: a lot actually yeah we had, so.
1: and so yeah that was uh
2: what was if it was han solo
4: face. who like was the the guy <laughs> who landed he just writes him into the story yeah <laughs> it, was, it was originally called solo a beach world story.
2: <laughs> wait, yeah halfway through it's just like uh hey kid what's that ship over there and it's like what's your name i'm han solo captain of the millennium falcon and you're like wait because
4: i guess hey the millennium falcon is still mine
2: <laughs>
4: um, Randy, we got to get off this planet In addition we... to that twist, there's also one more twist Ooh, what, Oh, the, that the planet
5: Is alive The and that sand is, what, is and
4: alive that Is why I actually do enjoy the stories yeah. so they, they pull off two twists In a short period of time mm-hmm. You think, first of all, it's just going to be this Kind of shipwrecked story set yeah. in space And then you think when the, the Traders come, it's a mirage At least I did I didn't think it was real. I did too. And then yeah. it the is rescue? real. The rescue people. Okay. I thought that that was just a uh, imagination. And then it is real. Mm-hmm. And you just think that the other guy's crazy and that the sand's not alive and then the sand is alive and it's over it's just like a pulpy good short story yeah for me. Like yeah
2: it. although it, it does play into the thing that i love to bring up where it's like the minute it's inferred it's got to be <laughs> real because king does that yeah although he's done that so many times in this book that you do start wondering like well is the insanity playing because I, I agree I, I i actually thought the ship was a mirage also i, I yeah. definitely didn't
3: think they were getting out of there like,
2: yeah i, I didn't was either. very
3: surprised yeah. that they exactly
4: so yeah. there's something i don't know it really
2: again it goes back to the structure
4: yeah. of it this works i think for me randall this actually does work as a a to Z story. I don't think that this is open ended or sure. that I starts th- in the middle or anything. Like
1: that. I do, I agree with you in that the sense that I think the story is well told. It's the world feels half assed.
3: I, f- I feel like you can write a sci fi story of this length where you feel like, wow, this person really thought of a language and the short glimpse of it that I get oh, is, yeah. I mean, is cool and everything. And I don't think it succeeds. The language. Sure. I-
4: it just didn't affect the story for me though. Really. It didn't, I didn't no. I mean if it was if it was ongoing throughout and he just kept throwing in like just pulling letters from the alphabet as i as i scratched the door for some reason <laughs> as i pull letters from as I, as I speak of words i just like to but in ooh, general I like, I like why
3: in general um, king's sci-fi lingo and presentation it never works for me like yeah the whole new dollars the whole like
0: oh from um, was it running man yeah, from <laughs> yeah running that's man, all crap even in the
3: john ja- like my least favorite parts of the john are like yes. this is what the future is yeah. like yeah um, yeah no
1: I agree wholeheartedly I think it's just that it, if if it were just maybe the grok and stuff like that I'd be fine but it's bringing all these droids out and the way the ship works and it's like and just all Those of, weren't and the then droids then you were looking for the comp <laughs> like comp source or whatever like just all this like bullshit as,
4: that, uh, speaking of uh, properties that were probably influenced by that, don't you think that uh, the
2: mummy from the '90s was influenced by this when the sand came yeah. to life? Ah, that's, uh, the mummy. A lot of there are a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, '90s and early aughts films that we're pulling from this, uh, and I'm going to get to those. in the oh, little nice. bit. But I, what I here's the thing I love about science fiction is that I don't need the specifics to always work out. Yeah. I just need the, for lack of a better word, the MacGuffin or some sort of thing. And for like me, like some of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes. Some of them aren't necessarily w- well written with regards to di- dialogue because a lot of it could be just expository where you just, you just they have to explain everything. But mm. because it's such an original concept and so frightening and so weird that it ends up sticking with me forever. The idea that sand, little granular things that you just know are grounded up from pieces of rock and from years and years and years, the fact that it, it's like sentient mm. is terrifyingly me. Yeah. It gets everywhere. What if it, it gets everywhere? Yeah. It's I love that. Love that. Yeah. And, and just having somebody
4: full of sand, much yeah. like somebody full of oil in Uncle Al's truck mm-hmm. is also a nightmare. It's haunting. Well,
1: it's yeah. like the ending is so perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'll just read that right now because it's so good. So as sh- after Shapiro and the captain and everyone fly away, and I love the insinuation that when Shapiro's passing out that he senses that it feels like the hand is trying to pull the spaceship out of the sky, yeah, but yeah. we don't actually know whether or not that happens. That's such a great 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 little moment. But I love the ending. So Rand watched them go. He was sitting down. When the track of the Traders' Jets was at last gone from the sky, he turned his eyes out to the placid endlessness of the dunes. We got a 34 wagon and we call it a woody. He croaked to the empty moving sand. It ain't very cherry. It's an oldie but a goodie. Slowly, reflectively, he began to cram handful after handful of sand into his mouth. He swallowed, swallowed, swallowed. Soon his belly was a swollen barrel and sand began to drift over his legs. I love that. It's gross. It's such a great, creepy ending. That's like, it's like, there's a lot of cool, like, I remember when we talked about Don Smakov. like, he talked about different kinds of horror. And one of the things he talked about was uh, revulsion. And, like, that was, like, the basis kind of horror. And I feel like he indulges in that a lot here, just with, um, obviously, with Survivor Type and with The Raft. Uh, just really grisly shit, and I really love, like, that's such a unique form of revulsion and disgusting. Like, I you, I get a grain of sand in my mouth, and I'm, like, spitting, doing everything in my power to spit it out. So the idea yeah. of just, like, sh- filling your mouth with it and let it, f- the feeling of it going down your throat is, like, so disgusting to me. I
3: almost feel like this fits, even though it's not mentioned, it fits the do you love theme, because it's this weird, monstrous element that is corrupting someone's mind by appealing to their human nostalgia and like this weird Beach Boys yeah. connection. And it's hypnotizing when you look at it and it brings to mind these human emotions and yeah. it kind of just turns all that against you. Yeah, um, Is The Raft one of your Twitter stories that you're maybe going to talk well, about? You know,
4: but- a little bit, yeah, but in a different way. I think that goes to... What is the opposite? I've always thought about it. What is the opposite of claustrophobia? Agoraphobia. Agoraphobia, yeah. Now, agoraphobia, isn't that when you're surrounded by... Your fear of open, open spaces. spaces. Okay, well in that case, and this is agoraphobia. Mm-hmm. I was I think g- it,
3: gonna complain about the fact that it's a hand that erupts and tries to grab the ship as if like this planet knows that hands are recognizable <laughs> yeah. and scary. Like I, I it's I another about planet. That, yeah. like, I, I think it's a good visual though. I, I mean it is I a good like visual, visual, but it doesn't make Maybe
1: sense. Maybe it's the hand of God well, from the Stan mini series. You know, none of this but, makes sense. <laughs> well, I just
3: convinced myself out of it because of the whole like Beach Boys thing. Yeah. Like it's it's in your mind, it's yeah. like in your head, and it's gonna. What if that
4: came out? And just said "surfs up." <laughs>
3: <laughs> just give a thumbs up or a cowabunga, peace. Like,
4: like peace out. <laughs> Brian
1: Wilson slowly rises from the sand. Oh, a request.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: okay, well, yeah, so that's Beach World. <laughs> um, well, any other thoughts on Beach World? I got one weird observation. Okay, and it's kind of towards the end, and it's when the captain says. I want to get out of here. It's been 14 years since I had a cock, but right now I feel like I'm pissing myself. It's because he doesn't have legs, but then and he's like a a a cyborg, right? Is he a cyborg? Yeah. Because is it like a Robocop thing? It's
3: the future, Mike.
2: I know it's the future, but... (laughs) I think it's like a General Grievous situation where he's like part human,
4: part robot. I
3: think it's actually General Grievous.
2: It is General Grievous. That would be amazing. So we have Han Solo.
3: Han Solo, General Grievous. (laughs) They have to team up for this rescue Who's mission. Paul, what's he, Paul
4: Bettany's character? Like, Chi Lu or something like that? Well, what's his name? My husband. He's great in it. But, uh,
2: never saw it. Very good. Just kidding. Very Jennifer mind Connelly, device. I would
3: never do that.
4: I would.
2: So Constant we'll listener Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> yeah, so wait, does he? Uh, he loses his legs because the sand goes into that. So he is just this kind of. He's not human though. He's a different alien, maybe. Or I don't know. But what,
4: the bomb is, he's got a lot of android parts that replaces his sentient or human. He's or part life. man, part machine. Yeah. Okay. So like, like robocop So RoboCop's in it's this RoboCop. It's yes. RoboCop. Yes. So you have
2: Han Solo, RoboCop, General Grievous. Everyone's RoboCop in, everyone is General Grievous. <laughs> everyone's having fun at Beach World. uh Sounds like.
1: Beach World meets Ready Player One. Mm. Hey, sign me up. Don't give me any ideas. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm- Have you guys ever noticed that um, when you look like in, in hot weather and you look at the sand, like a mirage can form oh, like and yeah, sometimes it can be, you know, sometimes you can see things in the mirage, mm. no, things like, like
3: really reflective mirage. Yeah. yeah.
1: Things like the reaper's image
4: man that's a great transition which is
1: our number eight story and notable because this was stephen king's first professional sale as
0: a writer well
4: i say congratulations
2: He was in his, what, late
4: teens? Yeah. Maybe 20? Like when he he's going to go out. places. This, is,
2: this was published in spring 1969. And one
4: of the lamest magazine titles I've ever heard in my life.
2: Startling mystery stories. As
4: opposed to predictable mystery yeah.
2: stories. <laughs> Do you like your
4: uh, mystery stories? I like startling. them startling. Wait,
3: sometimes they are predictable, Justin, and then you're like, fuck. But why
4: would you name the
2: magazine... <laughs>
4: Oh, these mystery stories know. are startling.
2: It's supposed to like these are eh, these are kind what, of do, lame do, mystery stories. Do you think there are like you know editorial meetings sometimes where uh, it's like Donovan, what do you got for me? And then they, you know, he reads his stuff. <laughs> And then he's like, look, Donovan, this is startling mystery stories, not uh, meandering mystery stories. Not milk toast. Take it back. I would just love that. Milk toast toast mystery stories. Tepid
3: mystery story.
2: I would just love it if all
1: rejection letters were just not startling enough. Not startling. Yeah, I like it. With quotation marks.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, not startling material. Stevens was. Startling enough because it was published, mm, yeah. and I gotta agree. I thought this was an effective short story. I really did. I what happens of, in it? Well, we get kind of a dickish, prickish, <laughs> I'll go with prickish collector that wants to come in and look at this incredible name, by the way. You know his name? Say his name Spangler? Uh, Johnson Spangler. Johnson Spangler. <laughs> Sounds like a fake critic. And this predates Egon Spangler.
3: Johnson Spangler. It's really close to Johnson Dangler. Oh.
2: That would be a that would be a very interesting a story name, like name for this story. an erect mystery story and then an also ar-
1: George Carlin <laughs> George Carlin's in this well there's Mister Carlin I assume it's George
4: oh, yeah well He's when like, he, you Mr. know plays-
3: Stephen King hints at it it's
4: yeah it's true wait is that He's- is that why the curator keeps talking about the differences between baseball and football
2: <laughs> <laughs> who's but this no. Jersey girl basically this collector comes in wants to see this rare mirror. That's made with a particular mineral that makes it, it's like almost like a magnifying effect and only a few of them are made and it's an Elizabethan, a diver, diver, a diver. So they go upstairs and this mirror has been moved to the attic mm. for some reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they, he kind of gives a backstory about what, what's going on with this. A lot mirror of nice time. little exposition as they're, yeah. they're working their way up. It kind of works almost like a horror movie trailer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, like if they, you know, the, for the haunting or something, mm-hmm. but, uh, finally get there and he hints at a story of that. You see something in the mirror. Yeah. And what is this something? Uh, it's like a dark spot, a little dark spot. Yeah. And, uh, our Spangler sees something. Hmm. Hmm.
1: I love the restraint. I do too. Of it. Like yeah. it, it is that simple. Mm-hmm. And I love that even at that young age, he, he didn't like, it wasn't like a giant skeleton, like standing no. behind you and
2: you looked in the mirror. It was like no. just a little dark <laughs> spot. No, it's oh it's, it's, my it's, god, <laughs> like in a top hat. <laughs> so bottom line, Spangler goes missing. Cause, uh, if you see something in this mirror, that something happens to be the Reaper, and, uh, and even if you fear it or you don't fear it, <laughs> you're gone and, and you vanish. Uh, you just you just which go is off. So
3: cool! You don't you don't just die; you
4: disappear. That's <laughs> what I love because I, yeah. again, you could have had some. He died of a heart attack. Yeah, or, you know, but I like the fact he goes down the stairs. Then, and you, you we don't happen. know what's gonna happen yeah. now, but he but um, what's his name? George Carlin knows. <laughs> but then, I've that, seen that, people that's disappear. I, and that is a good example of once again. This works great as a real-time mm-hmm. short story where it basically takes place of, Hi, I'm, I'm George Carlin. Gonna, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about this mirror as we go up the steps to the attic. Seven here's the dirty mirror. Words. Yeah, Story's over seven with. Dirty seven dirty words. words. One of them is the Reaper. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, very effective, I feel. It's a very, um, yeah, and, like, I feel like a lot of
1: comparisons are made to Edgar Allan Poe with this one. Mm-hmm, and I think yeah. King was probably reading a lot of Poe at the time. And, yeah, it's it's the restraint that I think really makes it. And, like you guys mentioned, and, you know, just that, even the idea of the kid wandering away from the tour in the story that they yeah, tell. Yeah. And then they just never found him. That, to me, is, like, very, very eerie. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. And
3: I love the, like you were saying, the restraint where, at first, the buyer is, like, Oh, you said it wasn't damaged. There's a piece of black, like gaffer's yeah. tape in the corner. Like he thinks it's just like this little bit of tape, but it's like it's not.
1: <laughs> well, it's one of those cool um stories too where the note it ends on is really cool because it's kind of like just waiting. Yes. Um, like you know something, like awaiting your fate, you know what I mean? It's like uh, – and it ends sort of on that note, which is very cool. I mean the raft is kind of like that too and also uh, Beach World. I mean just with Ran, like he, like whatever fate is awaiting him, we leave him as he's on the verge of experiencing it. You know,
4: The yeah. ending, not necessarily the story itself, but the ending kind of reminds me of this – episode of um, do you remember Ray Bradbury Theater from the yes. 80s yeah it, anyway Martin Scorsese did one no joke called Mirror Mirror with Sam Waterston mm-hmm. and it is horrifying basically every time he looks in the mirror he sees somebody getting closer and closer to him and at one point in the story he just thinks it is just some weird mark the mirror is it on mirror. Plato's truck it's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it ends with him getting filled with oil at the very <laughs> end great great yeah, like, no, 22 it's... minutes it's really effective the makeup's incredible on this kind of weird demon looking really? guy behind him it's really good, but yeah, a lot of that reminded me of of what was found here. I'm sure he, uh, King has talked about it a thousand times too. He's also a Bradbury fan, so I I'm not surprised think at all.
3: This is like, I mean, it is poish, I guess, but like, it's almost believable because not yeah. everyone sees the Reaper, so mm. it's not like one of those where you're like, well, if this mirror was real, someone would have like scientifically examined it <laughs> and like yeah. blah blah blah. But it totally fits into this like urban legend narrative where. The antique dealer knows it's real because he's seen someone disappear, but everything else is like spooky conjecture from the past, and it's, I think it's such a cool setting, and it's such a nice length, and it's really good. It's,
4: it's like uh, an adult, scary, to tell in the dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, collection. You know, it's perfect length, I think. Yeah, agreed. Like in this it's instance,
1: creepy. I feel like it's a really good. Uh, beginning, middle, and end yeah. short mm-hmm. story that is um, very elegant and very spooky and doesn't oversell itself. It yeah, doesn't get, over overstrain over itself. You get a fun little rapport between the two
0: characters. Yeah. Yeah. You
3: know? King is really good at writing um, like caretakers or people who yeah. live in the presence mm-hmm. of spooky things and <laughs> try to convince doubters not to do something, but are let, then slowly like have to capitulate and like let them do the thing. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of 1408 and like, yeah. Yeah.
0: um,
3: Halloran even like,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. it,
3: it's so hard to convince someone that this thing really is supernatural. And then they have to be like, oh, fine. I'm so resigned. I mm-hmm. guess I'm going to watch you fucking die. Like
4: yeah.
3: <laughs> um. we
2: know what's going to happen. Um, do we, are we, do we get the understanding that like Carlin has tried to see it? And, and can't? he doesn't
3: like to look at it, but no, not everyone sees it. Yeah.
2: yeah. I don't
3: think they go into like, oh, if you don't see it before, can you like come to see it? I think it's like if you see if it you the see, one you time you're gone. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm. No, it's good. I mean, there's not much to say, though. It's like such a simple, elegant story. Would you look? A
3: hundred percent. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent.
1: Yes. I don't think I would. Would
3: not be not able to. Look. I genuinely
1: think I would be able to not look and I wouldn't look.
2: I'd be too scared. What do you think you vanished to? Ooh. Hell, Beach World, Beach World, Beach World. <laughs> <laughs> it's a prequel to Beach World. Maybe this one, is one other note. I think
4: is once again we talked about this. Like, God, it, was, it has been a year. The idea that Salem's Law is actually still out there, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and to think that this mirror is still up in the attic somewhere yeah. too, which yeah, is, is a creepy. Uh, creepy to harp movie. on
3: my like newly found seduction theme, <laughs> there's a lot of like. That in this book, and this is one of those things where it's like, would you look in the mirror? Like, this weird, creepy object is seducing you. The sand is seducing you. The raft and the oil slick is seducing Mm -hmm. you. That's interesting. Jonah is seducing you. I was going to say,
5: (laughs) you know who else seduces people? Hello, this is Jason, co host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80 movies 50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Who's that? Nona. Mm. Our number seven story...
1: Mel kind of uh, took the steam out of my uh, transition there. but what did she set it up for you? She was making a very
4: good point.
3: I'm your friend and ally. <laughs> <laughs> Don't create division on this
5: podcast.
4: <laughs> um, this is so, her last recorded one here, so let's, let's try to stay on level ground. Please. Where was uh, this published? That's a great question, Randall. This was the year 1978, and I like the name of this publication, Shadows. Ooh. Simple, evocative, good point. <laughs> sexy, seductive. <laughs> <laughs> like i like my shadows
3: like, oh damn okay
0: um,
4: and then what happens in well this, story? this is a return to castle rock yes it is i love and this, this is a story that sees the brief return of Ferntesio from the body aka stand by me mm-hmm. and of course one of the great bullies <laughs> ace merrill, one, ace of merrill. Bullies. <laughs> one of the great bullies the great gatsby the great bully <laughs> ace merrill is one of
1: my all-time favorite characters in literature and right. he's only mentioned here, but <laughs> <laughs> he's
4: a jerk. Here. I still
1: love him. Uh, but no, I think this. Yeah. So basically it tells a story of uh, he's unnamed. Right. Just kind of like a hitchhiker. Unnamed, um, yeah. And he meets this woman in a diner who he's very smitten with. And she basically encourages him to kill a bunch of innocent people. And then they go to a graveyard and she turns into a giant rat. And then he gets mm. arrested, and he's writing all this down as he's about to commit suicide. So it's a
4: nice happy it's a little bit story. More
0: complicated than that, <laughs>
4: well, but <laughs> and now we'll go into it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but true. Sure, and this is also this would be the second of the "Do You Love" trilogy, but the first one we're going to talk about.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah.
4: And in this instance, the "Do You Love" is coming from Nona, oh, no, not correct mm-hmm. to to him.
3: Well, and I think in his kind of just like mind, and yeah. she's influencing him, and. So he is hear Nona, He hears it in his, in his own head as Is well. Nona oh,
4: real yeah. or is she in his head? Well, she's, that's a good question. Well, yeah. she's obviously not alive, but I believe, I think that she is a ghost that somehow worked its way Do into. other people
3: acknowledge her though? Yeah. Like in the diner. and Yeah,
4: exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But she's not, she was never actually yeah, but alive. but he could just be imagining that too. That's also possible. <laughs> Again, because we've got an unreliable narrator here too. Yeah, this that's, that's first what I love person, about it. Which is also. When it's told yeah, to.
3: they let her in the car. The hitchhiker or the drivers see her and Let her in because she's yeah, but pretty. we have an
4: unreliable narrator. Yeah. No,
3: but he can't hitch a ride without. Wait, her. Maybe,
4: maybe he was able to though. Hey, maybe, maybe he's he bad in his eyes. I don't know what's going on. Yeah,
3: I think people can see her.
4: It, but that's a good thing. But we don't know. But I no. like that. It's very no, I possible. Think,
3: I think. I think they can. Well, let's just
1: Mel's say. Let, <laughs> let's just say that the, the evidence is on your side, Mal. But it's yeah. important to have opposing I think you guys voices.
4: Should believe women. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh
2: no. <laughs> well, is this a moment? <laughs> Are we having a moment? <laughs> I, I think you have to ask the, yourselves, like. If she is real, how does that change the story? And if she isn't, how does that also change the story? Because, I mean... She and there was never talks been to
3: the driver of the car.
2: <laughs> I know, I know, unreliable. Like narrator. she can be a
3: ghost. I'm totally that. Well, yeah, I'm on board sorry. Yeah, what, what like, I'm saying is,
2: she, she wasn't actually a, a
4: living woman. She was a spirit of some kind. That's what mm-hmm. I was. Yeah, think we totally. Actually do agree That's about. fine. Yeah. But
3: like, she's present.
4: Yeah, no, she is. But but he's also but crazy. What if she wasn't? <laughs> Wait, what if she was never there? What if the trucker was never there? No, well, no, no. They, but
2: they but mentioned at the here, end that everyone that was a witness says that there was just only him there. So boom. No, I mean that's a that's a big. Yeah. I mean, King isn't very overcomplicated with those type of details. If he's <laughs> saying that, it means he he's trying to infer that like this. He really is he lost his mind. I mean, the fact that like it ends with him saying like I definitely saw her and it was. I mean, this is what he says at the end. For that, I think this also stems
4: from we, we get a good glimpse of his childhood growing up and major incidents that really disturbed him. For instance, for me, there's a lot of great moments in the short story. But for me, him going down, I think it's to the basement. I alluded to earlier, and watching the rat yeah. as the rat is giving birth scoop up the the spire that's crossing by yeah. is such an, a disgusting grotesque image that just that haunts me much like the unnamed narrator it's
3: the miracle of life Justin yeah but there's
4: that know, weird I always think about friends of mine giving birth and just eating passing cats as they walk by
2: <laughs> hey that's what uh you know in alf's world that's what they would do hey Willie Willie um <laughs> It's our uh, second alpha. Hey Nona, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting with like the spider rat yeah. imagery, mm-hmm. and I kind of wanted to know what everyone's thoughts on that was. Is was is the spider the unnamed narrator? That's what I'm. And then the rat is Nona, mm-hmm. or it's a, it's a strange image that in a metaphor I, I wasn't able to really. There's a lot happening here. I think whole, also. Yeah, go ahead, Nona.
3: The whole rat thing yeah. is like the primal underbelly of man's nature right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rats are known for being these like dirty, violent, festering creatures and he gets a glimpse of that when he's younger and Nona then feeds into those impulses, those darker primal impulses that he has Mm -hmm. that have been cultivated by people who have treated him like a rat for his whole life. Um, And that's
4: why he recalls the emasculation mm -hmm. at the hands of Ace when he beats the shit out of him because he's talking to his girlfriend
2: so there's a lot of that going on too There are a lot of like really cool nuggets of truth that King laces in here that speak like a lot of universal truths that he laces throughout this story that I really was finding myself underlining. And had I had an AIM account still, I would probably use that as my away message. But um, <laughs> but uh, no, the the thing that I really think is interesting is this idea that we tend to wrap our identity around those that we love. And, and I feel like that's a commentary that King is also making here, especially with including the Ace Merrill storyline and mm-hmm. how he the way he treats women and the way he basically almost acts as if it's it's his own pro- property. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of commentary in that respect going on here. And maybe I'm just going off on a fucking No,
4: tangent, I, I but- think there's a lot you can glean from the story. I, I, something else I want to touch on is he really does capture, he, he's done a lot of stories about the winter, whether it's before this or after this. And I think he does capture winter, specifically in Castle Rock, really well here because a lot of this did remind me of the winter time in the Dead Zone, for instance. Yeah. When, during the whole... Um, the Frank Dodd story and everything else, mm-hmm. uh, just the unrelenting cold, the darkness on the street, the sleet on the streets, and you know, obviously we live in Chicago, so we've experienced this too. But it's different to experience it in a small town as opposed to the big city where there's you know salt on the ground and it's you know it, 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 here it just seems so isolated and just so dreary and so and for him so desperate. I just I, I got a good idea, a good sense of just traffic lights you know reflecting off the street throughout. The setting, and like Mel, you touched upon, I think you had a problem with, what was it earlier on, atmosphere-wise, you didn't think there's was oh, like milk atmosphere, and Milkman, and I think was, the atmosphere is amazing here.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it really does, Cat, there's like such a stark quality to it that, um, you know, the the murders are so meaningless, you know, because he's just killing to kill, and it's, and I think that, that the setting really informs that, but it also speaks to, you know, like what you said, Mike, that there's, you know, if she's... A ghost or a, a creature versus a figment of his imagination or whatever. its a, They're very different stories. And, I mean, I'm very intrigued by the whole idea that, you know, people who have psychotic tendencies or are filled with rage and want to hurt people, they that we have to create, like, a vessel that we can project all of that onto that motivates us and, like, gives that meaning. Like, yeah. you know, if she's manifested, she's the manifestation of his rage, but also sort of she makes it romantic and she yeah. makes it justifiable in a way because it's it's born out of his infatuation for her. And so he's doing do you, it for love.
3: What do you make of the fact that he never stops loving Nona? Like, he's, you know, at the very end, true love never dies is, like, a common refrain, but he is still repulsed by what he hears in the walls and he hates the rats like it never really comes together right
4: and the last time he sees her she's turned into right, a rat and he
3: doesn't like that but yes. he still loves her
4: yeah I- well i think it might be just the sense
1: that there's a darkness inside of him that he is trying to ignore you know what i mean mm-hmm. and that maybe it keeps swelling up and and like that maybe like the reality of his of his crimes like the rats in the walls are the realization that he did all this on his
4: own—he yeah. doesn't want to accept—and well, that. that's a recurring theme too. Jerusalem's Lot, for example, the rats in the wall.
2: Yeah, yeah. I glossed
3: over the fact when I first read this that when they find him, he's by his family's grave. Yes,
2: exactly, and that's what I'm. That's why I think that it has to be a figment of his imagination, and I think a lot of it speaks to. There's a passage that kind of answers your question that you were saying before. What does Nona represent for him? Why does he still, you know, relish these, these feelings of her, even though he knows... He's that- a rat queen. Yeah, so like, <laughs> there, there's a that. section here, it's on page 421. He says, I could not fill up the hole in my life. Not the hole left by the girl when she said goodbye. I don't want to lay this at her door, but the hole that had always been there. The dark, confused swirling that had never stopped down in the middle of me. Nona filled that hole. She made me move and act. She made me noble. Now, maybe you understand a little of it, why I dream of her, why the fascination remains in spite of the remorse and the revulsion, why I hate her, why I fear her, and why even now I still love her. I think it just goes back to this idea that how much of our own identity is carved out by the relationships that we have with yeah. other people. And I, I, and I, I feel agree. like that's like a commentary of on the And what do we project on the people we love? Exactly. And I also yeah. talked about
4: emasculation earlier. And even at the very end, I re- we read this again, he, he, talks, he still talks about Betsy or Betty at the very end of this. Yeah. And he, he can't harp on the fact that, that he was rejected by this woman. And I just think that over time, if you just keep getting rejected, especially in this case for yeah, him, on- this has been discussed a lot in the last couple of years, obviously, with with, with, with what's been going on, is this sense of possession. Like, you just touched yeah. him on mic. But yeah.
3: also, there's a lot of, like, hatred and revulsion in regards to women. Like, yeah. at the very end, he says that her whole body had been turned into a womb, and then the rats are in there. Mm. And then he talks about how... I've always thought of sweat as a good thing, a masculine thing, mm-hmm, but sometimes yeah. in the heat there are bugs that bite spiders, for instance. You know that the female spiders sting and eat their mates, they do right after copulation. Also I've heard scurryings in the walls. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. So there is, I mean it's it's like this whole like a abuser mentality
4: yeah oh definitely this oh this sounds like it's anything. all blame he's it's
2: blaming this person not him for I mean, what and, he's been and, doing and think about all the lines that he just leaves these little nuggets of truth that could only come from someone that has had that that sort of pain of knowing what that isolation and feeling and and he says like when you're invisible you get to thinking you're invulnerable that's one line that he mm-hmm. says uh and then he there's another really weird even even creepier line that oh god that like really kind of creeped me out was um let me see.
4: Well, are you look at me, in terms of the invulnerability, every crime, every murder or attack he's committing is not smart by any means. He's leaving oh. plenty of proof oh, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. it's just rage and, and the
2: feeling of, well, I'll just do this because I'm going to do it. Well, oh. the the one thing he says that, uh, when he's at the dance... He's like, I was at that stage of the evening where you fantasize that everyone is looking at you, mm. the romantic stranger out of the corners of their eyes. He's so in his head, even in the past, you know, and, and especially when outside influencers are telling him like, no, 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 you can't do this. He's still so wrapped up in that romanticism of it. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's like King about head of his time talking about like the sort of like neckbeard white. I know. Things. I was literally that's 100%, you know? I was like that's this what I'm guy, thinking of. That's if this were of. modern, this, this guy would be hanging out in
1: 4chan, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like, and blaming everybody else for his problems. Yeah. I'm blaming women for his problems and probably really love Dr. Jordan Peterson. So, (laughs) it's dark stuff. Um, Final
4: thoughts on Nona?
3: Let us not forget that they do fuck. Yes. So, what do you think he's doing? Just,
4: like, pumping the snow? I think he's doing a little bit of the old uh, one-hand stand. (laughs) (laughs) If you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I do know what you're talking about. But here there's a paradox,
3: right? If you think that if it's hinted at, it's true, what do we make of Nona is, like, with him and she's interacting with people and then also him saying she wasn't there? Like...
2: I think the fact that he's so explicit at the end. I mean, this is literally what he says. This is this is the How last line. How about this? How
4: about this take? Nona is there the entire time, but there's something spiritual about it that the, that people either forget or don't actually see her or don't remember that they well, saw her. Yeah, it it's like every, follows thing. everyone
3: that does talk to her dies. Yeah. That's yeah, also that's true. The policeman dies. The trucker dies. The the person that picks them up in the truck Mm -hmm. dies. Well,
4: I guess the people watching the beatdown at the truck stop, they would would probably remember her, though, right? Well, it's it's very similar
2: to Psycho in the sense that, like, if you watch the first half of the movie, you assume that Norman Bates' mother is alive. Yeah. Because you have other people that talk about having spoken to her and seen her. And Mm -hmm. maybe it's, like, the same sort of thing where—I've never read the book, Psycho, but I wonder how they— present that I never read the book either you know it's pretty faithful I mean it's still a mystery until the very end I guess but because yeah, I wonder I mean, if that's the case here where you're supposed to just assume that they're seeing it, but really it's just actually this it's just him seeing it himself I mean there's been movies that do this all the time where there's somebody that's supposed to be there the whole time yeah. they actually have interactions but then you just assume that it was actually him doing all those interactions at yeah. time I think all I can do is I can
4: quote the great Paul Rust from Love who quoted another <laughs> film he said Steve Martin and Meryl Streep it's complicated <laughs> Oh, boy. Um, well, clearly,
1: Nona is a story where you can reach a lot of different conclusions, which oh, is God. which is uh, fitting because that brings us to our next story, which is called The Reach.
4: Where was this published, Justin? Thanks for asking. This is actually, appropriately enough, uh, published in 1981, which was a year after I was alive and apparently died because I said it was alive. <laughs> it was in the publication, uh, appropriately enough, Yankee. Which ah. fits the tone of this story, which kind of goes back to what Mike was talking about. This is de- this, this story would actually work for a New England esque publication. Yeah. So basically, it tells the story of who isn't it Stella? Stella Flanders. Stella, the oldest resident of Goat Island. <laughs> 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 One of Great, my favorite greatest of all time <laughs> island. Uh, it it goes back and forth between, or is it flash forward? I think it does. The italics are written in. The past. The written the past. Yes. And mm-hmm. then the present is just the regular font, correct?
1: Yeah. If there's one thing I struggle with with the story is I do not like the structure.
2: I don't like the structure. Um, um, you know.
1: The flashing back and forth. I, I feel like it, it's overcomplicated. complicated. For what is actually quite a simple, lovely story. Yeah, um, I think that the the switch between I, I think he's trying to give it sort of a dreamlike, lyrical kind of vibe, but I don't know. It it didn't really enhance the story for me. Um, and honestly, I don't think the story really gets going until she starts crossing the ice, starts crossing the reach. Um, but basically, it tells the story of a woman who um, has watched you know, she's very old. She's lived on this one island her entire life. Uh, King actually based it on um, a friend of his, uh, basically told him of a woman who did the same thing, that she lived on this isolated island near Maine, never left it once, uh, subsisted, you know, entirely um, on that island, and watched sort of everyone she knew leave the island, uh, build lives elsewhere, and um, and then she watched all these different people die, and a lot of the story is her reflecting on, you know, her husband passing away, various townspeople, various friends passing away. Her um, son at home. Yeah, her son. Some people on the um, reach itself. Uh, one guy did I, I don't know fall through the ice. One guy died trying to cross the reach, and um, and the reach is basically just to clarify the uh, basically the water between two um, two uh, land masses. So and then this one is apparently short enough that when it's frozen over, which is very rare, that the ice would be able to support someone that you can walk over it. So the end of the story finds her sort of knowing that her time is coming. Um, She decides to walk across the reach. And that was uh, in real life. The woman said that she didn't want to cross the reach until she died. So until she was a like, romantic notion. It's a very romantic notion, and I think King was uh, struck by that. So that's kind of what the story's well, about. And then and then the ending is really lovely. She you know, as she walks, um, she starts to see her husband and all the different people who have died in her life, and they all kind of usher her to the uh um, Donna Michi, Brimley show
4: up. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Gutenberg goes, Jesus Christ. Oh my god. Uh, I, you said that you didn't really get going for you until the actual crossing of the reach, which I agree is a great part of the story, but I actually really love the small town narrative here I actually really do enjoy it I think this is King once again speaking of his own personal experience just living in small towns growing up as a child I think for instance you should want to compare this to another quote unquote old person (laughs) story (laughs) such as Insomnia Mm -hmm. which I've talked about at length which I think is way too long and doesn't really hold up that well Love Insomnia I think I think it works really well here and this is another twinner for me I think that the winter time here the brutal winter here is much more romantic and lovely as opposed to the brutal winter of the to- the, the story we just talked about, and Nona. Interesting. So I think it's a good. I think that's King's able to capture the wintertime um, in different ways. That that's that's one thing I liked about it. It also felt like I, I wrote something I wrote. which just so lame. Here we go. <laughs> so I can't wait to read it. This tale is more Rockwellian, while Nona is more Bealzebuubian. <laughs> Beelzebubian sounds like a king phrase. It is a king a, phrase.
3: Uh, such a jarring contrast to the rest of the stories and how death is treated. Yeah. yeah. Like everything else, as Randall's been saying, is so merciless. Yeah. <laughs> and dying is disappearing and dying is embracing the worst parts of yourself and dying is random and awful and, and you are in a hell dimension. Like, yeah. whereas this is like, oh, they found her with her dead husband.
2: Yeah,
0: it's like <laughs> Nicholas Sparks,
2: uh, ghost wrote the, the book. Yeah, with them. Um, I was the bored out
3: of my gourd by this story. Really? Like oh, I yeah. really don't like it. It's fine. I guess I, I can't fault too much of the technicalities of it. Yeah. I do think it suffers from the problem that Mike gets frustrated with throughout this whole book which is like god there's so many fucking names and I like don't yeah. care about the family. How
4: this yeah. so
0: too high.
1: many names. Who, who,
4: what were the rankings on this? I don't uh, understand. Mel the gave three it of you didn't like it.
1: It was Mel had it at 9. Oh. Um Dan had it at 3. Okay. Uh the rest of us all had it at 6. Dan loves old people. Though, wait, wait, so, so it sounds like you didn't really like it,
4: Randall. But you had it 6?
1: I gave it a no, 6 I didn't say too. I you didn't, didn't too. like it? No, I actually I think the ending is is I think the last it's, like it's 5 last pages page. are yeah. are one of the best parts of the entire book. I agree. Um I just struggle a little bit with the way there. I agree with Mel that it is a little bit dull. There's too many names, mm-hmm. there's too much family. I understand though the idea that it is important, I think, to show her legacy mm-hmm. and yeah. the idea that she has yeah. watched so many people and there have been so many... Even though she lived isolated on this island, mm-hmm. she had
2: so many people in her life. Oh, no. Th- this is, like, the perfect example of, like, when somebody tells you, oh, the the show gets really good in episode six. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to get through. Yeah, I. Yeah.
3: I think my favorite part is... The mention of the town keeping kind of good secrets, like mm-hmm. how they they all went and killed that pedophile. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah I really,
4: really yeah, like that, that. That was a good. It's good a small section. capture of, of a because that could you can never get away with that in the big city. See, I wish there was more of that as <laughs> Just opposed like, to. That's why I crave. <laughs> but no, I'm saying in terms of in terms of painting small town life and what goes on in a small town and what can go on. As I crave to that that kind of in gang Chicago retribution.
2: you know exactly See, I thought that was good. I felt like it was a little discombobulated in the beginning, yeah some. and it, and I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that there's so much to set up, there's so many names, there's so many people, which again, all necessary to make that ending work because yeah. when everyone starts coming out of the shadows like on the ice, it's so impactful i mean yeah. i was I was reading this walking home yesterday, and I had re- read it before, but I just totally. Forgot about the the image of the hat. <laughs> yeah, and that just oh, that's so that, just well, that also me. It
4: just killed me. Turns this, the idea of the scary story and the big reveal, like oh, and on the door, was the hook? Well, in this it's it's a it's a lovely image of there being some supernatural element yeah. involved. Because then they're like <laughs> scary about it all. No. It's,
3: it's like a reversal too of even the character portrayals that King usually does, like an older woman woman with her son who never married and is kind of maybe off in the head a little Mm -hmm. bit like I feel like in a typical King story you'd be like that's a weird relationship like these people are going to be like maybe weird villains or something like that but it's kind of sweet and uh, he takes care of her
0: (laughs) well
1: I'm thinking about what you said Mel just about the idea of how this story feels different in terms of tone and I agree because you know when I was thinking about the way that this book is so concerned with death and it ends on this note and it ends on such a light note and it sort of complicates the rest of the themes because yeah. it's so different but at the same time I think well first off what it reminds me of is the way he kind of like reg- ma- like he regrets Pet Cemetery. now he doesn't regret Pet Cemetery's ending but he there's a part of him that feels like that's too dark it's mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. it's too much for me I feel like that this was him basically being like well I don't want to like send him out on that big of a bummer like you know I should end it with this warm story even if it kind of conflicts with the mood of the rest of the book
3: you know, directly was- with the do you love
1: yeah refrain yeah and so i think it's um i think you know I, I i i i like it because i feel like it's it's in line with what i think in short stories he's good like you know if you've just had a short journey he's good leaving you with that uh, bleak hopeless Im- image but when it comes to the book you know what i mean because woman in the room ends or ends night shift mm-hmm. and that's not that's not a happy ending no. by any means, but at the same time, it's there's there's uh it's not a bleak ending. No. Like there there is some sense of like uh accomplishment and catharsis at the end of that story, even yeah. though it's terribly sad. And I feel like he doesn't like to end things like on that merciless bleak horror note.
5: He likes Cujo? to. Ha-
4: what was that? What about Cujo? Oh yeah, you're right. Well, they might still be married.
5: <laughs> so that, true. That's, yeah. fine. Uh, the thing,
4: I, there's been a lot of talk about and especially for the ones that were specifically written for this collection I understand the Do You Love Trilogy for example but I guess I got used to just after Sunset and Nightmares and Dreamscapes and Bizarre Bad Dreams in which I really just take every story as their own story I'm not looking to say well why is this story here it doesn't match the other stories so I think for me it's just a nice story to go out on I wasn't worried that it didn't really match up with you know the wedding gig. Mm-hmm. I, I think, it <laughs> <right>. <laughs> but, like, but you know, you know what I'm saying. I just think I can. I just read these as isolated stories that yeah. are brought together. Yeah, but the, but in okay, this collection. what do you make of
3: the "Do you love" in this one?
4: I like it. It's it's strange.
3: It's really strange. I think right? he says at one point that she thinks of it as an accusation. That's what
4: I was saying. Yeah, I think it seems like yeah, like like she didn't love enough in her
2: life. Well yeah. did you get that sensation like she was too cold maybe I guess Well but I think it's thought, it's metaphorical in the sense that she doesn't l- leave the island exact open up it, that's what i'm thinking i mean it's anything. one big metaphor like, it's the, yeah. I, I mean I, re- I think it works really well it's here. the idea that live? i think it's the idea like do you <laughs> yeah.
1: love related to the island is maybe the horror or, or the sense of um uh, creeping regret that comes up on you when you're like, you spent your whole life in this one place. You didn't explore. You didn't, um, you know, you didn't find enough meaning. You didn't like embrace the world. And it's the struggle I think that people have maybe later in life where it's like, or
4: as I'm having now my thirties. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) So old. It's true though. I I, I think about these things all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, it's a very relatable idea. The whole, the do you love is, can be an accusatory question if it, if it relates to the idea of meaning, did you find enough meaning in
2: life? And I think that's the key word there. Relatable is something that ties back to what you were discussing with the night Mm -hmm. shift is that the fact that he chose to end it with woman in the room and have the reach and this they're both wrestling with things that are very real and very yeah. palpable mm-hmm. and tangible, yeah. and, but they're also dealing with death. Yeah. Now, in a lot of these stories, the deaths are crazy and out of this world and, and wild, and that's why we love them because that's why we love a lot of genre fiction. But this, it, it does have like a more of a literary slant to it, where it mm-hmm. it comes down from a place where you can understand. Like we've all had relatives that that have passed away. We we all have, you know have dealt with these types of deaths in a similar way. I mean, granted, I don't think all of us, any of us have found our relatives um, dead on a frozen lake, but, um, <laughs> speak, th- for speak, yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> speak for yourself, but several, <laughs> no, there's something real about this older woman that had, had been renowned around the town and like, well, people, that's, you know,
3: that's, I feel like is another jarring contrast to the rest of the book is that this is about community and mm-hmm. like, the Entire town coming to greet you when you die. Everything else is about like isolationist paranoia and like mm-hmm. well, not being able to reach out to other people. And yeah, they, like,
2: well, think about this is a book, End of the Mist, to that theme. You know, she and goes th-
3: out into the mist, yeah, <laughs> she does.
2: essentially she does. Yeah. It's like white out, yeah, but it's
1: not monsters she finds, no, it's love. Um, here's a, here's a passage that I found interesting and maybe it's like very clear and I'm reading too much into it, but so it's right at the end of it. But when she's with everybody at the end and she's like ready to go, um, page 504 of my edition, the Putnam edition. They stood in a circle in the storm, the dead of Goat Island, and the wind screamed around them, driving its packet of snow, and some kind of song burst from her. It went up into the wind, and the wind carried it away. They all sang then, as children will sing in their high sweet voices as a summer evening draws down to summer night. They sang, and Stella felt herself going to them and with them, finally across the reach. There was a bit of pain, but not much. Losing her maidenhead had been worse. They stood in a circle in the night. The snow blew around them, and they sang. They sang... And, but the thing that I, I'm curious about, she says there was a bit of pain, but not much. What is she referring to there? Dying, just dying. dying? Yeah, yeah, and not
4: being a painful death.
1: Yeah, I guess that's just. Um, I love that section. Yeah. I do too. It's so lovely. But you like I guess do I it was the maidenhead. Well, I know, right? <laughs> I I guess for me though, I'm just like, does that mean? I don't know, like. Did she? Is that
4: when she froze? Is that what the pain was? Like, what is the pain? I think maybe it was like a sensation of frostbite. But if you're, yeah, if you're also just really old, I'm assuming that you know she, she'll be affected differently than we are if we go out in freezing temperature too. And like, yeah, maybe. But maybe, I, I like, yeah, the, in terms of structure. I mean, I, I think at the very when they, they turn the do the do you love on its head when you you go to her son and and Sam and he says you know do the dead sing do they love. On those long nights alone with his mother, Stella Flanders, at long last in her grave, it often seemed to Alden that they did both. Yeah. If I think it's a nice note to If you to want
3: to connect it to the other stories, do you think it's fair to say it's kind of about, like, how you meet death and whether or not you oh, seek I mean, it out yeah, in the I right mean, way?
4: Absolutely. Like, yeah. That
1: was something that really, I, that was in my notes, was the idea of confronting death. Right. Like, looking, like, especially with the raft, looking it in the face. And
3: you get the jaunt and the Reaper's image are yep. both, like, mm-hmm. being a little too fucking narcissistic about <laughs> yeah. confronting death.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, whereas I feel like, um, I don't know, maybe that's a broad, it's a broad statement in, uh, to say, but I feel like in Night Shift, like you said, it was more of an overall encompassing, like, apocalyptic kind of horror, whereas here, it feels so focused on the in- individual's relationship mm. with death.
3: Maybe the tiger is a little boy learning about <laughs> death for the first
1: Love time. Love that tiger. Uh, maybe so. Um, best part of Here There Be Tigers is that
2: tigers is spelled with a Y.
3: Did I tell you that someone told me their their best first date question is now how would you explain death to an eight year old? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's incredible. I would talk about the dinosaurs. Oh, wow. the Land Before Time or Land Before Time Two? Uh, probably Four. Jurassic World. Land. land Fallen Kingdom? Kingdom. I'm more of a Land Four person, but um... I'd show them Cannibal
1: Holocaust. Oh, that'd be mm. a good one. What if that's the a good reach, first date movie? What if The Reach ended with?
4: The oil slick from the raft coming and just like <laughs> no what if they ended it ended with a nice sentiment about do they love and Elden thought yes and they just said from the bridge to the news mystery of the dead woman <laughs> <laughs> hundreds of dead women were found at the reach <laughs> uh,
1: oh um, god no I I I'm a big fan of the reach I think it's a I think it's a lovely story I when I was a kid I I remember it was the first story about old people that I thought was good. <laughs> and it's schmaltzy. That's
4: one of your... The back of the... That's like the magazine, right? That's like the poster, actually. Is that quote you just said? Yes.
2: One thing I did notice that... That I don't... I'm trying to... I haven't looked this up. But the year 1958 seems mm-hmm. incredibly prominent to King. Uh, it, it's it's the year that he goes back in 112263. 63 that's, He starts in 1958. It's... Uh, in this short, it's a short story, they talk about how Doritz had burned down in 1958. One of the cars... Uh, is 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 from 1958 in a previous story that we had been discussing. He uh, and Nona they reference a horror movie from 1958. There it just 1958 like comes up all the time in his works, and I don't know why. I mean, I and it, I believe it takes place in 1958 also. 57 58? Right? Yeah, because then in when eleven twenty two they see um, Richie and Bill. Look the, the, yeah, up exactly what, what that music happened.
3: came out then, because I'm sure been. he like
2: the Cherrills. I'm, so I'm just I, naming people now. It's just. As we, since this is the last story in the book, I just wanted to mention that, like, yeah, 1958 pops up a shitload in. in Wait, this did book. you mention that? You mentioned that Christine and is the 1958 Plymouth? Yeah, yeah. Isn't yeah. That, so it's kind of crazy. Well, I just right? googled.
1: I googled um, 1958 Stephen King, and all that's really popping up are just 112263 like articles and wikis. Yeah, but like this is just a funny thing. You know the People Also Ask section. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, the last one is just in all caps. Who is in eleven twenty two sixty three? <laughs> <laughs> like, and I understand that I that means the series, but it's like all caps. And I love the idea if it was just about the book. Like, who is in the book? Who are the people? Why this date? Who is the? And then one of the questions is who is the man with the yellow card in eleven twenty? Just read the hey, book. <laughs> good question, bro. But uh, any other thoughts on that? You know what? I, we're talking about grandpa. <laughs> Well, no. I just say that if it, if we're ready, I think we can hop in the car and take a little drive to Grandma's house.
0: Bring me
3: my
5: tea.
1: <laughs> to Grandma's house we go. Tell us about Grandma, Justo,
4: Randall. <laughs> <laughs> this story came out in the year 1984 of our Lord. And this is another great publication title. No, 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 slam. I mean, this weird book. Weird book. <laughs> great. One word. Weird Love book. It. Weird Love book. F- fantastic. <laughs> Startling weird book. Uh, We follow a young boy who's been left alone to take care of his very sick grandmother. His mother has had to go off to the hospital because his brother, I think, broke his arm in a little league accident. Is Mm -hmm. that correct? And he's a little creeped out by it. And I have to say, I did relate. No joke. I related the story a little bit because I would go visit my grandparents. And my great grandmother at this point had some early signs of dementia. But they did not want me to be at home alone with her because she was starting to forget things. It didn't want to freak me. I was a kid. Like, yeah. Why don't you remember who I am? Yeah. Um. So that's and on, a, on a psychological level, this story <laughs> hit home a lot, especially at the very end. No, totally. Um. And as it goes on and on, a, a puzzle begins to form, and some pieces begin to be laid out on the table for us. Classic about King. Who is this grandma? What is she up to? <laughs> who
3: is this grandma? <laughs>
4: who is? Hey. Uh, First, on Google is search, grandma? who is Grandma? In quotation marks, I, I love and that. the mystery <laughs> begins, and uh, the paranoia sets in, and, and we're off to the races.
2: It's, it's this kid that finally realizes books, people talking weird. Oh my God, she's a witch! Like, <laughs> like when you really think about it, it's it's kind of fucking ridiculous. I love, but it. I, love I love it. it also,
5: it works. but I love that. But you know yeah, what? this yeah. is fun
4: because talking about the occult, in which we, I think we all agree, those of us who read Now <laughs> Shift. That whenever the occult gets brought up in night shift, it just deflates the yes, story. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they come back. Oh as my one. god, that's the worst part. Um, what's the other one? I want to um Oh uh yeah, I,
1: I
0: can't remember. It was the one it's a stalker kid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
4: It, it, well, why are we bring I, I think the occult works really well, Grace? I agree. I think it yeah. makes the story
2: ultimately. It's really
3: end. hard to pull that off, I feel like yeah. Yeah. my favorite part of the story is when his aunt, I think, is on the phone with yeah. him. Yeah. And you finally get she's like, you have to tell her to lie down in the name of Hastor. And I'm like, what the ho? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And then yeah. then it's
4: and all of a sudden so it doesn't linger on it too much, which is what sometimes they come back. Lingers on the whole the whole Satanism and the whole bring people it's, back to it's the Lovecraft. Dead. Yeah.
1: It's funny, I think he was really into lovecraft and uh and the old gods like around this time because I remember in thinner for no reason whatsoever, he names a hotel hotel aster and then um yeah. or Haster, and then the there's a bar inside it called like the Yellow king, and it's like i'm just like and then, then there's it's just there for no reason, and it makes me think that he was just really deep in lovecraft when he was oh, uh yeah. what, w- around this time I wouldn't
3: be surprised if weird book was actually a like a Lovecraft focused publication, like an anthology of, of Lovecraft stuff.
4: We got a couple resident interneters. Ah. They want to Google that. I also want to point out, though, a big thing another Castle Rock story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Henrietta Dodd is Frank Dodd's mother. That's what I was going to say. And bring she's up. the one that keeps, that keeps, that's on the phone. I like that. I like, by the way, I like that whole thing where he can't make any phone calls. You always yell at the screen, just call the cops, call somebody. But he literally can't because this person's always on the phone gossiping. What I thought of when I was reading this story was
1: Zelda from Pet Cemetery? Absolutely. I I put Zelda in there. Yeah. 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 And that's, I think that, and you know, I think he says this in the notes of the book, but this was based on a true experience he had as a child. Or maybe I read this in an interview, but he Uh, When he was a kid, he was left alone with his infirm grandma um, in the house, and she died while he was home. Um, And I I don't know if he knew or not that. I don't know the full details. Like maybe his parents came home, and then they were like, "She died while you were here, Stephen." Looks very much like pet cemetery where where Zelda dies while she's at home. Yeah, I think he
3: never should have been in the house. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's like a dark um I think this is sort of maybe a, a bit of trauma that King dealt with and I think he probably dealt with it in a really sort of he dealt with it in a really ugly cathartic way I think in Pet Cemetery with Zelda here I think he's he's trying to take his trauma and have a little more fun with it I mean oh, obviously yeah. it's it's a dark story but you know incorporating the the Lovecraftian elements to it I think takes gives it a level of the absurd that uh is what makes it I think the story just like uh really fun and um uh yeah,
2: freaky. What's up, Mike? I couldn't stop thinking about like Sam Raimi the yeah, entire absolutely. time. Absolutely. Yeah. With it, the old woman in the basement. Well, it also helps with like her name's Henrietta Dodd, in which Henrietta is the name of uh, Professor Novi's wife. Yep. And then the way that they describe grandma is just like the fruit cellar monster in the second yeah. the second evil dead. The the mouth they describe the mouth in a really weird way in this. The hands are described really way It was very cinematic. But did anybody watch the um the New Twilight Zone? Yes. So do we
4: want to talk – we want to talk a little bit more about the story before we get into the adaptations? Well, I guess like what
1: really works about this story because it's pretty high in all of our rankings and I feel like we haven't really touched on
4: uh, what works here. I think, again, the real-time element. I think a a child being left alone in this scenario is terrifying enough. Again, for me, I had had kind of a connection to it. And – I think the payoff in the end is great.
3: Yeah, the pacing of the reveals is. Yeah, is
4: done I literally really have well. that here. Paces as revelations in my notes. It's true though. Everything yeah, it's it really it
5: unfolds
1: perfectly. And I think that it's something you know. Speaking of old people, I was thinking of the visit, the M Night Shyamalan movie yes. that yeah, is yeah. actually really strong, uh, despite his reputation. Um, it's it's a very freaky movie, and I reviewed that one, and I remember I went really deep and just discussing the whole idea of how, you know. There when you're a child, especially I think even when you get older, there is a fear of the elderly. I used to work in a nursing home when I was in high school. And I used to I remember just sitting and talking with people and then like someone across the room who had tubes up their nose and stuff like Mm. that would just be staring at me and I'd look at them and they would just mouth help me. You know what I mean? And it's like. It's like what do you do? and you feel really helpless, but it also reminds you of your of your own mortality. it reminds you of sickness, it reminds you of losing your faculties and various other things. and especially with that happening in your home and sort of um, and this sounds dark. I mean, I'm not like I'm not like condemning my grandparents or anything. It's just like it's when you're young, the idea like if an older sick person is in your house, it changes the fabric of your house and it, and it brings on a certain sense of dread within the house. You know, there's an onion article that is so, so dark that, but it is, it struck a chord and I think it strikes a chord with a lot of people, but it's basically like, um, uh, first Christmas without grandma is like best one ever or something like that. Like first Christmas since grandma died. It's like so dark, but at the same time, there's something that resonates about that because I think, you know, when, 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 somebody who represents, and I mean, I'm not saying that all old people represent death or something like that. I know that's how this sounds, well, but I'm sorry. they're closer to the inevitability. They're closer to the inevitability of death, and I think just introducing that element into an environment can sometimes change that environment. So it's very, and I guess what the point of everything I'm saying is, it's very rife for horror. And like, it showed like in The Visit, Shaman's movie, and then you know, obviously in Pet Cemetery, just the idea of sickness, like what's in Zelda's like, just been, her whole body has been transformed from her sickness so she represents this monster and then here the age element of it you know factors in too but i, I kind of like that king takes it way further you know
2: it's interesting because for the longest time i used to think that the skeleton key that movie that came out yeah. in like 2005 with, with Kate uh, hudson yeah, and Gina yeah, Rollins, Peter the ending of the skeleton key like it was touted as like this original ending it was like horrifying and it is very scary like uh, the, the ending is just really did shock me when it happened it's been a long enough i'm gonna spoil it yeah spoiler alert if you basically, have not if you've read grandma it, yeah if you've read grandma it's basically the same thing and, yeah. and you you find out that to i believe there were slaves in the movie the skeleton key or maybe they're just it was servants but they had been um using like voodoo magic to be able to inhabit their bodies of uh the people that own yeah. this mansion and get out as well yeah and is, oh yeah this is guess it is it's like an like the universe get out um but uh At the end, Kate Hudson, they basically spend this whole movie making her believe in the voodoo magic so that when at the end they can transfer bodies. And and it's, I just thought it's the most haunting ending because you see the the Kate Hudson character in Gina Rollins, who's now deemed as like insane because she's like raving and you know, a lunatic. And then you realize that Peter Sarsgaard's character is also in, um, John Hurt uh, and John Hurt's role. Um, the, the two of them stare at each other, just realizing that they're old. They're going to die in these bodies, even though they're in their like l- early 30s or something like that. And there's that for some reason God. that's always stuck yeah. with me forever. Just knowing that like, oh, my gosh, that's and they're going to be in like these homes and considered lunatics while somebody 's somebody's out there with their younger body. Yeah. <laughs> And so reading this just really like, because that that ending has always stuck with me. And I've forgotten. I don't know why that I just didn't remember that that was like, that's literally the twist of this book. But it made me wonder, like, okay, so in Skeleton Key, they switch bodies. Yeah. Where does his soul go? Um, Does it go into the grandmother that's dying uh, uh, or does he just vanish now? he's, He's kicked out. He's gone. He gone. So that's kind of creepy. Welcome oh, to yeah. Keycast, real, like, <laughs> the Skeleton
3: Key Podcast.
4: <laughs> the
2: Skeleton Key Podcast. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do a, uh, <laughs> I've heard a skeleton crew, but skeleton key. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So that it did make me wonder, like, where does you know, what are the or vessels he's
3: trapped in there? Like she's in control. Like it's, but... like it's being John
2: Malkovich. only yeah. something that could be really. <laughs> like it's this,
3: exactly like being John Malkovich. Yeah, but like that's, that's
4: another haunting thing of not I having. Think, um, Legion season three should really cover this to make it even more convoluted and dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of convoluted and dumb,
1: why don't you talk to us about the film adaptation of Grandma Mercy? Thank you, Randall. Um,
4: ran, uh, Mercy, I'll give you some fun facts. Filmed in 235. It was actually filmed in widescreen scope. Oh, wow. This is a, a, Bloom, a Blumhouse production with Universal. By the way. That's so wild. Can't believe it. It was an early one. Um, they were still figuring Mel, it out. Mel, you appreciate this. The ho- grandma's house mm-hmm. is the same house that Brother Justin lives in in Carnival. Oh, my God! Clancy Brown.
0: Very cool. Clance-cast. Here's the problem.
4: With this story, first of all, it's only like 77 minutes, including credits, and it is still boring and way too long. They don't even get into the actual grandma section of the short story until there's about 20 minutes left. So as we always complain about these short stories, you can't really make them into movies because the story is right there. There's no more story to tell, but they try their best here. What, what is awful. it before the so, grandma
3: bit? Like what's here's going the on? Thing. So
4: here's another difference between the story and the, and the movie. In the story, he always had a weird relationship with his grandmother, right? Like, he, he was always kind of creeped out by her. Yeah, he didn't want to hug her. In the movie, from the uh, from the onset, they're best friends. <laughs> and from the first 10 minutes, it's hinted that she has this kind of occult background. No. A minute, immediately. That's stupid. And it begins with her husband killing himself as she's about to give birth. It, it, it's all revealed immediately. It's like children of the corner. Like, oh, here's the kids. Here's the kids. Here's the kids. are crazy. <laughs> Um, Frog is wrong. Frog is wrong. They introduce more characters. This cast is ridiculous, though. Mark Duplass. Mark Duplass Wait, is he's, he's du- in it. He's of course the ne'er-do-well uncle that, <laughs> that you know d- took bad care of Grandma over the years. Francis O'Connor's in this from AI. She was supposed to be huge, but yeah. she's never broke out. And then you got uh, was it Dylan McDermott's in this? I think yeah, Dur- yeah. Dylan McDermott is in this as the kind of love interest. By the way. There's a big turn at the end where it turns out he's also taking on the orders of the evil grandma. Oh my god! But once again, you see a whole sequence where he's whispering, he's being whispered to, so you know that there's something. Like there's no scares here, there's no surprises here at all. Why is it called Mercy? Because grandma's name is Mercy. Oh my (laughs) fucking lord! It also
1: means to you can bestow
4: mercy onto people.
1: You know what? They could have bestowed
4: mercy on me by not (laughs) making the film. Well, who's um, the star of it? Well, the star is one of the great children actors we've <laughs> had: <laughs> Haley Joel Osment. No, nope. Chandler Riggs, late Walking? of uh, the Walking Dead series. Yeah. Oh, he also our our favorite. Series. By the way, he also narrates this. Oh, awesome! And it's a tough ADR session, it's for, Carl, for young Carl.
3: <laughs> Wait, he narrates it. But he narrates is it. Is the ending the same?
4: I'll get to that. <laughs> oh, I'll get to that, Mel. Uh, fun fact: Pa, pa Kent from Lois and Clark, the TV series, is the priest in this. Who also gives up. More information about how there's her grandmother turned to, his grandmother turned to witchcraft when she was younger. I mean, everything is given away. There's a lot of exorcist ripoffs throughout this whole thing, where she keeps going back and forth between having this like guttural voice and like freaking out in the bedroom and everything else. I'm leaving out a lot of great stuff.
0: Anytime
3: anyone freaks out in a bedroom, it's an oh. exorcist
4: ripoff. <laughs> it's like the same exact voice. Saying. It's just awful. Um, there's a whole thing with like this CGI death wolf that keeps appearing when people are about to die. It's what? Awful. Sounds like pet cemetery it's too. awful. <laughs> so let me just get to the very end. Oh, I should also mention that throughout Chandler Riggs, aka George, Carlin. is George Carlin. <laughs> it's all tied together. George keeps being visited by this this little girl who turns out to be a spirit. By the way, that's revealed. Oh my god, this is so That's stupid. revealed 90 seconds after meeting her, so there's no mystery there either. Jesus. It turns out this is somehow the spirit of his living grandmother when she was younger but the grandmother was alive during this whole time and he was seeing her when she was still cogent and walking around it's so fucked up it's so this crazy. is early so, enough that
2: Mark Dupes was like I gotta do this movie because so, I'm still starting
0: out I should
4: still say this He's doing the league of that this is a couple years ago so it ends big confrontation you think the grandmother's gonna take over they do the whole uh, Hester thing mm-hmm. or is it Hester? Mm-hmm. right anyway, doesn't matter it's shit Hester. Oh, it Hastor yeah and so you think he's going to kill himself much like his grandfather did with the axe. But he doesn't. And he goes past his own head and, and kills his grandmother with it, with the axe. And that's when it's revealed that the little girl was the grandmother. Like <laughs> the little spirit, spirit? The good the, spirit. Okay. And it's like, you know, thank you for whatever you did. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> it ends with Georgie, his mother and brother, burying the witchcraft book in the graveyard and no, it's transference, over. no transference, no transference whatsoever. It's a happy ending. That's the whole fucking point of the story. So uh, it's, it's so boring and, ba- awful. and I'm not kidding. It's awful. Just, I, I would make a case if we were to redo our rankings that this is actually the worst Stephen King movie. That's a bold statement. Because even something like Maximum Overdrive is so stupid. Yeah. And there's some fun to be gleaned from how dumb it is. This is so unrelentingly boring. It's not scary at all. And it lives on jump scares, lives on jump scares. And none of it is effective. You know who I it's blame? really bad. Producer Mick G. <laughs> you are very correct. Mick G is one of the producers on this film. Of yeah. Charlie's Angels. And Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Great film. Mm-hmm. Great Christmas Glover. Well, you know what
2: what kills me about that is that they overcomplicate a story that thrives from its simplicity. Absolutely. Now you had mentioned before, Justin, like what makes this story so scary is that you've had that experience of being alone with someone in the house. Mm-hmm. And, and and like King really wires the, the whole tension of being alone with a lot of really creepy elements that You would have, if you were alone as a kid, like the swinging door from Mm -hmm. the wind. Like, uh, that was actually one of the most haunting images of the whole story for me. It was just like the little house things that were going on that would really scare you. I mean, there's a line in here that talks about like, you know, you stare in the dark long enough. You're always going to see that thing with the eyes and the creepy claws or whatever. You sit around in a a silent house long enough, you're going to start seeing and hearing everything. And this book, aside from all the stuff that happens with that monstrous grandma with the yellow hands and whatever... The house itself is really creepy, and I got very claustrophobic feelings reading yeah. this book. Yeah. And that's just so disappointing that you know they would take away that simplicity because that's what the that, that's what makes the story for me. So. Which is
4: why I, I really was interested because I did not have a chance to watch the new Twilight Zone, which I think f- I feel like it would work in that context. Oh, no? it's so bad. It's bad. Yeah, oh, it's, it's really bad. bad. It's really
3: bad because they do the same thing. They they overcomplicate it a little Ugh. bit. It, this the bones of the story are the same. Yeah. but you can tell that they are like. Really committed to the Lovecraft thing Mm. to the point where the kid goes in the room, and also the first fifteen to twenty—or I guess it's only like twenty-two minutes long—but the first a lot of it is just his inner monologue, and the kid is a very bad actor, and so it's just you listening over and over again to him saying in his head like, "No, I shouldn't have to cover her face. Oh no, what if mom gets home?" And but it's (laughs) like the whole time. And then he goes into her room and he pries up some floorboards and picks up a big heavy book and is literally like, Necronomicon.
4: <laughs> um, it has got mid-80s written all over it.
3: Yeah. And there's like Cthulhu stuff. Um, and they're just screaming at each other. Like, There's no plot because of how much screaming is happening. It just gets really grating and annoying. I guess, like, the grandma, when you do finally see her face, is, like, it's a bit of a scary effect. There's some good makeup work. Nice. Um, and her room is creepy, but it, the acting throughout is is so horrible. The ending does remain the same, I guess, to its credit. Uh, but you, you, the way you know it's the same is that the kid is getting hugged by the mom, and he opens his eyes, and they're, like, yellow and red, and, like, grandma's Whoa. eyes. <laughs> you
4: know what's um, funny? I just noticed this. The kid who plays Georgie. Mm-hmm. Is the kid. From Cocoon. <laughs> it all goes back to Cocoon. <laughs> really? Hey, really. How crazy is that? Sorry, oh, my yeah, God. That's pretty great. I, I had to mention that. Well, it's too bad because I feel like you could absolutely adapt this for like a 22-minute episode of Oh, yeah. Oh, you anything. just got to
3: be, you know... Slow and, and uh, restrained with yeah. it.
4: Like,
2: I think you could do an effective off. Dollar no Baby. No restraint at all
3: in the
4: Twilight uh,
2: Zone. <laughs> yeah. Do, dollar ba- this would be the easiest Dollar Baby to do. You, you know what? If this was the old Twilight
4: Zone, it would have been more restrained. Oh, absolutely. But not the new Twilight Zone. And I feel well, like,
3: too, the, it's, a, it's creepy from the beginning. But what you should do is kind of just play on the real-life fears that you guys are talking about yeah. and... Pr- at first, portray the house is like pretty normal, and yeah. like this is a normal fear for a kid to have. But his grandma's just sick. But instead, it's like
2: spelled out, literally, imm- literally spelled immediately out.
3: blood red light in her room. Oh,
2: <laughs> like- come on. you know it's interesting. I, I like it's funny you mentioned like the old school like Twilight Zone doing an effective job of this. The the the, the image of the door flopping in, like in and out with the wind. Reminds me of just this one little like recap from Sightings. Do you remember that show? Yeah, okay. It like was one on Fox or whatever. It, it was yeah, yeah. It, it not it was trying to be like the unsolved mysteries for yeah. just like more supernatural stuff, especially in the wake of like the X Files and all. Rescue but, 911, there's ghosts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I'll never forget. Uh, and the reenactments were awful usually, but sometimes they were just restrained enough where you can kind of leave a lasting impression. And there was one where this kid was upstairs and he felt a presence upstairs and he ran out of his house and then the door just kept like going, like opening and shutting, opening and shutting. And that has stayed with me for like 20 something years. And it's just that like that, just that simple image. And it's the same thing. Like, why would like you know go back to Sam Raimi? One of the scariest moments of me for that entire fucking movie, the first film, the first Evil Dead, is when they first get to the cabin and that the um the, the, the swing, the rocking swing, the, the rocking scene, yeah. swing is just hitting the wall and then it stops the minute they like, to the door or whatever. But it's just like little things like that that I feel like horror nowadays absolutely forgets. And you know they just House of just, the Devil has oh House of the Devil
4: is a perfect lot. example yeah. of that. And that is a, that's actually an example of a ninety minute movie that actually sustains the terror and then explodes at the end and much like this does and has grandma in a room mm-hmm. yes well, you know what else before we the last point I want to make is I know we talked about Tales from the Dark Side and We're Processor of the God last week and that didn't work There's actually a story in that series the Cuddy Black Sow. yes that does resemble this a lot with yeah. a little kid left alone oh, yeah, with we his grandmother who's, who's about to pass away and that holds off the reveal until the very end so if you have Shudder out there Watch the episode, The Cuddy Black Sal from Tales from the Dark Side. Very good. Very good ending. It's solid.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, you know what, guys? I've got... I don't even know what's coming yet, so I'm looking forward to this. I've got hope for the kid in this story. Hmm. Why? Because he's a real survivor type. Randall. And
3: He's not, though. He gets possessed. I know. He literally <laughs> fails at the end uh, of this story. But tono. I love the
1: transition. Yeah. Thank you. Let's, let's move on to Survivor Type. If you didn't know, that's our fourth ranked best story in Skeleton Crew. And I got to be honest, this thing's grisly.
4: <laughs> Justo, give us the facts. Just the facts, ma'am.
3: Based on true events.
4: True story. First of all, true story. No, uh, 1982. What movies came in 1982? Blade Runner. Came from the <laughs> another great publication title, Terrors. That's it. Shadows, Terrors, startling Terrors, startling Terrors. <laughs> startling terrors. The alternate title. Let's
1: the start th- from like creeping Terrors. The thing in Poltergeist also came out in uh, 1982. Yeah, and
4: ET. A, e. a good e. T. year for horror. Say. Speaking of horror, the things that happen to this person, the survivor type, are horrific. Mm-hmm.
3: Things that he does to himself.
4: Agreed. Agreed. And this is told in a, a journal formatting. We're reading somebody's journal or somebody's oh, diary.
2: King loves He this takes voice. advantage of this.
4: And what I like about this, so long story short, this is about this this doctor we learn is a disgraced doctor who's been shipwrecked. He's by himself on an island.
3: He's a surgeon. That's He's important. a
4: surgeon, which is very, very important. Loves his hands. Loves his hands. And what do you do to survive? How would you, how, what would you, what would it take for you to survive? And what would you do? And that is what we learn throughout the story. But along the way, what I like about the story, just to bump it off real quick, is we learn more and more about this person, and we become a little less sympathetic towards this person to the point where, for me, the grizzly things almost took on this air of like a like dark comedy. Yeah,
2: because <laughs> it was you, you weren't feeling as you're just like,
4: oh yeah, you, you jerk <laughs> off. Yeah, <laughs> congratulations, I, I,
2: asshole. I just kept seeing like that Jack Nicholson GIF where he's like, No, I really was. I really felt that way about. It. I think that anyway,
4: it's, yeah, one, it's one a, of my favorite ones. This guy's that guy's a real asshole. He's he a total is. dickhead and. Yeah, and you know but, what? He's yeah. also—I don't know if you picked up on this—but he's from. I think he's from New York.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I—I like that he's—he's he's like that because I don't think we would want to watch like a good person
2: go through what happens oh, here. I don't necessarily think a good person would do this. I think they would. I I think the the. I would just OD on heroin. Yeah, me too. I would would just just go
4: nuts. I would. For
3: context, there's heroin on the
1: island.
4: Yeah. Oh, as (laughs) you learn, this guy is a scumbag. He is like dealing pills. Rachel's
3: just like, if I was scumbag, I'd OD on
0: heroin. (laughs) (laughs) Prescriptions.
4: I love also. We'll get to the real fun grizzly stuff too. But I love the fact that this guy's such a narcissist that it takes him to literally the very end where he's really, really, really losing everything: his mind, his limbs. Before he mentions the fact, oh yeah, let me describe how how awful this shipwreck was. Yeah, <laughs> like, which I love. He yeah. was just it's constantly wild. talking about himself the entire time. Which
1: yeah, it's a fun. And, and it is sort of a fun. Um, I felt like there was a lot of small little stories um, that were kind of nestled within. Not all of them I loved, but I felt like I, we got a little deep. Into, like, his family history and everything. He's got heroin, and he's got... And you know he's a doctor, and you know he was in some kind of wreck. And I like that we get sort of the origin story of the drugs. We get the... And then, you know, we're, like, waiting for those to come. Same with the shipwreck. Same with, you know, uh, why isn't he a doctor anymore, et cetera, et cetera. It's, like, fun to approach those sorts of things. Like, Mm. know that that's on the horizon as well as the... uh, It gives the story a
4: little bit more weight than just the story where the guy... Cuts off his limbs and eats. Them. <laughs> and this is kind of for me a twinner for uh, a twinner with Beach World, But mm. once again we've got somebody who's more or less shipwrecked.
2: Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, you had said that when we read uh, Thinner, yeah. you mad, imagine Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, oh, man. Could you I, imagine. Oh, god, if it would be hilarious. In Dice was with this like guy. Looks
4: like Dice in the '60s was in this. Oh
2: my, even better.
4: And that broke my ankle. <laughs> hey, for, you, you know what's funny for me is somebody who had a really bad, severe ankle sprain a couple years ago the ones that really hit home in terms of the believability was when he was explaining his like busted ankle. Yeah. And, Cause I, have been there and like the weird, awful pain that you feel is never going to go away. And this is obviously much worse than I was. I didn't have to amputate my foot
3: or eat it,
2: or I would have been more than happy to at that well, point. <laughs> one of these things I, one of the things I love about this story are the characteristics that King welds into this to give some sort of context for why, um, some of the actions are able to happen. Like, Him being able to hit the seagull with a rock. Yeah. I feel the only reason why he was a former quarterback is so that you totally believe that (laughs) he's
1: able to.
0: Yeah.
2: you know I think something it's easy to forget
1: about this story because you remember it for the grisliest aspects but I think one of the scariest parts is the description of the shipwreck because it sounds it sounds
4: horrific he he buries the lead you know
1: yeah yeah and like um but just the way he describes it like people were screaming and running in every direction bottles were falling off the back bar and shattering on the floor a man staggered up from one of the lower levels his shirt burned off his skin barbecued the loudspeaker started telling people to go to the lifeboat stations uh they had been assigned during the drill at the beginning of the cruise the passengers went right on running hither and yon very few of them had bothered to show up during the lifeboat drill I know not only showed up I came early I wanted to be in the front row you see so I would have an unobstructed view of everything I always pay close attention when the matters concern my own skin I love the way it like pivots into him just talking about himself again it's wild and then I um there's like a woman who uh, holding a child who like falls off and like he describes her like spinning twice before dropping out of view it's like so It doesn't all
4: happen like within like 20 minutes or something like that he gives a he gives some really short amount of time and we all goes down and just
1: these little moments like um uh i was coming around to help uh well there's like um uh, a boat employee who runs and like tries to get one of the lifeboats and he just says uh he'd succeeded in untangling the snarl and had gotten his hand caught at the same time the whizzing rope smoked over his open palm flaying off skin and he was jerked to the side like just these little moments he keeps throwing in of just everyone like uh, burning and getting their their limbs ruined and everything because he's like so cons- like devoted to preserving his own skin and it's uh it's just really fascinating. Oh, and then this too, um, he's talking about like the suction of the boat a boat going, going under, under which go. was fascinating to me.
3: Terrifying, I know. Mm-hmm. And then
1: just the way he says, um, "I had to row madly just to stay in the same place." She. Uh, uh, the boat went under very quickly. There were still people clinging to the rail of her bow and screaming. They looked like a bunch of monkeys.
4: Like that one. Um, <laughs> skeleton crew, anybody?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. What if it was the monkey? The monkey from the crew.
4: 20,000
1: dead fish emerged. Still clanging, clanging on the <laughs>
4: But no, I I
1: guess that was something I, I was a pleasant surprise when I revisited this, just that mm-hmm. um, that this isn't just a story of a guy cutting off his limbs. It's actually, there's a lot of horror like yeah. at, in this story that to be, uh, and I mean, just I think the perspective, I like when King writes in first person because I feel like he I don't know, he I feel like sometimes he can create more uh, despicable characters that way because they're unreliable and it's fun. Mike
3: saying he loves this voice is so true. Like he's having so much fun. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like by the end when he's just like totally lost it, and he's titling his journal entries with dates, but he's just like mm-hmm. Feba. <laughs>
4: yeah, I love that. I love that. I um, think I have a question for everybody mm-hmm. here. If you were, we kind of joked about it earlier, but if you were marooned on an island and you were a surgeon, okay, and you had the heroin and you had, you had, you had to have that sweet, sweet heroin. <laughs> speaking of the monkey on the back, um, <laughs> how, speaking of monkeys, how long would it take you before you considered? you know, starting to eat yourself?
3: I would never consider starting to eat myself. <laughs> so, okay, so we're here.
4: So, Mel, you would never
2: do it. No,
3: I would do it. Randall said. I would overdose on the heroin. overdose on
2: heroin. Mike? Uh, as someone uh, who can go a long time without eating, I would say uh, I would just go off on that heroin yeah. downward spiral and have a blast. Maybe listening to Nirvana. Uh, <sighs> hey, the yeah. battery's still working this boombox? <laughs> yeah. Well, all this I have on this I island watch watch of
3: rocks <laughs> is...
0: Yeah.
1: Um, well, I I have my, I'd have my iPod. I have very I have very large calves, so mm. I've got a lot of meat on there. I so, do too, actually. So I, I feel like yeah, using... I feel
4: like I could I could lose a little bit. I'll be gross. I would rather just cut off your foot and cauterize, as opposed to like starting to cut off the muscles in your leg. <laughs> oh god, that's that's more grotesque. Well for What's your answer? Uh, absolutely. No, I'm kidding. I um <laughs> I'm not kidding because I would be I'd be afraid of like slitting my wrists wrong. It'll be too long of a death. I wouldn't want to try to drown myself because that'll be a nightmare. So I think I would just. Snort heroin until look couldn't snort yeah. anymore. Yeah, I mean, think about it.
2: Like, eat, eat, it, drink it. But he wants to live. Well, That's and his he only does you know, it what? until he type. has to, you know, cut off his leg. Yeah, you know, it's not like he just like, all right, well, I'm going to start eating my leg and right now. I you think know? he cuts off his foot initially because it's going to get infected. Yes, exactly. So, so it's, it wasn't just a. It's, of it's out a necessity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like. In that respect, would I still eat it? No. I wouldn't have eaten the, the seagull like, without having a fire. I would have. No, I wouldn't you're, have. I would have easily too good
3: just, stranded on the island to eat a seagull that you hit with a rock.
2: Without fire? I don't think so. <laughs> Later no, on, when he's he more delirious
4: a- and does it, I think if I had become more delirious and that desperate, then I could see myself eating like a raw bird. But I would literally have to be absolutely desperate with no hope. Oh, without yeah. fire. I, for something to kick in. <laughs>
1: without fire, without salt, without pepper, without paprika, I am not eating that bird. No.
3: God, you guys would eat the bird after like five
1: days.
2: <laughs> no, I I, I honestly, mean, to, to quote Tom Hanks, a castaway, I made fire! <laughs> I think as a realist, I would assess the situation. I'd say, all right, I'm on an island. There's nothing here okay. except for a journal and lots of heroin. And some rocks. I'm going to write a nice little memoir about things that I want. A fuck you to whatever liner that they're uh, they on. Maybe uh, some cool poetry. And then, like uh, for Owen, yeah, like for Owen. And then I would take that nice descent into becoming a heroin addict and, and just let it go. And you would not even
3: spell out help with the no, rocks.
2: there's what, what's the point? You're what in the middle they, of nowhere, a,
3: a ship sank, like there's gonna be people looking for.
2: Oh, it's it's over, <laughs> it's over. Mike, immediately you're ODs you're done, you're screwed. You know, granted, there's like a, a, a plane, but I mean, come on, how many times when you're in a plane and you're that high up. You're going to look down and see I've seen an several times. People screaming out help with rocks. So
4: I shouldn't tell anybody about it. Oh, wow. <laughs> what a nice guy. <laughs> a good Samaritan. Um, did
1: anyone else, was anyone else uh, reminded of Resident Evil with this story for
4: any reason? As you know, mm-hmm. I don't play the games.
1: <laughs> well, I'll just uh, say that. Tell me more. I, you know oh because the notebook yeah yeah when I read this in when I was young I was a teenager I was also really into the Resident Evil games and in the first Resident Evil has a early in the game a very memorable section where you find a notebook and that's a game about zombies if you're unaware and uh, it's there's a notebook and it's like a journal kept by a guy who was working in the in the lab when they yeah. were developing this this virus I was strain. working in the lab late one night <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: how it starts but but it's
1: <laughs> but it's written very similarly to this story like they were probably
4: Inspired by
3: (laughs) Justin (laughs) has thoroughly tickled himself.
4: I'm I'm making my, I'm cracking myself up with with my Monster Mash reference. (laughs) But, uh, but no,
1: this guy is talking about like getting infected with it, and as it moves on through date by date, just like in Survivor Type, the language becomes more unhinged and more broken. And then by the end, all he's saying is itchy tasty yeah and like like it just keeps like repeating that in various phrases but then the last entry is just itchy tasty and so like itchy tasty i think has become like a meme amongst like gamer kids like now like like it's i guess like whenever it comes to like a creepy parting line or something people will just like go itchy tasty that's one of my favorite parts of the game oh it's so good and
2: it's it reminded me so much of uh like how indebted the series was to Romero's like original Dead trilogy oh yeah just that 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 way of like wanting to show the progression of this virus nowadays it's like a zombie thing nobody cares about the progression
3: just listening to that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you guys describe this journal like, it's
2: it's creepy as hell and like I, I think one of the journals you find in a room where like like the Beethoven oh, yeah, Sonata yeah. has to play and he like looks out the window and you can see things moving off in the distance it's just it's so great creepy. did you ever read the books that were adapted for Resident Evil because well, they, they had a lot of that stuff in yeah. there too I have a yeah. question if
4: that became if that was so that was like a, like a popular thing in the internet yeah. we'll use that expression was, was that picked up for the movies at all um, I never saw the movies
5: because no, no, I mean, the movies I, don't have any of that nuance They have nothing all. to
2: do with that. The was games. one of my first
3: rated R movies in theaters. So oh, wow. I it was a big deal. I was like, it's rated yeah. R. I'm going with my dad.
1: Paul,
2: Paul W. Anderson, who's a really um, big deal in the in our high school circuit. It's a, it's a fun uh, the movie.
1: I know. I actually kind of want to go back and watch them. I think I objected to them because they were so divorced from the games and I was an insufferable little asshole. I like the first one. I know, but that's the thing is now I hear that they're actually just like fun action movies. So, can
3: I ask, is it in the game, in the movie, there's a hallway where there's a laser that comes uh, towards you, like across the... Hallway and if uh-huh. you're like in its path, it'll like cut you in half or whatever. Is that in the game? No, right?
2: it's not in the game. No. Okay. no, no, that's that. That's just Paul W. S. Anderson just having a little fun. So. <laughs> the director <laughs> the of uh, Blood Taking Rain some, and Event Horizon. Taking you some uh, creative might recall liberties. that my uh,
3: Dance Macabre trigger was like surgery. This story oh, like does yeah. a number on me. It was. Oh. It's probably the most memorable in terms of like that really freaked me out when I first read this book. Yeah, this and the Jaunt were the scariest ones for me just because I was like so grossed out and uh, well it's so when he starts talking
2: about like what is it the femoral artery the how it's so big he's like god yeah, you'd be so careful hard to, bleed to death. so you just imagine he has like when he's finally at his you know his last days or hours or whatever it is you have to imagine there's just like these little like rotted sort of parts well, to him at the bottom that's it what so i love is
4: there's still so much left out there because we're just getting his yep. warped mind so i keep thinking about like I don't want to gross people up, but like sand getting in these yeah. open wounds, you yeah. know, from the island. Like that, well, that's disgusting. At one point and he sand. talks
1: about the sand being red like like or like dark with his blood like underneath mm. it. And that that like like more than some of the surgery, like a, a detail like that like really gets me. I think Mel's
4: gonna throw up. <laughs>
1: um, this is funny, King actually said of this story, he was talking about um uh, the book and King said, as far as short stories are concerned, I like the grizzly ones the best. However, the story survivor type goes a little bit too far, even for me. But he said that he was living in Bridgeton, I believe, when he wrote this. And he had a neighbor who was a doctor and uh, brought up the idea. He's like, could a guy like – well, he's like, I just had the idea of a guy like –
3: Eating himself. (laughs) Eating
1: himself, basically. And he brought it up to uh, this doctor. And the doctor like scoffed at him at first. But then when they kept talking about it, the doctor was like, well, you know – I mean, it depends on how, like, what your shock trauma, like, mm-hmm. tolerance is. And then basically what the guy said, like, turned into the first uh, paragraph of yeah. the story. Yeah. So it's, it's a neat, it's, it's such a neat uh, detail and story. And you can see King just kind of like, like, when he discusses it, like, there was kind of a giggly nature to it. Oh, because after
4: that, Michael, appreciate this. After we said, this is no joke, he says, "Um, I guess Faulkner never would have written anything like this, huh? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, because it's such a fun, oh, gross, so, yeah. means means mean, it's just a mean story. It's, it's a mean It's, so, it's, so, it's a so mean, mean.
2: It's a mean narrator. It's a mean premise. You know, he. Uh, this is one section I really love that got under my skin. Um, no pun intended. But uh, he he writes on uh, page four fifty nine of the Scribner edition, February seventh. Pain from the stump has been bad, excruciating from time to time. But I think the deep seated itch as the healing process begins has been worse. Mm. I've been thinking this afternoon of all the patients that have babbled to me that they couldn't stand the horrible, unscratchable itch of mending flesh. And I would smile and tell them they would feel better tomorrow, privately thinking what whiners they were, what jellyfish, what ungrateful babies. Now I understand. Several times I've come close to ripping the shirt bandage off the stump and scratching at it, Mm -hmm. digging my fingers into the soft, raw flesh, pulling out the rough stitches, letting the blood gout into the sand. Anything, anything to be rid of that maddening, horrible
0: itch. Right, uh, Like, really? just could you imagine just like pulling Itchy this thing, just like <sighs> it's it like, tasty, ugh, good,
2: disgusting.
5: Um,
4: <laughs> any other thoughts on Survivor Type? There's
2: well, a, there's an adaptation. Mike. Oh, yeah. You guys
1: like know the person. right? Yeah.
2: So we've mentioned Bill Hansen. Billy Hansen, actually. That's his real name. It's not William Hansen. It's Billy Hansen. His parents named him Billy Hansen. It's on oh, his birthday. We get it, Mike. OK. I used to always uh, drive that home. So if he's listening, he's uh, might be uh, chuckling. But he made a short film, A Dollar Baby. That has made the festival rounds and uh, it's 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 very effective and it's told from found footage instead of him finding uh, a journal he had a camcorder so he's like recording a lot of these journal entries in there so it's really it, it's effective in the in the in the medium and the format yeah. except this is like a really small small island that he's on he's not even on an island i think he's on like some rocks yeah. that were in the middle of the sea so it's even more dire it, it's just really great like he 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 manages to i mean cuz obviously it's a low budget movie and you can only do so much with like the gore and everything but yeah it's 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 surprisingly jarring and effective and and at the end they actually (laughs) the people find his camera like they show who the people that find the camera eventually and he's just like like laying there like as like a bunch of like just like a stump almost like the paranoid android video and it's just staring off like he's still alive and all and he's just like out of it out of his mind at that point where can you watch it you can't really find it online. I think he, he gave me a Vimeo link a long time oh, ago. Okay. But it was in a lot of the festival rounds for a while. So. Will well, we try to have that
4: shown during our upcoming festival at the Music Box Theater, Mike?
2: Yeah. Greetings from Castle Rock. July 27th to 28th. Two-day festival we're uh, having at Chicago's Music Box Theater. We are going to try to put in a lot of those dollar babies and survivor type would be great. Yeah.
1: Should people contact us if they have one they want to show? Yeah, totally. Cool.
2: Especially if it's high res enough that we can kind of wedge in there, you know, Mm -hmm. my 13 year old niece who likes
1: horror is going to be in town and, uh, I'm excited to show her some King. She'll love it. So yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on survivor type? I've got one. Oh. And I think it is that, you know, maybe instead of this cruise, he should have taken one of uh, Mrs. Todd's shortcuts and then he wouldn't have gotten in this mess. Yeah. Uh, That is our number three favorite story, Mrs. Todd's shortcut, which is maybe um, not. I think that might be surprising for some people. I was looking online and this isn't generally considered one of the standouts of this book, whereas I absolutely love it. I love it. Fuck them. I love it. I, I mean,
4: obviously. It's not a horror short story, so that might have turned off... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Basic Stephen King fans. Um, <laughs> the basic bees. No. Basic bees. Uh, no shots, obviously. We all have our own opinions. I think that... I love the fact that this was in Red Book. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Weird Book? Red well, Book? he said Red it was Book.
4: turned... He was submitting it to women's magazines,
1: and it was turned down by two because of... It was something about urine, um, the way he... Oh, oh,
3: a woman who, like will piss down her leg or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Such a phrase to, like, stick to your guns. Like, yeah. he really wasn't, like, I'll take to. the one phrase out. Like,
4: <laughs> Yeah, sorry. It says, uh, three women's magazines turned it down, two because of that line about how a woman will pee down her own leg if she doesn't squat. They apparently felt that either women don't pee or don't want to be reminded of the fact. Whoa. I wonder if he told <laughs> the editors that. Like, I mean, that's, uh, that's a harsh one, Stephen.
1: Um, so... Yeah, so this basically tells the story of it is Castle Rock. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of fun Castle Rock references, which we can talk about later. But yeah the it's it, they kind of frame it as a resort town here and it's a town that people come to in the summer and one of the people that comes from the city is this woman mrs. Todd who has a well-to-do husband and she's young and beautiful and interesting and she's um, on a
3: lead foot <laughs>
1: she's yes and uh, vroom, she's vroom. and there's an older local man who has a really lovely voice I, I love him as a narrator mm-hmm. of the story yeah. basically it's like it kind of chronicles just their friendship and and then the way that she kind of brags to him about all these shortcuts that she has. But then as she keeps telling, them, telling him about these shortcuts, they become more and more unbelievable. And then even the, to the point where she's driving from, what is it, Bangor yeah. to Castle Rock mm-hmm. in times that aren't even possible. And mm-hmm. so something is up. And then he drives with her one day and sees that she's taking some shortcuts that really conventional. You're not going to find them on MapQuest.
2: Yeah. Let's just say <laughs> Google did not drive through here.
1: <laughs> but I love this story because I think uh, you know, we I'd used the word whimsical earlier to describe here there be tigers and you had said it can be whimsical and dumb. I think this is a story though where it's whimsical and not dumb. It's I yeah. think and it's the thing is. too. Yeah. And the thing is I remember this story actually being kind of spooky when I was oh, young. Oh totally. I yeah. think there's
3: this like dangerous undertone yeah and i like that it
1: simmers but i will say though that i i actually got a little bit more of a whimsical vibe this time around when Mm -hmm. i read it it felt less i there's definitely danger to what she is doing and uh i love the i feel like the ending sort of nullifies the because when i was reading it i think i was having that implication that oh she like she went too far in this world and she's like forever gone but then it kind of seems more like she in the end of it chose to stay there because Mm -hmm. she was happy in this other world and the man you know our narrator i can't remember his name
3: it was that when she takes the shortcuts she gets younger yeah so she's just been doing that Mm -hmm. and like maybe still living in our world but like
2: maybe she's a baby (laughs) it's a benjamin button Button. (laughs) benji buttons I, what, I love about, what I love about <laughs> this
4: is, yeah, like you said, Randall, Homer's such a great person to follow because we're following. It's it's a story that somebody's telling about a story somebody's told him, mm-hmm. right? So that's complicated enough. But I love the fact that two things: Homer is actually a part of the story that yes. he's telling. Well, you think he's just telling some tale, right? But I love the fact that the story is actually still active, as we learned at the very end. Mm-hmm. This really just. That could have done, that, that, that could, if it was ever adapted, it could be really, really cheesily done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it really nails the end of the, the end Also, the, 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 the
3: guy who's listening, yeah. it's like really sad. Like his whole, yeah. the difference between him and Homer is like Homer actually pines for something, whereas yeah. our narrator is like, I guess I never thought to like ask for anything else.
4: <laughs> like- uh, do you love? I <laughs> know. Totally. What do you love theme?
5: But
1: yeah, and so um, but I, I guess like that drive, I love the the hallucinatory nature of it and the trees, you know, a yeah, section here is yeah, terrifying. Yeah, I'm definitely. Like, well, it. it's
2: interesting, too, because I I just totally forgot about this story. And yeah. it just was one that just maybe I even skipped it. I could not remember it for the life of me. So when it, you actually get to the point where he does drive with her, it takes a very horrific turn that is a little jarring at first because for for me it, it felt like this is more of a a literary tale. There's more mm-hmm. dramatic, and so when all of a sudden for it to throw in this sort of like menacing, you know, the thinny basically is what we uh, we want to get into. Yeah, um, some dark tower but stuff going on. It just it he really does a good job in being able to bridge those two worlds in this story. Whereas like in previous stories when he's tried this. It fumbles big time. But uh, I, I love this little drive when he finally goes with her and they go through this like shortcut and the, through Motorway B and the way that King kind of just slowly, you know, pieces together these things like, have you heard of Motorway B? Yeah. Like, no, I've never heard of a Motorway B. And then mm-hmm. you're like, as a reader, you're like, oh, shit. And <laughs> here we go. You know, and as they turn down, here we go. So it's on page 227. We went cut slam down another woods road and then we come out. I swear it. On a nice paved road with a sign that said motorway B. You ever heard of a road in the state of Maine that was called motorway B? No, I says. Sounds English. Oh yeah, looked English. These trees like willows overhung the road. Now watch out here, Homer, she says. One of those nearly grabbed me a month ago and gave me an Indian burn. That all of a sudden that's even slowly just kind of weeding in there. And then he goes, I didn't know what she was talking about and started to say so. And then I seen that even though there was no wind, the branches of those trees was dipping down. They was wavering down. They looked black and wet inside the fuzz of green on them. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Then one of them snatched off my cap, and I knew I wasn't asleep. Hi, I shouts. Give that back. Too late now, Homer, she says, and laughs. There's daylight just up ahead. We're okay. Then another one of them comes down on her side this time and snatches at her. I swear it did. She ducked, and it caught in her hair, and pulled a lock of it out. Ouch, damn it, that hurts! she yells, but she was laughing too. The car swerved a little when she ducked, and I got a look into the woods, and holy God, Dave, everything in there was moving. There was grasses waving and plants that was all knotted together, so it looked like they made faces. And I seen something sitting in a squat on top of a stump, and it looked like a tree toad, only it was as big as a full-grown cat. Yeah. Oof. I, oh. Like, yeah. The thing is about this, though, it's not so much scary as it is. It's more of like a
4: mischievous yeah. supernatural. Like, it's, yeah. like a, it's like a fun time. Obviously, it's a dangerous setting. But I, I kept thinking about, and this is, I'm, hey, I'm a Florida kid. Mr. Toad's Wild yes, Ride. Yes, that's exactly
5: <laughs> what it's I was going to say. Mrs. Toad.
4: <laughs> and I think maybe that's what it was. But again, if you've been on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, there are some weird things going yes. on. they are coming to life as you're driving by crazily and it's really dark outside. Mm-hmm. I could not get that the image out of my head. It's like seeing weird animals. Yeah. And it was almost hallucinatory. Yeah. And maybe because I was taking acid while reading this, but... (laughs) Have you (laughs) seen the ClickHole article? Yeah. The (laughs) Fox from Mr. Jones I always blame ClickHole. But (laughs) the idea of, like, for instance, just... The, the tree limbs like stealing
2: somebody's Yeah.
4: It, it lets us know this is a fun, is a fun It story. reminds
2: me of H.P. Uh, Lovecrafts, and I had always reference this story, hey. The Color Out of Space. Because yeah. in that story, the trees are alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he starts noting that the vegetation is starting to come alive. And it's it, it's kind of like the inanimate nature of the sand in Beach World. Where it's like these things that you just don't think about yeah. ever having a personality. And if they did... How horrifying that would be! You know um, what other story the trees are alive in? Talisman. That's right. Mm. And he uh, loves creepy trees. I was thinking about
4: that that ride that they take at the end.
1: There's definitely a. I think you know he wrote this story around the same time he was writing the Talisman, and the whole idea that one can flip between worlds. Uh, like I think a lot of people associate this story with the territories from, uh, especially because. Not like time moves or... um, Wait, how does it work? It's distance. If you travel a little bit in
3: the territories, you move a ton in our
4: world. You go to Dash, I think, too, in this situation.
1: Yeah. And so um, that's what... So I think that I think that was the neat idea was his wife and you know he said his wife is obsessed with shortcuts and uh and that it, the story was partially inspired by her but I think when he was writing the talisman he'd probably be like man how much would my wife love it if she could flip over <laughs> to the territories and then get places a lot quicker because she you know you cross so much more ground and. Uh, and so it's, it's – and I think that that's sort of how this uh, work came together, which is really neat. But, yeah, I do like that it kind of um, – it does feed into the Dark Tower world in yeah. a lot of ways. Well, and
4: they think that people have made allusions to um, the Dark Tower again with Oi, and they think that's a Billy bumbler that they ran into. Yeah, not, because – Oh, you mean
3: that, that she hit with her car hits, later? Because it says here
4: oh, – yeah. I'll like read this is straight from Wikipedia, but it says, After Mrs. Tower returns from one travels, hanging from the front grill of the car is a, quote, unquote, horrifying rodent-like creature – described in the book as something that came from a mating of a woodchuck and a weasel, hung its, hung, it, uh, hung its own self by the teeth. It jumped at the go-devil when it saw it was about to run down, trying to bite it to death, and this bears a resemblance to the Billy Bumbler in the Wastelands when Jake dreams of running after Oi, who heads towards the train tracks, ready to leap up and fight Blaine the Mono head-on as it barrels down the track. So it gotta say that the Billy Bumblers are not... They're unafraid and they will jump out at anything too. I, I it's a fun little connection. I know, too. I love it. And then also, um the hi, like the motorway B
1: is this is also from Wikipedia, but it's uh hey, good reference. Hey, but Wikipedia.org. No, um, sometimes it sometimes it hits. It says the roads that Mrs. Todd discovers bear a strong resemblance to the highways in hiding and the Dark Tower five Wolves of the Cala. Mm. Father Callahan introduced in Salem's Lot, travels these roads through Todash space, discovering parallel versions of the United States. Yeah. So I think it's cool. Like I think maybe the the early seeds of kind of what the world he was going to create in the Dark Tower were really starting to sprout here.
2: Did anyone else think of Judd during yeah. this? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The way that he talks to Lewis about the you know the past going on within Ludlow was very similar to this. from I just I just kept seeing Judd as this old man. That yeah, is this is Judd's of, happy ending. <laughs> yeah, right. No, seriously.
3: Is this one where he mentions Cujo?
2: Yeah, he does. Yeah. He talks about Joe Camber. Getting, Joe Camber's mentioned a by lot. His own dog. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. They, he always loves to reference like Bannerman and uh, and and Frank Dodd. Yeah, and all well, those characters. Well, like, and like
2: Grandma, they mentioned going over to Joe Camber's hill. Yeah, to mm-hmm. play on. Yeah, Hey, He was a he was a Castle Rock fixture. Was, yeah, mm-hmm. right. I also actually think of the kick the can episode on the Twilight Zone. Oh yeah, yeah. And the idea that the the person that didn't kick the can is left behind because it ends with him saying, "I can never leave Castle Rock." Mm-hmm. Yeah
3: so sad it's another
2: another allusion to this idea of having to leave and move on yeah and i think a lot of that ties back into king's own inner fear of like losing his bearing in his place and his you know in his setting wanting to be wanting to still be a local but knowing that he's he's a hollywood type (laughs) or i would say a hollywood king or not just wanting to be known as a horror writer
4: but want to be known as something yeah yeah that's an that's interesting
1: any final thoughts on mrs dodd shortcut
4: we'd love
2: love to see a again like a 30 minute minute episode Of this, like I think Darabont is perfect for this yeah,
0: it's just, yeah. It's
2: just the the way because here's the thing like we talked a lot about this with the mist and this is something I wanted I wanted to bring up for our Castle Rock programming is that King does this dance between horror and drama and beauty and, and evil that is just really remarkable and when he nails it he really nails it and it's just it makes that story that much better this short story is scary like yeah. but it's also not scary at the same time like that whole sequence at the end when he finally goes to the house and the lights on mm-hmm. even though she wasn't there before, previously and he sees oil in the front of the car Oi. all that stuff is really menacing but at the same time i felt reassured that they were going to see each other again yeah so it's like this odd dance at the end and at the and it's it was one of the more heartwarming endings. Even yeah. Even though it's at the end, it's also kind of startling because yeah. you're like, what is going on? And I kind of like that. It's that yeah. weird
3: nostalgia for like spontaneity and mm-hmm. danger and mm-hmm. how, I think he says at one point, like, she would kill you if she looked at you, but she wouldn't like mean to. It's yeah. just that mm-hmm. she's so powerful and like, again, this sort of primal, he compares her to like the goddess of the hunt, Oh, he, yeah, Diana. there's a lot of illusions to
2: that <laughs> I, too. I loved this story there's so much that you could pull out of this even just like the idea of regret and not taking chances the way he wrestles with love and a lot of these stories especially with Nona but with this one particularly is so honest and real that it makes me wonder if there was someone else in King's life
3: I swear to god I've brought this up multiple times yeah. he has this like whole thing where it's like you have the second chance with the person yeah. you were falling for as like a dreamy eyed teen. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to mean that you didn't love your wife or that yeah. you weren't a good husband. I mean, it's in it, it's dead in zone. dead zone. Yeah. It's in Mrs. Todd's shortcut. I think he's just the, romanticized this period. Like, and these women so much.
4: Well, I think, um, you know, a lot of us do looking back in life and like, where did we go wrong? What if I had done this differently? You know, I, well, I, I think, think it's very relatable. I
1: think it's notable to bring up since we're in the top three, where this was in our personal rankings. Um, Mike and I had this one at two. Yeah, I almost put it at one. Yeah. I really did. It's great. We'll have it at three. And then, yeah, you, Mac, and Mel were all three.
3: Dan's at six. Dan was know.
1: a six.
4: Yes. I can't wait. Of, of all of us, I'm surprised that Dan. To be fair, six is still very high. Still high. But I'm surprised that uh, of all of us, that he would have had the lowest. Uh, it's just. What an asshole. He's, no. a, he's, a, he's a one little d- Dan. Dan. Dan's Dan. a one-woman man. and uh, You can't imagine ever yeah, looking no. the other way. Um, um, yeah, it's funny about this also. This also renewed my hope in the story because obviously we love The Mist, right? And then it goes into Here There Be Tigers, and then it goes into uh, The Monkey, and then <laughs> Kane rose up. It's like this trifecta of, oh, my God. Oh, awful. More, but then this comes along, and you think, okay, there's still possibly going to be more greatness to come in the collection. It's just
3: such a cool conceit, too, yeah. the whole idea of, like cheating the map and it's fun doing the math like the math is a really fun part of it yeah, yeah.
4: as somebody that. who
2: practices lyrics, I appreciate all the <laughs> math work in this I'd say it's one of his strongest endings mm. in terms of how it's written too yeah does anybody want to read that last
4: passage the prose is great and again it goes back to a little bit of sadness
2: to it Yeah, man. yeah
4: I'll read it yeah, yeah
2: go for it let's see here starts with Olympus. Do the Olympus. Olymp- we all just want
4: to read it at the same time? <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's, do it. No, my God, oh, my God. I'm so annoying.
2: Let's
3: every do, everybody do one word, and we'll go around.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Olympus must be a glory to the eyes and the heart, and there are those who crave it, and those who find a clear way to it mayhap. But I know Castle Rock like the back of my hand, and I could never leave it for no shortcuts where the roads may go. In October, the sky over the lake is no glory, but it is passing fair. With those big white clouds that move so slow... I sit here on the bench and think about Felia Todd and Homer Buckland, and I don't necessarily wish I was where they are, but I still wish I was a smoking man.
3: It's conflicted, yeah. What does he mean about the smoking?
2: It's a callback to something he had been talking previously with yeah. Homer, yeah. And King does that a couple of times in this story because, like, the whole idea of like how statistics change mm-hmm. over time, and yeah. And, and I believe Philia brings that up again later on, mm-hmm. and. It's just really well-written, yeah. and, and I agree. It was like a beacon of light <laughs> towards it early on because it, it follows some awful so three stories. Three of the worst, yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Comparing the stuff.
3: ending to The Reach, though, is, is interesting because it seems like The Reach yeah. is the right decision to kind of stay with your own mm-hmm. and only go out when it's your time to die, whereas this guy is kind of getting left behind because yeah. he won't leave Castle Rock.
2: Yeah. I mean, it it goes into my own personal mantra which was why i think it really resonated with me is that like i would rather i I, the idea of the question of what if has plagued me ever since i was little it's why i'm i'm ocd it's why i'm like a hypochondriac but it also when it comes to just opportunities sometimes i would rather had taken that opportunity and know that it was a mistake than to never have taken it and yeah. always be haunted by that forever. And I think that this soul story is founded on that fear. You and regret what you don't do. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like that, that poster in Nathan Fielder's office from <laughs> Wayne Gretzky. You regret all the, the
1: shots you don't take or something like that. Well, I think mm. Mrs. Todd's going to like the future mm. <laughs> because they invented a little, the, the greatest shortcut of all, the jaunt. Just of who gave us the
4: jaunt. That's why it's a magazine.
1: Whoa, that's a big get. Oh, and that's the year fitting. was
4: 1981, home of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's my one reference <laughs> yeah. for it. Home
2: of Raiders of the Lost Ark. He appears the whole
4: year. Was the assassination on Reagan in 81? Probably.
1: All right, sure. He apparently pitched it to uh, Omni, yep. the science magazine, but they said uh, the science was too wonky is the phrase that King used, so they wouldn't publish it. Well that uh. checks out. <laughs> I'm not here for the sci-fi. Well, I'm not here for yeah, sure. This story, I'd say aside from The Raft obviously, it was the one that and I think it's just like it's 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 built on such a infectious like premise, like uh, such a, a captivating interesting premise because good god, you wish it was real. Mm-hmm. Like god, like can you imagine if you could just travel like in the blink of an eye? That would be so amazing. Hey, not in a blink of an eye. You uh, have to close those eyes. That's <laughs> 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 but but the final image is so indelible, like it's such indelible, horrifying terror, mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that it, and it's so surprising too. If such you don't a twist, yeah, if you don't know going in that it happens, it's it's deeply surprising, especially because it involves a child. But basically, the story uh, is it's mostly exposition. I mean, it's it's um, <laughs> a lot of exposition. It's, yeah, it's a family sitting um, at a jaunt station. And uh, they're getting ready to travel. I can't remember where they're going. But Mars. Mars. They're going to Mars. Because
3: Mars has water.
1: Yes. Oh, yes. They're on like an excavation miss- mission. And, uh, and basically... They're going to be put to sleep. They're like being given drugs or whatever to go to sleep because you can't be awake when you go through the jaunt, which is uh, a device that basically instantaneously takes you to anywhere where there's an adjoining jaunt station or whatever. So uh, it's revolutionized the way that we uh, travel in this world. And so it's basically this father telling his kids the story of how it all started. The whole point of his story is you must be asleep when you go through because anyone who's been awake that went through it went insane or just died Mm -hmm. and so but then when they get through on the other side everything seems okay until he realizes his son stayed awake and is like this little gibbering beast thing now and tearing out his own clawing out his eyeballs
4: the end it is brutal because as you read it again we've there's a lot of exposition obviously we talk they talk about the first experiments and the mice and how the mice went through Mm -hmm. and they died immediately for but only me, if they
3: go through head first.
4: That only only if they go through head first. But the, for me, what happened to the mice?
3: That's the key question.
4: What happened to the mice? Because <laughs> they don't have the same brains that humans have. So, like, what, were, what was what were their reactions to the
2: whole situation? You know, no, it's just where this kid keeps That's, asking yeah. that the whole. I know. Well, the, now
4: I'm thinking about it. But what happened to the mice? Let's go back to the exhibition flashback. I always forget that prisoner.
3: Yeah. Until yeah. I reread it. Love that. Pr- was he
4: saying when he walks out?
3: It's eternity in there.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Which reminds me of Reagan in The Exorcist when she comes out and says, "You're all going to die up there." Speaking
2: of Reagan, it was 1981. You were right. Ah, a little AP history, Justin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the the little tangents are the things that stick with me in this. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not, not not particularly invested in the family so much. So the ending for me was was great, and it, the the image is terrifying. But for me, it's you know, a couple days ago we were talking about like yeah. how we would adapt this. But the the thing that's so hard about this is that he basically created a tool. Or a device that it almost seems like you could actually make a whole series built upon this idea of the jaunt because it's just a medium for so many things because it's so crazy and it's so wild and there's so many different things that you can do with it. And he does in this story. I mean, there are a number of tangents that he goes on that would easily be an episode yeah. of some sort of thing or whatever. Like the thing with the
3: wife—that's that's the, the thing that one. scares
2: me the most—is like this idea that she's bouncing for eternity. Oh yeah, without us, without any sort of body or anything, it's just this constant echo that she's going to have to be on forever. And that was just one little line that they kind of, you know, throw out there. This is King sci-fi I like. Yeah. There's no made up
1: languages. There's no droids. There is like. There are is, some
3: new dollars. I forget what oh he yeah, calls new, currency in here, but I think it's new bucks. <laughs>
2: new bucks. New, <laughs> new, 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 new York. It's actually firmly rooted in, in a lot of paranoia that was going on at the time, which, you know, they talked about the oil crisis, which is a mm-hmm. huge thing coming, yeah. coming out of the late 70s, early 80s. He starts talking about how Texaco is going to go into like the water industry, He's which is something I told totally, kids. Yeah, I that's love that. That's right, kids. Yeah, <laughs> which is, you know, some stuff where you just kept to like, OK, just move on. I love this context. OK, whatever. But there's, there is a lot of that sort of 80s paranoia that's invested into this story mm. that I think... Is one reason why the this sort of sci fi stuff works because he's building this on stuff that makes sense and what we kind of know from our own point of view. Because for the most part, a lot of the story happens in the eighties and nineties, yeah. you know. So they go back into a time that we could understand and we can, you know, invest in a little bit more.
4: I'm I'm personally invested in the story throughout. I think the idea of this is. Original. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, I think they talk about jaunting is actually the term jaunting comes from some other short
1: story. The Stars, right? yeah. my destination. Yeah. a science fiction novel by Alfred
2: Bester. The great Alfred Bester, <laughs> which um, is totally King. We're just getting in. Yeah, his own his He's, own yeah, influences. Yeah, yeah.
4: but uh, the ending. Yes, yeah. I can't say enough about the ending. It, it really might be my favorite King ending of anything. It's So good. It's so. I remember reading it the first time and thinking, "This is interesting." You know, okay, how is this going to end again? Because you still just can't imagine a king is going to go there. I, yeah. At least I couldn't. And when he does, and it's that that, that image of just this, this, this man-child with, I kept imagining like salt and pepper hair mm-hmm. and just like dead, like bloodshot eyes and just kind of ashen face and then the digging of his own eyes and it's just the mother screaming. I had forgotten some of these stories when I first read it, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. I never forgot this story. Same. And I never forgot the end of the story. And it's so fucking good. And I know they're trying to adapt it. Well,
3: yeah. It's been a while since they started trying. I think. Well, no. I, I mean,
4: mean and last Andrea's year, machete wants somebody, to do it. Isn't it? I think it's officially confirmed. Yeah. Wasn't the last year? We talked about one of our earlier episodes. But yeah. I don't know. I, I think for me, this is like a 45 minute episode mm-hmm. on HBO or some, something like that. I don't think this would work. It's a two-hour movie? We talk. Think. Yeah, I I agree with you. So I don't want to. I don't want to see. No, I don't want to see seeing. anything. And that's
2: no. the fear, because then it could become like Interstellar, where you just yeah.
4: where <laughs> it's just like, oh, this means that they're going to be out for
1: seventeen years. I do agree that this shouldn't be a movie, but um, I love the idea because we. I think we talked about this in our Lobstrocities episode, which you should go back and listen to, listeners. Mm. It's a new section where we watch uh bad Stephen King sequels and try to see if there's anything good in them. Um, anyways, we talked about the concept of of, you know, are there malleable structures in King when we look at the entertainment of today where, cause there's so many children of the corn sequels, right? Like, is there a property now that they could do that with? Um, but how does that manifest now? And I guess the way we were kind of talking about it is like, do they do like a TV show? And I kind of love the idea of a jaunt TV show, mm-hmm. like to exist in this world and this technology sort of forming the spine of the show. And like, what are it's like the mysteries of it. I kind of love like this short story, just being a stepping stone to exploring a world with that kind of capability and, and that I mean. kind of yeah. danger. Yeah. I think it's really neat. Obviously, I think it would at some point probably reveal what's inside, which it never should be revealed um, because that's what makes it horrific. And I guess that's the, the perils of adapting this. Yeah, I just don't know. Just, what, sorry about you. I,
3: well, I mean, what do you guys think is inside? Like, I always just pictured it as as just whiteness for a billion years. Yeah. Like, I kept thinking of... It's just of, time. Like I guess for me it was time. Yeah.
1: It was always just time. Like, you were just... You existed in nothingness for, yeah, however many millions of years.
4: I kept picturing, I, th- I talked to you about this, Mike, um, the old short film A Trip to the Moon with this really weird space aesthetic that's out there. Yeah, that's where the Tonight right video. Yeah, it's the Smash Bros. they kind of pay homage to that. It's just this endless kind of gray like, like moon landscape, and it's constantly moving, and there's just stars forever, and that's it. It just, it, it's constantly moving but nothing it still kind of looks the same it's almost a dreamy like but again it's so hard to explain the genius of the story is we don't know the narrator doesn't know what this really what really goes on in there which is which is something I love and that goes to my fear about like you said Randall if they were to adapt this into it especially into a TV series inevitably they're going to show what's in there and inevitably it's not going to live up to our expectations <laughs> it's just not you know yeah. I
1: um I also, I was joking, I was talking to somebody about this and I was joking that it's like the Simpsons version of hell in there where it's like, you know, uh, like a donut machine shoving donuts in your mouth (laughs) or like, like, you know, a Satan just poking you with a pitchfork in the butt over and over again. (laughs) Like it was just this vision of hell that is like very comical. Um, Although I, I,
2: I think the short story is proof that King's strongest suit is and always will be world building like mm, yeah. he's as 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 heavy as it is with exposition i i just love I just love the little tangents, like you find out what the mafia is doing, which of course the mafia would be there. You you, you find out <laughs> Richard like Richard Ginnelli's involved. Richard Ginelli from could, Thinner, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's probably put the um. That's where he put the Gypsy Man in everything that's going on in the world. And I just wanted to know more and more and more. Even I didn't want to know anything about what the John is. Yeah. I just wanted to know what people were doing with it, and that's what's that's why I was yeah it's like to the idea that it could be this own series. Just seeing what people are going to do and and like that. Ugh, God, the Mrs. Michaelson thing is is still like the scariest thing to me. And the 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 lion, the way he writes this is great too. It's uh, Michelson had pushed the nil button on his jaunt board, erasing each and every one of the hundreds of thousands of possible portals through which Mrs. Michelson might have emerged, anywhere from neighboring Reno to the experimental jaunt station in Io, one of the Jovian moons. So there was Mrs. Michelson, jaunting forever, somewhere out there in the ozone. Ugh, god
4: damn well, I also days. love how they can't really accuse him of murder. No, right? yeah, that's a no, nice twist.
3: No one can prove she's dead. Yeah, Oh mm-hmm. like, God, I think teleportation is like just a great conceit for any sort of horror right mm-hmm. i mean you got the fly yeah. and you've got all the arguments about the star trek transporters being like oh so d- do you die every time you go through those and it's a whole new person yeah. with your memories but the original you is actually no longer in existence like thinking about the implications for your consciousness of teleportation is something that i could talk about for days like that's what i'd do if i was in the jaunt forever
1: um, i'd be afraid I, to take i that also jaunt. like the way king nods he has a little bit of uh uh idealism like history with uh, he talks about president hart um like he said the two great presidents or the great heroes were abraham lincoln president lincoln and president hart and Did hart, this must be gary hart yeah gary hart who was uh, who like basically i think who he was cuz he was involved in the he was he a front-runner, yeah. He was a front-runner, though, for the Democratic nomination in 1984 for president, but he lost to Walter, Walter Mondale for you know unsavoriness, but I think his policy-wise policy and uh, politics-wise, King was really into him, and yeah. he was, I think, a very, at least somewhat progressive candidate at the time, although
4: I was a child, so. He should have run for the Republican Party in 2016. <laughs> Listen, you know, we don't talk about politics on this show. Oh, I have a, I have a question. Who has the rankings? Who, so who had this at number
2: one and who has this at number two? I've,
3: I've always said this is my favorite Stephen King short
2: story. Yeah, I think it's it my was, number one. It was
3: number two for me.
2: You had it at number one, and Dan had it at number one. I had uh, it at number three. Randall had it at number three. Mac had it at two. Mel had it. Wait, what was your. So
1: wait, number wait three? you just said it's. You always was. said it was, your said it was. Oh, okay. Randall, so what were your top two? <clears throat> my top two were Mrs. Todd Shortcut okay, and The you. Raft. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same here. Yeah,
4: but I will say that we haven't talked about it yet. Spoiler alert The Raft is going to be number one if you haven't figured yeah. it out yet. <laughs> but I really do go. Back and forth on this, I think mm-hmm. the top two are interchangeable.
2: I really do. My only, my only, the only reason why I didn't make this number two for me is that I just think from from a writing standpoint, I think Mrs. Todd's shortcut is just f- far superior. Well, there's, no, there's no, there's no character work in this story. Yeah, no. it's no. A tough. It's tough. It's to. Just, to this too, is though, all you know? pure idea. Yeah, and it goes back to what I was saying before with Beach World is that like this is something that sticks with me. Purely because of some of the more situational elements in there, and, and like, I agree with you. you Mike. Know, that's that's like, why I chose it too. But yeah. I love, but this, still, but I love it. Yeah, it works like, for what I it mean. Is. This, I mean, Absolutely. you, you, we met up like literally right after I had finished rereading it, and I just was like in a daze for like yeah. an hour because it's... I just couldn't like stop thinking about that Mrs. Michelson thing. Like it's so fucking cruel, and yeah, I mean, she awful. probably just like
3: becomes a god.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I it's, think this also this this ties into
1: sort of the themes we were discussing earlier about the idea of facing death, conf- you know, confronting death, confronting like it's like, you know, I, I in a way I almost see it as a twinner with um the mirror, the reaper's image because mm-hmm. it's like do you do you look, you know, do you look yeah. in the mirror? You hold uh, your breath. Yeah, and then um and then the kid chooses to do it and uh, you know, and it's like you know you're choosing death in a way and it reminds me of um the end of the raft too, which we're going to get to, but just, you know, he
4: gets down, he looks into the 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 oil slick Secrets
3: and men were never meant to know. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and it makes sense in this too that it would be a child. Like yeah. you, you, believe that. A ch- like I was thinking, I was putting myself in that situation. If I was a little curious kid, would I also? Well he, that's just, like
3: I feel like that that like sudden knowledge when he's like, "Oh shit!" Like it's my kid who climbed the tree when he wasn't supposed to. Yeah. Like, I think he says like, "I forget the kid's name." Like Billy and Death had always been. Mm-hmm. Like close acquaintances or something like, or Billy and Fear were not closely acquainted. Yeah, like he just doesn't understand the import, and like, I mean, it goes back to how you explain death to an to an eight year old. Like how, explaining the jaunt to these kids, like you have to impress upon them how important it is to take the gas without <laughs> scaring them. Yeah, because
4: and, the, and the sister, I think. Is scared, scared the whole time, but mm-hmm. they do a good compare contrast. Well, as you should too. be,
3: I feel like they also yeah. talk about how this one like businessman is like, oh, not for me. Yeah. I guess so. yeah. <laughs> because like there's something instinctive that's like, I shouldn't be doing this. My yeah. fear
4: personally, if this were to be invented, would be I would not hold my breath, by the way. My fear is that something would go wrong. Yeah. And, and they didn't actually knock me out. Yeah. And I would somehow wake up in the middle of this. It would be like waking up in the middle of a surgery or something like that. Obviously, yeah. well, that's because if you affinity. think about it too
3: much. This falls apart. Like yeah. they would, they Ugh. should make sure that you're unconscious. Yeah, sure. yeah exactly. By like slapping like, you in the face yeah. or something.
4: You get,
1: you get poked and paraded a thousand times. I feel like that's me with skydiving. Like I love the idea of skydiving. Like I, part of me really wants to do it, but I've just like, like, what if some? What if they did something wrong? Because it would be human error. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, and
4: humans are inherently unreliable. Well, if you want painless death.
1: <laughs> oh feel
4: yeah it.
2: right you think so it, it, it,
4: when you hit the ground you're not going to feel that you'll be oh, dead immediately oh for
2: skydiving yeah I think it's the realization in midair that you, that's going to be the worst that's a nightmare that's like the going you're, through the job you're literally staring at your death yeah there's nothing that's going to gonna happen about it. hey sounds like uh, skeleton crew well unless it's like you know um, Moonraker
4: <laughs> when James Bond doesn't have a parachute and he jumps out but he's able to catch up to Jaws
2: and he he gets his parachute. Or my favorite uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Eraser, mm. um, where he does the same thing. Oh yeah, I love
4: that movie. Yeah. CGI alligators. Yep.
2: I love that movie.
4: Alligators are found in lakes and ponds, right? All right.
3: <laughs> wow, way to steal the the last one.
4: <sighs> what, what else, Randall? What else are found in? Them? <laughs> well, you know, Justin.
3: <laughs> <laughs> What
1: were you? What were you gonna <laughs> Just do? Just came
4: swooping in. No, go
1: ahead, Randall. Love it. Love no, it. I, I'm. You're not. You, you were being robbed of my great, great. I want to uh, know. Okay. Um, no, actually, I didn't have one yet. Oh, that's I, good. Uh, no, so actually, you, I, I was right about to because uh, I always everybody do, these do right one. Before.
4: Okay, yeah, we'll go in circle. A, B, C. Who did the best?
1: Um, well, yours was pretty good. <laughs>
4: Thank you very much. The Randall approval. Um, but I, I guess I would say,
1: um, you know I bet it, I bet the I bet the jaunt requires a special kind of oil to operate. Maybe the same kind of oil that can be found in a lake where there is a raft floating, thus the raft are number one I like that. But uh, does, do you guys have one?
3: Yeah, What's scarier than floating through nothingness forever? floating in the presence of a weird ass oils like <laughs> on what on a lake yeah. and on a raft on a raft
2: yeah on a lake and Mike, on a raft anything well on a long enough timeline the johns is well on a, well, on a, long, on a long enough timeline the john has got to see some hunks and babes <laughs> and that's what we're definitely getting in the raft yeah
4: might be what would have been do you think deke would have pulled hills breath who's deke well let me tell you about
1: him I actually really like. Um, Love Deke. I like that you say, like, I know this is, that was funny, but it's like, I kind of like the teen iconography yeah. here and totally. the way that it plays on sort of, um, you know, horror, like horror tropes.
2: Well, it's like that movie that Final Girls that came out like, yeah. a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. This feels like King doing that. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. like he saw enough Friday the 13th movie and he's like, all right, I got it. <laughs> I'm going to fucking torture these, these motherfuckers. And it, satis- <laughs> it satisfies
1: in the same way as, you know, a slasher movie or whatever. Oh, yeah. it's just one-by-one people get picked off. And they're but, awful human beings. But, yeah, but at this... Yeah, it's like... Not
4: it's- all of them. Oh, they're, oh, they're pretty half bad. Half of them are bad. Oh, they're all <laughs> bad. The half are fine. I think in this... In the movie, they're all awful human beings. No, I actually don't but think in like, this they're...
0: Randy is fine. Of them are and like, oh, he's he's nice. his, are just schmucks. His GF no. is fine.
2: <laughs> Look, I'm going to always argue the fact that we're watching or reading about... Four dickheads <laughs> who find themselves in a very precarious situation. It's true. In which they are literally being eaten by the really very lake. You think Randy's a dickhead? I think he's a dick. Why? He's like, he, even then, he's like still trying to like, the way, even the way he like sleeps with the girl at the end, even knowing that like she, that it was going to be a problem. Oh, I'm watching the raft. Like, I you know, i don't think, think watching, he's bad. Ah, he's kind of a schmuck. I think they He's both- kind of a schmuck, sure. They're both schmucks. Oh, they're schmuck. There's no difference between schmuck and being an asshole. He's right not, there. he's not a hero though. No, 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 nobody. That's what I'm saying. He's just a normal guy. Yeah, Everyone else, I mean, like, he, I mean, he literally lays this woman down knowing what is going to happen. I mean, he just watched his best friend torn into the goddamn (laughs) raft. They're under the
3: hypnotic effects of the raft and they're so cold. Yeah.
2: They're, so
1: cold, cold, Mike, you know, you gotta they're cold, buddy. It's funny. They're cold. They're young, and guess what? They're horny. You know,
0: it's funny.
4: <laughs> I feel like this is the uh, reverse of when I had a problem with the sex scene in the mist, mist yeah. and the two of you didn't. And now this time, Mike, hey, it's you're again. on the outside looking into the raft. <laughs> I hate hey, look. I'm, way, I'm all for the. Sex I hate scene. the sex scene in the, ra- <laughs> <and> the, <laughs> the mist.
2: I love the sex scene in the mist, and I like the sex scene in this too because like we don't I love. It. I love the idea they're going to the bone zone. But what I don't like is the fact that I'm not going to say that he's a good person though because look I would have I would have I would probably go to the bones also to keep warm i keep my fucking eyes on that goddamn thing <laughs> and I would say stand up right now as opposed to just being like oh I'm in I'm, she's yes. so warm you can also
1: bang standing up it just takes a little we could finagling. bang standing up I'm it too tall, tall. Dep-
3: yeah depends anyway,
1: on. Okay. <laughs> justo let's let's tr- backtrack a little where was this published and then let's
4: break I know the it, and then the more talk about the fucking yeah, yeah oh, and then we'll get him. back to the fucking because I've got, I've got thoughts we've got some bones on Randall thanks for asking once again <laughs> The year was 1982. Ooh, good year. The publication ET Blade Runner was Gallery. Ooh, which is kind of. I think that's. I think he's published in there before. By the way, if anybody wants to look, look that up. So, so yeah, the raft. It's a bunch of uh, assholes, apparently. No, just no. There's some. There's some college the monkey, students. The monkey was published there. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, another classic. <laughs> uh, four kids from Horlicks University. By the way, Horlicks University um, is from Creepshow. Creepshow. Great. And he had just gotten off production from that, by the way, around the time he started writing this. Oh, uh, so they go off to
2: the. Okay. I think it's fair to announce here that a uh, creep show will be at the film festival.
4: That'll be a lot fun ah. with an audience. That's gonna be a lot fun. Um, so they're told by one of the kids that there's this kind of floating raft out there on this lake, and the, and the or it's a lake, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. lake, and the lake reason, is closed.
3: This is, this is hugely appealing to everybody yeah. for some
4: reason. It's like let's go to the middle of nowhere where there's nobody around, and we'll go to this awful wooden plank for a little while. Um, so they go out there and. Immediately, something's wrong. There's some black looking oil slick out there. And it turns out (laughs) this slick's very much alive.
2: (laughs) It's hungry for for some flesh.
1: But uh, a little history, though. I see you have it there. Yeah. He initially wrote this in 1968, Mm -hmm. um, but I think that it wasn't as developed. It was called The Float back then. And uh, he said that he, he like, because it was, oh, he said it was published back in 1968, but he never got. Uh, a copy of the actual magazine where it was published and he never saw it. So he he actually said in the in the notes in the book, he, he says, uh, if you actually have a copy of this, please Xerox
2: it and send it to me. It's not out there. Oh, he has a very lengthy digression about this in my book. Well, yeah. There's some
4: great, I think the outro of this introduction is incredible though, where he says, um, I know, I know, but in those days, I only had two pairs of pants and three pairs of underwear and beggars can't be choosers. It was a lot better than spanking lesbians, let me tell you. <laughs> I just like to think, I just like to make sure it was published someplace other than The Dead Zone. Hey-o. hey he said he had him Go to The Bone
2: Zone. I should say, yeah. Gallery, as we mentioned last week, uh, where Kathry and I um, hilariously looked this up on Wikipedia, the uh, example of the cover of, you know, what Gallery Magazine is, is, Jameson. The thing is Jenna Jameson. Who's Jenna Jameson? Yeah, Janet Jameson? Uh, porn star Jenna Jameson. <laughs> oh, okay. And the subtitle is Hot Lipstick Lesbians in Love. Yes. So this book story again just like word processor of the gods is that this is this is a perfect story yeah for, first thing and, and we talked about it last week but it, yeah. there's you also get heather graham woody allen and pennywise and i'm thinking it's the california punk rockers and not so much the clown unless mm. they got you know tim curry to dress up and do the interview <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Yeah, he has a whole story about, like, he actually
1: got paid for that, which he wasn't used to. And it helped get him out of a parking ticket. Or not a parking ticket. He was stealing road cones. Yeah, what a
0: weirdo. Um, It's
1: a weird story. But let's talk about the story itself. So four kids, they go out to this raft. And I got to say, I'm a little surprised that you guys are trashing the idea of hanging out on a raft. Uh, in the middle of a lake, because in the
3: middle of like September. Okay,
1: that's that. That is cold. the point. Yeah, but well, that that's I, I'm I'm in contention with that too. But this story always resonated with me mm-hmm. because when I was young, I used to visit um, my parents' best friend's son. Matt was like my best friend, and he had he lived on a lake, like a very small lake. Uh, and what
2: state are you from again? Michigan. Ah, oh, there you go. What is that about? Well, it's like the land of the lakes, basically. <laughs> land of the
0: lakes. Yeah, land of Minnesota. Lakes. <laughs> no, but
2: like there, there's like millions of lakes like in like Michigan. A, isn't that butter or something? like yeah, that? Yeah, it's butter. Uh, but I'm more of a country crock guy. But.
1: Land of lakes. No, but the uh, there was a raft in the middle of this lake uh, that we used to climb up, and we would. It was great. You know, yeah. you would
2: just you climb yeah, up. I did it jump at up.
3: sleepaway camp. It like, was
2: amazing. It's, it's Love fun, it, but, but I'm
3: not going to drive what like you know
2: oh i when you want to do something fun uh, the, got... possi- the possibility
1: of seeing some hot teens yeah. in their bathing suits uh yes please uh,
2: sign
1: me up uh
4: sign me up is there
2: any room <laughs>
4: <laughs> let's just say a little just though with a gun for a little swimmo <laughs> wow okay
3: but so i sleep camp was all girls by the way so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but so but but yeah what i i guess what i <laughs> i guess what i forgot about this story though is kind of how quickly everything starts going to hell. Like they don't even really have a, uh, they don't even have any fun at first. Like it's like right away, this thing starts coming towards them, yeah. which I actually love. It's like the whore is uh, fast and furious as they say. And um, the, the first girl to go, she doesn't last very long. No. Well, and, and it's, yeah.
3: The, the stuff that we do get before that too is, is kind of why I like this story so yeah. much. Like just the characterizations of these teens and the, Really petty social dynamics at play are Mm -hmm. very realistic and everyone can remember kind of just like feeling that sort of switch when a friend like goes for another guy or vice versa. And Mm -hmm. it's just so competitive But no one's ever going to talk about it in any sort of conspicuous way Mm -hmm. and everyone's trying to impress everyone else. And it was done in such a sad, real way. Like, I right. feel so much for this, for the girl that gets ditched by Deke. And, like, Randy, I feel, is very relatable as well.
4: Yeah. and like, what, I felt a real connection to Deke throughout. I
1: felt, um, <laughs> yeah, you're just like Deke. I was just like, no. No, um, what I love, too, is, uh, like, what you said, Mel, like, they're built on... Teen sex horror archetypes. Exactly. Right. And even the dynamics, they're kept simple, but they're done so well. And then the level of despair that we watch them go through, mm-hmm. like especially Randy and is it Laverne
0: yeah. um, oh, go yeah. through,
1: is, is really you you get these shades of character that are just so fascinating as you know as basically the horror goes on i mean i guess that's one of the things that is really brutal about the story is how long it goes like the fact that he spends like a a, like a day and a half or something like just standing on the raft like after deke is dead but the thing that kills me about this story and they acknowledge it too is just like why didn't you fucking swim away when deke was getting killed Mm -hmm. it's like it went on for hours, which is horrifying in itself. This the idea of him being sucked
2: through the cracks—that's
3: like the most brutal death. Yeah, I yeah. Can... It, it's oh.
4: the, not only it's yeah. The length of it is what gets me
2: because it doesn't no. necessarily break the raft. He's just no. going through. Right. He's, He's just being, being boiled eaten by into this, this thing. hole. Yeah. Thing. yeah. Oh
4: god. And like which he lives for so long. Fair, sure.
3: <laughs>
2: okay.
4: Yeah. It, Look, it, just like show that the planks
1: would have broken much sooner. Yeah. But it's uh, it's fascinating shit, and it's like. It just—that's the thing that always kills me—is that why? I mean, I get the idea that these are your friends and everything, but like, why? <laughs> no, why I think didn't it didn't just does not even occur to that. I don't think yeah. that, just and that's because, the thing—is it doesn't bother me. It's well, he not says he was plot. so hypnotized. Yeah, that's it's why. not a plot well, that, hole to me. It's something that I find very tragic because I can understand that. You know I what think I mean?
4: that this entity could eat more than one person at once though so I think that even if he had tried to jump I think there's just another part of the, the blackness or whatever the, the, you think the it slick, could separate yeah I think it could I think no I think that, that it would changes be one, the whole dynamic I think it would just be one large you know, kind of, uh, what's the best word I'm looking for? Just like a large circular mass. Well, it might mass.
3: even abandon Deke. It's only getting a little bit of him yeah. at a time. Yeah. I mean, it's
2: a huge yeah. mass, so I, don't, I would be surprised if this part over here is eating my him cus- and this part over here is you. eating Deke. You well, know? well, I majored in microbiology at uh, Horlicks <laughs> University, and I know that for a fact that it's it has to stay together because of the construct of uh, the oil of vestige uh, has to be together because if it gets separated, it cannot eat. No, I don't think it only has one tension. stomach.
4: No, but what I'm saying is I don't think anything has to break apart. If, if, if Oh, it just keeps had, stretching? If everybody, had, yeah, it's stretched out. I mean, it's kind of
2: encompassing it's like itself venom. around the raft, I think, right? It is
0: Venom. No, it's yeah. like the symbiote. What if it was it's a Venom? To Tom
3: Hardy film. <laughs> hey,
2: you know, maybe symbiotic. maybe maybe the raft is going to, the raft, so, footage of the raft is going to appear in uh, <laughs> Venom this October. Hey, my if, name's
4: Eddie Brock. Uh, I heard there's a raft up there by Horlicks
2: University. Hey, uh, Eddie, have uh, you ever uh, stop by that uh, that lake? That cliff, yeah, that sure. I, I've never gone in September. It's closed, you know? You see, like, Tom Tom Hardy's going to stare off in the distance, and they cut to this 1986, uh, uh, 1987 footage of, like, Creepshow 2. No, swimming. <laughs> no like, swimming. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, and there goes so my would Tom you Hardy swim in Brooklyn. If, if it's if it occurs to you
3: and it's eating deep, you no. But
4: what I'm saying right? is, isn't it still surrounding the raft? It's underneath it's under the raft. Yeah, I know. It's if underneath you die, you still could s- possibly do it. I, I, my image of it was that it was still like kind of around the raft enough that you couldn't just jump over or something like that. Why
3: doesn't anyone ever try like throwing a scrap of like their clothing to see if it like goes after that?
4: Well, I think they're just kind of in their bathing suit, though. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's all they oh, have. Oh, I'm sorry.
3: You're not going to just... get naked? No, I would never get
4: naked. I'm like a never nude. Can resident. I say one thing that I don't like about this story? What? All the the Cisco kids. I hated that. Oh, God. And Especially
2: during when the fucking thing is happening. That's, like, that's, I think that's I part of a that.
4: rational, like you're trying to keep rational in the face of irrationality. Yeah, I, think it, yeah I don't it think is. it's supposed to be like comic relief. But by here, any means. Here's
2: the thing. I would get that if it wasn't so founded on being farcical yeah i would probably make some joke and be like oh god it's like the creature of the black lagoon or something like that but not like oh yeah my girlfriend just I do died wonder, because like, again this is
4: written around the time of, of creep show and he makes a horlicks joke or it makes a horlicks reference early on i wonder if this was supposed to be somewhat of a goof
2: it could be so In i mean he, regard, he literally finished this while they're editing
1: i don't know though because the horror the the gore is described so
4: yeah I, no i agree
1: viciously I agree. well i'll just read a little bit of it yeah, it's, i got it up here uh, page 262 of the Putnam edition. That's the original edition, people. Um, the rest of his right leg disappeared. No. His, his left leg stretching out further and further until Deke looked like a one-legged ballet dancer doing an impossible split. There was the wishbone crack of his pelvis. And then as Deke's stomach began to swell ominously with new pressure, Randy looked away for a long time, trying not to hear what the wet sounds, trying to concentrate on the pain in his arms. He could maybe bring her around, he thought, but for the time being, it was better to have the throbbing pain in his arms and shoulders. It gave him something to think about. From behind him came a sound like strong teeth crunching up a mouthful of candy jawbreakers. When he looked back, Deke's ribs were collapsing into the crack. His arms were up and out, and he looked like an obscene parody of Richard Nixon giving the V for victory sign that had driven demonstrators wild in the 60s and 70s. And um, and I even love this, too. His eyes were open. His tongue had popped out at Randy. Like, I guess maybe, like, as vicious as, as it is, there are these, like, like what you said, Justin, there are these, like, moments of... Pitch black comedy, like the the Nixon thing, his tongue being out. Like I guess King is just like it's it's such it's like that sick sense of humor that nobody laughs at, but somebody thinks is funny. You know, the last time he looks at at Deke, he it looks like he's
5: waving at him. Yeah, because his hand starts moving as it goes Um, through the crowd.
4: There's we could probably read it up five pages worth of just how disgusting (laughs) this is. But for me, it is while Deke is still dying. I believe I don't think he's been he's not I don't think he's dead yet at this point. As I look for it here. It says, Oh, Deke lurched again and now he uttered a long drilling shriek that made Randy fall back, shrieking himself, hands covering his ears. Blood burst from the pores of Deke's cap and shin. Oh, yeah. His kneecap, this is fucking gross, his kneecap had taken on a purple bulging look as it tried to absorb the tremendous pressure being put on it as the black thing hauled Deke's leg down through the narrow crack inch by inch. Oh, I the bet kneecap he was horror. Oh, Mel is actually
0: <laughs> Mel's some, losing Mel it. Mel is covering her mouth. I bet with this book. was
1: like like to write that. Ugh. I think you have to be coked out of your fucking head. I don't know. I think I'd I could it. probably rest discuss that. Yeah. write something disgusting. What? I'd write it. But <laughs> it's so I, excessive. I think I'm more disturbed than King is like, without it just, drugs. It's, it's so excessive and it goes so far that I can just see him like gleefully pounding out the keyboard like, like you know, white powder all over his nose. I'll say this too. I love um, when Laverne uh, when it I love the way that, like, her hair falls in the water and it basically Mm -hmm. climbs up her hair. Mm. But just the phrase, like... He pulled back suddenly, trying to pull her up, but the thing moved with oily speed and tangled itself in her hair like a webbing of thick black glue. And when he pulled her up, she was already screaming and she was heavy with it. It came out of the water in a twisting, gruesome membrane that rolled with flaring nuclear colors. Scarlet vermilion, flaring emerald, sullen ochre. It flowed down over Laverne's face in a tide, obliterating it. Her feet kicked and drummed. The thing twisted and moved where her face had been. Blood ran down her neck and streamed screaming not hearing herself scream not hearing himself scream Randy ran at her put his foot against her hip and shoved that's so it's like like darkly funny like the way you just laughed like it's like yeah just get her off like get her out of here well
3: that's like merciful honestly exactly
1: and it's like I don't know like I remember reacting very viscerally to that moment when he kicks her off the raft because it's just like well you're fucked you know and it's like and man all the deaths are amazing in this and just like the description of the first girl I can't remember her name right now but like when he
3: compares her getting eaten to, like, roast... Like, naughty roast, uh,
1: roast beef. Yep. Yeah. It's like... And just the way that, like, the skin just starts hanging, yeah. like, in oh flaps, I you I do know? wish
3: that, like, he could write a story that where a lady doesn't need to get slapped out of hysterics. Like, oh, both, I know both women in this uh, story are, like, useless. She's like, don't put me down! He's like, it's fine. <laughs> just stand on the board. She's like, I don't know what you're well, saying!
4: You know, that's Horwax University for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that <laughs> is, I, I is I very true, though. though um, what do we think about... The kind of mysticism that the oil slick has, with you know, how it's it's alive and it kind of mis- uh, hypnotizes. Yeah. Do you love the people? Do you love? Yeah, I think it works right. I like, I like it. It's awesome. Well, yeah. I mean, no, I do like it. I think I struggled
1: with it. I was like reading a little bit. You, um, I
4: think you wish that it was a little more simple in terms. Of, you just wish it was just this mass that ate.
1: In a way, yeah. yeah I guess. I like too. I guess I just wrote that. Like I was asked. I wrote in my notes. I just wrote. Do you love? Does it work? And the thing is, I do like it thematically. I just, it feels, I don't know, the more I think about it, the more I like it, though. Yeah. Like, it's it, just because I think it does give an added weight to the story, and that um, and that it does sort of push Randy into a place where he has to become, where, like, just he inevitably becomes more introspective than uh, than you would in this kind of scenario. And it just,
4: it's, it's such dark shit. Well, it also adds the other element of you know, obviously you could say, okay, we'll just stay on here. We'll be fine. But it was also, you can, if you look at it yeah, for too you long, you can't look at it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, there's a 19 in here somewhere. Oh, yeah. I wrote it down.
2: You know, I, I think this all, it's weird. I think this also still goes back to the idea of mortality. Because you have these vibrant four teens that are just so sex crazed. They have these great bodies. They're beautiful. And what happens to them is just some of the worst body horror that King has ever written. Mm -hmm. Um, In the first death, he centers a lot of Rachel's death on the fact that she's just fading from her own personal identity. And she's just dissolving. her, Her body's just crumbling. And he makes reference to the fact that, like, in the beginning, she still looks like... Um, the Sandy Duncan that that he had been talking about, how she still looks like this, you know, beautiful angel, and then slowly, as describing what happens to her, her body is just crumbling and it just becomes bone, yeah, just like this, like like almost like bony sort of substance that's in there. And I think it's, I think a lot of the horror to that is just that at the end of the day, no matter how gorgeous, no matter how vibrant and sexually driven you are, we're just this like goop. Yeah, At the thing And I think that's That's kind of a horrific Like thing to, That's the thing That's always gotten me great About body horrors Yeah Like our vessels We're just walking we're roast just, beef <laughs> We really are just walking roast beef And like At the end of the day Like I, I follow a lot of Reddit threads And mm. uh, One of them is uh, WTF And then there's another one That I I it's about but, Mark Maron, right? Yeah, yeah. It's about <laughs> Mark Maron. Uh, but then there, there are a lot of like horrific stuff that I, I love just to kind of look at, just to see the oddities of the world and all. <sighs> and they re- recently posted this one photo of just like a spinal cord, eyes, and a brain, and that's literally what we are. That is why I feel I can watch horror and read horror all day long, but I am still
4: affected by reality with like realistic violence. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. like, I still cannot watch live leak stuff. I can't. I would be able to see something like that. Like I yeah. can still separate. The, f- the fiction from nonfiction. Which I, I guess don't. is a good there's thing. A, <laughs> I a, can't deal with it.
3: I think it's a short story originally, but there was an adaptation made of it. And it's two men talking at a diner. Mm-hmm. And it gradually becomes clear that they're not human, but they're talking about humans. And they just keep saying, like, no, they're just made of
0: meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're walking meat. And but,
3: the other one, like, can't understand this. And he's like, okay, but what else is in the meat? And he's like, no. It's just meat, and they they flap their meat around to make noise, like meat noises. And it's oh, that's very uh, lunch
4: meats, uh, Milkman
1: Three, I think. Is oh I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say though that I think the thing is, it's like, yeah, we are just walking sacks of meat but we also have extremely complicated inner lives. And there's this like, I think that there is a interesting tension between the fragility and the, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like the vulnerability of our bodies and then the, the simplicity of it, I guess. And then sort of the, um, the, uh, the complicated nature of what goes on inside of us. And I think that's what he's getting at here. Like when he realizes, because I'm looking at the end of the the story here and uh, Randy it writes, He was crying because something new had been added now. Every time he tried to sit down, the thing slid under the raft. It wasn't entirely stupid then. It had either sensed or figured out that it could get at him while he was sitting down. And that line, I think that, like, I breezed by that when I first read it. But I think that that leads to, that's what sort of really triggers the whole concept. Because I've always, like, the idea of Randy asking it, do you love at the end, always was a little weird to me. Like, I didn't fully buy it. I but feel I
3: feel like it's asking him if he loves. Yeah. But he says it. But I feel like that he does. But I feel like, he's like it's putting it. it kind of, like, in his head.
1: Sure, but... But at the same time, he does say it to the thing, like at the end. He says, do you love with a question mark? He's Mm -hmm. speaking to Mm -hmm. the oil slick. And I think that's what's interesting is like this is a thing. This is a being that is physically unlike us. But he realizes that it does have sentience and intelligence. And so he's like, if you have those things. And there's such a pitying quality to it. Like Mm -hmm. the sad, sad quality of him being like, like, is he asking for mercy in that moment? Mm -hmm. Like, is he asking for like, you know, uh, spare me? Like, do you have love in your heart? Is that what he's saying? That's the the power of this
4: because there's three different short stories that use do they love do you love, but they have multiple meanings in each story, you know? So that's, and that's what I love about it. And I think that's, it's discussing
1: this and like digging deeper is making me like the do you loves more because I think it is revealing more and more and I just kind of, uh, and yeah, and it definitely is putting the phrase into his head. But just the fact that in the end he earnestly asks it, yeah. um, and then I, that just the ending is so freaky. It's just like the colors began to form and twist. This time, Randy did not look away. He whispered, "Do you love?" Somewhere far across the empty lake, a loon screamed, and that's the end. And yeah. it's just oh, and I then, love that. And he's and also, also and maybe he's, he's also, the loon that's screaming. He's also singing at the end here, just like um, yeah. Rand and. Uh, and uh, hey, Rand, Randy, Rand, and mm, my name hey, is Randall. Rockin' Randall. Rockin' Randall. <laughs> and uh, uh, but uh, there, uh, like that whole concept of uh, there's a twinner quality to that too. Just mm-hmm. like uh, these people who have submitted themselves to whatever demonic force they're up against or or overwhelming force they're up against, and they're just like singing a pop song as they kind of fade into oblivion. I, right. I just
2: don't think it's so coincidental that the majority of body horror stories have are so intrinsically tied to sex. Oh, and, yeah. and, and prowess I mean look sex at the fly sex is gross as fuck but, 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 it's, but it's
4: also if, if aliens came down and saw what we did it's <laughs> a
2: great life but, but it's not but it's, the, the, that's not what I mean by it I mean it in the sense that it, it's something that we prioritize over everything and, and there's like a lot of you know especially when beauty's involved and there's the shattering of beauty I mean I think partly why one of the scariest films for me gr- growing up was the fly mm-hmm. and it's the crumbling of this man's body but it's also the loss it's this, this total emasculating feeling of knowing that this was a successful scientist who was good looking, finally got the girl and now he has to watch it all fade away uh because of this thing that's taking over the one thing he has control an agency over of which is his body i mean the whole mm-hmm. quote of the your body is a temple like mm-hmm. That feeling of loss of your body is already horrifying enough. Like that, because that that if that ceases to exist, so do you. Mm -hmm. But then when you tie it with that that uh, things that you lose because of it, and I think a lot of body horror narratives always weld in sex because that is such a because when you do lose that that such a identity, you lose that sort of allure to anyone else, the opposite sex or the the same sex or whoever is your lover. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something. I think the reason why this story, the fly, all of that has always stuck with me, is because that loss is so like horrifying in a weird way of just that of that having it all and then all of it being cruelly taken away. And in in it's kind of depressing. It's like it's 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 uh, I can't fucking explain it. It's something that's stuck with me for for decades that I just don't understand why. Like I just feel like that that sexual tension. Or the emasculating feeling or the loss of it tied with that body horror. It's just there's something there. There's that weird marriage. And I I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just because you're not only losing yourself, but then you're losing
3: all your potential.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about uh, skydiving, Randall.
4: Where you (laughs) said, like, okay, you find out the parachute's not going to work, but you know there's nothing you can do about it. So I often think about, I often think, like, every day I think about this. (laughs) So I think about Deke Mm -hmm. as he's being eaten alive. And he knows there's absolutely nothing. He can do. That's they can do. And he just to wait until he can't feel anymore. Unless he
2: asks them to kill him.
3: How would you even do it, though? Yeah, I guess you could like you try, could to, break to, try to
4: break his neck. But He'd even that would be a, a nightmare. Way, actually. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But, God, could you do it?
4: Yeah. 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 But, God, do it? yeah. yeah. Oh, my
2: God. Yeah. If it was my, if it was one of you, like, that if, was if like. <laughs> <so> if, <laughs> I closed, if I closed my eyes.
3: But the, the, <laughs> I'm not even waiting for the thing to grab you. <laughs> but, like,
4: right now. Please ask me. But the problem with that is, that you could close your eyes, like, no, but the constant grabbing. Like the constant out. grabbing of the arm, like because per- instinctually you're gonna reach out and like try to stop somebody from doing that, you know, that would just. But then the person
2: would fall in trying to choke. Ugh. I don't know about you guys.
1: If this thing started coming after me, I'd just kick its fucking ass.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I just punch it. <laughs> I just fucking kill it.
2: I would start peeing on it.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, maybe it was maybe it's a little like the jellyfish. If you get like stung by it or get t- caught by it, you know, urine. What if that was the key that.
1: to defeating it? Is you just pee? On you it. Just pee on it. <laughs>
2: You know, and then that and then this story wouldn't get published in Redbook Or, or maybe or no, it would get published in Redbook. Uh any final thoughts on
1: um on the RAV?
4: Well the adaptation. Yeah, let's talk about the adaptation. Yeah. Well, Is- I'm actually because Mel because we were we were all on the Creep Show episode, mm-hmm. right? But Mel had just watched it for the first time. I'm curious to see what Mel thought about it.
3: Uh,
4: <laughs> from right. Cre- oh by From Creep Show mm. 2, by the way. it's from Creep Show yeah. 2. It's one of the three short stories in Creep Show yeah. 2.
3: Um I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't great. Um, I watched it with a friend who doesn't like scary stuff at all. Her thoughts are as follows. The guy in the diaper was hot <laughs> and, uh, the oil slick looked like macaroni. <laughs>
4: yeah. We, we talked a little bit about that. At your, at your, yeah, they just, the they pretty the much just threw
3: a tarp on the water. Oh, absolutely. Fine. I do think the effects, like when it first goes up her arm, yeah. Yeah. they're really good. Um, the, the final effect is really good. Um, I wish it. I wish they had gone full Evil Dead, like super gory, but yeah. they they obviously couldn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, it looks exactly the way I had imagined it, like the lake and the raft mm-hmm. and it coming up in between the cracks. Like they they did that really well. Um, the acting's like whatever. Oh, yes, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. we don't get any sense of the social dynamic. We don't get the characters at all. It's it's really a cut and dry. How did you scary... feel about the? Uh,
1: there's a pretty big change. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um. I. I did. It. I. I I like it in the sense that like, oh, what a fun little twist ending, but I don't like it in the sense that. No,
1: like, there's another one oh. where instead of Randy and Laverne boning to stay warm, oh, yeah. he starts feeling her up as she's sleeping. Yeah,
0: Wait,
3: what?
4: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, he looks up and she's being eaten alive at that point. Yeah. She's like asleep during that. Like he really? starts. Yeah, yeah. He starts some feeling her up did, as she's asleep. Some yeah. of this did
3: not register. with You probably well. couldn't <laughs>
4: believe it was happening at that point. You're like, well, these people oh, are assholes.
3: <laughs> That's gross.
4: Yeah, it's Not it's a
3: a, fan of it's that. a
1: very bizarre change that they added. I think it was maybe because they was were supposed to be
2: titillating too, but why don't you just make her awake? Yeah, it's like, very very strange. Oh, I the the one change at the end, I do love though. I think it fits I think that goes to... Oh, it fits the creep it, show. Exactly. But I'm, I'm glad, glad it, but the story works. doesn't end that way. No, I think that Yeah, this, I, don't think that, I don't think it would have worked as on the, in the book form. I think it would have been lame. Yeah, but again, I think what you said, Mike, I think it works. And
4: then what you said, Randall, is that I think as a creep show short, it fits in well yeah. with the changes that were made. Yeah. Just, if you well, haven't when we seen it... we were
3: talking about the... Like, to, how to explain, like, how it could do that then.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the movie, Constant Listeners, if you haven't seen it... um, Randy actually gets away. He swims off and then is able to elude it, gets on the shore. And then like a moron just sits like right by the edge of the water. I beat you. I beat you. I beat you. And then it just jumps out of the water and scoops him up. And it's, uh, and then it burps, it burps and it's dumb. But at the same time, it fits the creep show. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's such a dark, dark, bleak story. Well,
0: kitties. Uh, <laughs> but so they Creep the, keep the they, Creeper. They
1: obviously couldn't um, you know, adhere too much to King's uh original vision because they needed to add a little bit of humor to it. So.
4: Mel, have you watched all Creep Show too? Or did you no, just watch
5: that short? Just that one you That's,
1: don't need to yeah, watch. you're, so you're good to go. Best. Don't worry about it. So bad. I have a really weird Chief t- I
2: have a really, really weird tangent and I'm only gonna put it in here and it's not gonna make sense and it's all personal and I always do this oh, stupid boy. shit. No people are listening to things. I saw this I saw this when I was little. Mm-hmm. And I lived at the beach, I lived at, like in the water I mean I was always in the water like we had I lived on the canal, we had a pool i'd go to the beach we'd go to lakes it was just we're always on the water would so you say this, you were one with the waves I was one with the waves um, I was a beach boy uh, to say uh, to, to be like rand um, but for me, so this really affected me because i 've always been kind of frightened of stuff that 's been in the water what's odd though is that this this movie had such an impression. I didn't even watch the rest of Creepshow 2 at the time, but it just happened to me on TV. And I remember watching from the beginning and from the end, and then that whole feeling of like just rushing to get out of the water and then it just finally trapping you it just haunted me forever. But I also, this is so dumb, and I don't know why I'm even putting this on there, but I'm just going to throw it on there. But at the time, <laughs> I had this plastic guitar... That you could just—it was like a dumb toy guitar that um, you'd like push buttons and it would play like the riffs and stuff. And I used to think it was so cool. And again, I was like five years old when I did, when I saw the the the, the creep too. Bit Jesus, and I had this thing, five? so I was very young. Yeah, because I used to just live watching TV. Again, Latchkey kid. Yeah. So I remember being home alone. <laughs> this is so dumb, <laughs> and this, but like I, I remember watching this thing, and then seeing it, and then turning it off immediately after the, when Randy gets taken. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at my toy guitar, and there were four people that looked just like the characters in the movie. So there were two girls and two guys that were on the guitar, and they all looked like pop stars or whatever. And so in my head, to make myself feel better about what happened to everyone else, I said, Oh, no, they got transferred to this guitar. (laughs)
3: Well, they dropped so it into I, the guitar. Yes,
2: that's how I contended with the fucking horror that I was seeing <laughs> on screen. Well, it's good that you were I able was so, to, to reason with
4: your imagination.
2: I right? was so traumatized by like the, the the body horror that was going on in this movie that, like, I just needed to know that they were going to be okay. And like for me, I, yeah, I, I they jaunted to this stupid plastic guitar I had, but they, what now this, they jaunted oh. this stupid plastic. That's what I just stole it from Al, but, oh. um,
3: yeah, you don't listen when I'm talking, that's fine. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah. So, but it was funny is that like, so I remember years and years later when we finally had to move, and that guitar was just, like, sticking up out of, like, a bunch of toys, and I just, like, actually got kind of creeped out by it because I was just, like, for some reason in kinda my Kind of like head. when they found the monkey in the attic. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it all these skeleton crew right there. But, yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed that really dumb, I like, know, that no, story. I know, no, some people want to hear the yeah. personal stuff.
1: It's fun. Um, it's nose time. Dad,
0: can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> Okay, I'll be right
3: there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's
1: writing. Let's talk about Skeleton Crew as a whole. I'll start. I'll say that I find this to be a wildly inconsistent collection (laughs) Mm -hmm. of short stories. Mm -hmm. Unlike Night Shift, which I thought was actually a very consistent, consistently solid uh, book of short stories. But the thing is, the highs in Skeleton Crew... Baby, they're they're sky high. Mm-hmm. Um, you got you got the raft, you got the jaunt, you got Miss Shortcut. This is a there's some r- really quality King work in you this book. You got the book. mist, you the got the mist, yeah. and that really elevates it, mm-hmm. yeah. And so there's so much good stuff in this book, but there's so much stuff that is either boring, uh, lame, incomprehensible, and just unnecessary. Yeah. So uh, you know, I don't know. I'm like waffling a little bit, but I think overall. I'm gonna give it three and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses because the highs are really high and the mist being in there really boosts it, but uh, you know not definitely not on the same level as Night Shift. So
4: I um I the dream scenario would would have this called would have this be called the Mist and other short stories and if you have the Mist and then the top ten after that and I think that's more than enough to warn a collection of short stories. I, I, again, like you said, Randall, it's wildly inconsistent. The lows are really low, but the highs are high and they're I absolutely recommend the books, just based on half of the collection. So for me, I give it three bright red, Pennywise clown noses. I, 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 mean, listen, we can't say it enough. The books, like last week's episode, those stories suck, right? All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't imagine telling somebody don't read this because then they'll be missing out on the mist, the jaunt, the raft, Mrs. Todd's shortcut, Grandma. I mean, there's too much. There's too much good material here. You've got, you've got you've got to read it. But three is my final Mel
3: Do you want to read uh, Dan and Max Oh or yeah save those? Oh, They just
4: gave me noses um, oh. Dan Max said That they both Give this Three and a half red Pennywise Clown noses But good is great Which
0: I think Is what we're all saying <laughs> yeah. it's what we're all
3: saying um, if I could abstain from giving noses, I would. I just don't think it's fair to give them to a short story collection. Short stories are their own beasts, and we've pretty much given noses to all the short stories by ranking them. But if I have to look at this as an aggregate, and I guess I do. You do. Um, I, I think I will also give it 3.5 bright red Pennywise clown noses. Oh, I guess 4 just feels like too... Much given the inconsistency, but as everyone has said, there are some really successful pieces in here. Yeah. And I, you know, I do like the overall themes that we've all discussed. I like the do you love mm-hmm. connections, mm-hmm. I like the paranoia that runs through the book, and I like the creepy crawly monsters that he seems to be dedicated to here. Um, and it's a cool title too, Skeleton Crew. So I will continue to recommend this short story collection, and I like that it occupies the space in my mind that it does, which is like. It contains some of his scariest short stories for me.
2: Yeah, do you love?
3: I do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mike, do you love? Uh, I'm very similar to what has you know previously been said here on this fine podcast. I'm going to go with three. Yeah, uh, this is kind of torturous to read. I, I thought I thought the lows were actually so low that uh, they're they're just staggeringly low. Like, yeah. we're to the point where I was just like I could not believe he actually decided to publish some of this stuff <laughs> um, I mean the Milkman number two is just so fucking crazy that, that that he decided to actually put this out there and thought consciously that this is a good idea yeah. do you think um, if
3: you like brought it up to him like now if you were like what do you think of like Laundry Day Milkman number two Like, I feel like he'd be like what are you
2: what? Like, what even yeah. is was that? was I just drinking or was I on coke at the time like that's the question problem <laughs> I mean it just there's a lot here uh, it's kind of the it's kind of the double album problem that I have with yeah. you know with most things I think you could make a really solid collection as Justin stated but I think that I think it really does work with just the skeleton crew name I just think you just have to like shuffle it around a little bit and I think the the sequencing in this book is just batshit crazy Mm -hmm. to go from the mist into some of the worst stories is just awful that's like going to see like the smashing pumpkins back in like the mid aughts when they were just like I want to play one really good song open this up and then I'm going to play like 10 songs that you've never heard of and all of them are like 25 minutes long <laughs> like I just and I, and I remember standing through all of them and just being like okay let's just it's, let's just do it let's just do this but it no reminds part of me you
0: of.
3: that can appreciate like in a meta analysis way like <laughs> seeing that range like there's something kind of cool about
2: yeah that. except I I feel like the good stories in this and the good to great stories in this show that range, you know, like they, they, you know, you go from, look at some of the great stories you have here. You have The Mist, you have Mrs. Todd's Shortcut, and The Jaunt. I mean, those three already are just show such an unbelievable range yeah. that right there. I mean, yeah. it's just, and also like when you really think about it, and I've been carrying this book around for a very long time, it's just it's just unwieldy like it's, it's just it's just such a it, uh, the best thing i could still th- say is that this is like the christmas album yeah <laughs> you know it's the it's a, the christmas album that was released as like a double album for the most part so uh, for names. me three noses baby three noses baby yeah. i think
1: that equals this out around 3.3 somewhere yeah, around you're there about right actually um do you love randall do i love i hate <laughs> you hate i do but i do love one thing and that is greetings from castle rock our Stephen King Film Festival that we are hosting at the Music Box Theater in lovely Chicago, July 27th and 28th. We do hope you'll join us. There's going to be a live podcast recording. There's going to be vendors. There's going to be guests. There's going to be movies. What kind of movies do we have on the docket right now? Well,
2: we got a lot of editions that we're going to be uh, rounding out here. Uh, we've, We've kind of hinted at them. If you've been following our socials, you'll probably be able to piece together some stuff. But we're going to have Stand By Me. We're going to have Cujo. We're going to have Needful Things. We're gonna have the dead zone. We're gonna have the black and white version, if all goes a plan. Of the dressed. mist. Of yes. the mist. Which does take place in Castle Rock. Boom. So that, that does fit. And we're gonna have the Dark Half, George Romero's, the late yes. George Romero's Dark Half. And the midnight selections are reserved for outside Castle Rock stories. Yes. So on Friday we're gonna be having creep show. And on Saturday, we're gonna have Pet Cemetery. Boom. Right I think now, that's such a good slate. Yeah, it's a great slate because
4: you got the classics, the cult classics, and then mm-hmm. the randos that's yeah. a lot of people might not have seen. You know,
1: it'll yeah. be very exciting. We're very excited for it. This also is our chance to say goodbye forever to Mel Castle. Whoa, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh. Just kidding,
4: I've heard greetings um, from Castle Rock, but goodbye to Castle I, Mel. <laughs> that
3: <laughs> that is my last name, spelled sure. differently. I will not, unfortunately, be at the film festival. I'm very upset about it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that. I'll FaceTime one of you at some point. Yes, we'll so.
1: we'll, we'll get you involved. Uh, and remember, you can check out her writing at melcastle.com. And you can leave us a review on iTunes because we would appreciate that and would brag about it to our parents who are like, <laughs> why are you wasting your time? Just kidding. My parents don't do that. They're very loving. Happy Father's Day. That's the day we're recording this. Anyways, uh, follow us on socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Mike.
2: we got a big summer coming up. Big summer. we got a huge summer.
1: Oh, yeah. And so we should clarify that uh, you just read a 600-page book, Skeleton Crew. And guess what, constant listeners? Our next book is even longer. (laughs) (laughs) Much longer. We're tackling it uh, starting soon ish no, uh no a, a, <laughs> but hey school's out it's a very long book so we're gonna give you guys some time to read it that means that our next several episodes are going to be uh, a lot of our side shows needful tweets Lobstrosities, Souls Midnight, all the good stuff you've come f- to expect from us. And starting in late July, when Castle Rock debuts on Hulu, we're going to be bringing you week to week reviews of that television show, talking about all the King universe updates within it and uh, and just how we are liking the show overall. Hopefully it's good.
2: We're going to have some talks with the guests. Uh, yes. Uh, we're going to have some talks with the stars. Mm. Uh, maybe even talk to uh, a few of the talent behind the scenes. We're going to get very involved. We're I don't, don't want to yeah. make any promises, but maybe Stephen King will be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't <laughs> promise that.
4: <laughs> no. I said I don't want to and I'm not going to, but you maybe. Know, <laughs> Hey, we're, constantly- we're
3: in talks with ourselves.
0: About <laughs> <making> <laughs> we're, with we're in talks
2: with his Twitter, which means we tweet at him. We're talking ourselves <laughs> into it. No, but while we're going over this summer uh, through our you know, more fun external episodes, as Randall pointed out, we're going to be reading it, so we're, you could follow us along on our on our socials, and we're going to have some sort of campaign that'll be there. Yeah, um, well, we'll
1: introduce a hashtag, and we want you guys to all stay up and uh, share your it reading updates. If it's your first time, your tenth time, we want to hear how it's going for you, and we'll be sharing our own as well.
2: This is kind of like uh, back in the, you know, before... You started having prestige television in the summer. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like our, our our relaxing, you know, we're going to throw some reruns. But they're not reruns. They're new episodes. You know, you know? What it's like? It's like when you get the TV guide back in the day and it'll be the special fall preview. Yes. This is what this is. <laughs> yeah.
4: We're, we're going to enjoy the summer. We're still going to... But we'll still be here as opposed oh, to other yeah. shows. There's no reruns. No no, 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 We're
3: open to input, too. Like, tell us what you'd like
4: to yeah. hear yeah, we're, from us. we we'll some more random
2: episodes. We're going to have, have another uh, Collecting King, mm-hmm. if you remember. Uh, yeah. Johanna recommended someone from Canada So we're going to have them on So we, cool. got, we got a lot of stuff going on here And when we come back for the regular programming With the books, it's it You have been waiting forever for us to cover this And we, we have, have a been very we've been waiting. Yeah. We have, And this is Mel's favorite book So very excited And we got some special ideas and ways that we're going to be covering it And uh, let's just say we're going to be in Dairy Maine For a very long time And, and the very first episode, which will be two hours long Will just be about the child orgy
4: Yes,
0: oh, so yeah. we're
2: really looking yeah. forward to We're going to get this. that out of the way right, right then. <laughs>
0: Just get it out of yeah, the way. Yeah, I know.
2: We, we got a lot of pound cake uh, yeah. coming up on that, so make sure that uh, you stave off the sweets this summer. Yes. We're going to come back big with it.
1: So. so thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate you. Uh, and until next time, long, long days, days and pleasant nights.
0: I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends.